Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, the following podcast is about Star Wars. Look, we love Star Wars, and we know that you love Star Wars, but the reality is is that there's so much stuff about this franchise out there that we're not going to be able to cover every single detail of each and every film. We're going to miss some things. We're going to get some things wrong, but this is just a retrospective where the $20 ticket crew has a casual and open discussion. So if you're up for that, if you're up for a casual discussion and debate with some facts sprinkled in, you know, keep listening. If you want excruciating, painstaking detail, this might not be the podcast for you. Maybe you should watch some bonus features or something. Uh, either way, we hope you enjoy. The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers you've been warned no seriously they're they're spoilers and, and foul language yeah welcome to 20 dollar ticket and welcome to the star wars retrospective prequel trilogy recap uh, where we talk about the uh prequel movies leading up to the release of star wars episode 9 rise of skywalker coming out december 20th 2019 this episode we're going to be talking about uh, the phantom menace attack of the clones and revenge of the sith my name is kerwin of course and joining me today is jason what up jason not much how about you kerwin i'm good man what are you drinking i have a stone buena visa today all right. Uh, Mug is also here. What up, Mugs? What's going on? What are you drinking today? I got some Merlot. TJ's joining us. What up, TJ? Hey, guys. What are you drinking today? I have a Black Cherry White Claw in front of me. Sounds delicious. Uh, making his return is Justin. What up, Justin? What's up, man? What are you drinking today? A Lagunitas IPA. All right. And rounding out the panel today is Bling. What up, Bling? What's up, man? What are you drinking today? I'm drinking water. Kirkland Purified Water. Can I just say, like, this This is the first time in the, I can recall where we're all drinking something different, and it's not like a bunch of well, what is, Ultras on the table. Kerwin, what are you drinking? Uh, I got a uh, Black Cherry White Claw, oh, like yeah. TJ. There's not one Ultra on the table. For the first time, no Ultras. Stepping our game up. Okay. Yeah, we got like different, we got different uh, sponsors, I guess. Who knows? <laughs> Today, we are talking about the prequels. Um, I'm so excited. <laughs> God. So excited. <laughs> So, uh, you know, uh, behind the scenes won't be as thorough as the last episode. Uh, I feel like uh, it's a little more streamlined this time. We can talk about the the prequels in a broader sense. So, you know, let's just hop right into it. So uh, starting off way back in 1980, uh, George Lucas did an interview with uh, Bantha Tracks, the official Star Wars fan club newsletter. And uh, he says that at one point there were going to be 12 Star Wars films, but later cut that number down to nine films. His plan was to make the prequels, which dealt with Anakin and Obi-Wan, with later plans to do a third trilogy that takes place after Return of the Jedi. So seven, eight, nine, uh, all that stuff. After Return of the Jedi, however, uh, George Lucas decided to settle down since he was now divorced um, after Return of the Jedi came out. And he had his first daughter and he'd spent the last decade of his life kind of drowning in his work making those three films. So he kind of reprioritized his life at this point. In an interview with the American Film Institute, um, he says he never intended to make the prequels and that they were technically impossible to do based on the tech that existed back in the 80s. According to him, quote, the medium hadn't yet met his imagination, which I could understand you know yeah. we talk about the uh you know the special editions and how he added a bunch of crap and all that other stuff i think um kind of seeing the tech you know really inspired him to pursue it uh one of those moments came when he saw like a cut of jurassic park 
when he saw that, he finally felt like his vision could be realized. Uh, I guess like Steven Spielberg showed him and a couple other directors like a, a first screening of the film, and that's when he kind of felt like he should be he would be able to take that on. He says that during the screening, like everybody was blown away, and he said like people even cried during the Jurassic Park screening. Uh, in a 2015 interview with Wired, George Lucas says, "quote I never thought I'd do the Star Wars prequels because there was no real way I could get Yoda to fight." There was no way I could ever go to Coruscant, this giant city planet. But once you had digital, there was no end to what you could do. Yeah. And that's kind of what you know his set- sentiments on that was. But with the advancement of film technology, uh, Lucas was kind of at a crossroads. Um, he could either make his smaller art films, uh, a, a decision that would probably prevent him from returning to the saga, or he could take advantage of the tech that was available right now and make his prequel trilogy. So he was kind of caught in between, should I keep going my independent route and making these like smaller art house films, or should I return to Star Wars and like drown in my work for the next decade? And you know, he chose the latter, of course. Um, and this is all happening in the 90s? Uh, early 90s. Late 80s, early 90s, I think. Yeah. So, like, Jurassic Park was what, 94? 94? 93. 93, okay. Yeah. He was, he was kind of at that crossroads. And then, like, right when he saw his screen in the Jurassic Park, he was like, okay, like, I can fucking do this now. Did Terminator 2 have anything to do with it also? I mean, I know that was revolutionary on what Jurassic Park could do, right? Of what they, wasn't ILM involved with Terminator 2? I'm not sure. I would think so since yeah. they're the biggest house at that time. Yeah. But I know, I know like for sure, like the two movies that really pushed Jurassic Park is one, huh? Jurassic Park and Terminator 2. Um, okay. I didn't see anything regarding Terminator 2, but I would like to think that, you yeah. know, he has some, inf- like he was influenced by that right. in some way. So he made the decision to do the prequels now because he could do his movies the way he wanted. He'd be able to do so without, quote, the frustrations of bumping into the technology. There's a point uh, in the episode one behind the scenes documentary where George does say, how do we revolutionize movies in a way that this is all doable? It's not just about us doing it for this picture, but we have to do it for two more. And if it works, everybody else will want to do it for theirs, uh, end quote. So he was basically really looking towards the future regarding the tech that he was going to use in his movies, like not just to make my movies, but we have to do it in a way that other people can also do what I'm doing as well. So I thought that was pretty interesting, you know, on his part, as far as like why he's making this trilogy and why he really pushed the technology in these three films. There's something I want to bring up that I read I didn't, and I've never heard this because I did hear about the technology but he did go through a divorce after Jedi, right? With his wife and it at the time was the highest settlement. I think he, that his ex-wife got 50 million and because of that he had to wait to like recoup money of Star Wars because he owned all the rights, whatever it was, to build up his wealth again to finance these movies. Did you hear anything about that? I just was reading this and I was wondering if that was true or not. Yeah, like I did hear in a couple podcasts that like that was one of the reasons too like oh, so it is true yeah, yeah like okay. he didn't he didn't have like he, he basically lost a lot of money in that settlement yeah. and like these movies are kind of a way to kind of get that cash back yeah fortunately for him people were i guess over the what 15 years two decades since you know return of the jedi came out you know the expanded universe stuff like the comics the novels all that other stuff the cartoons really kept people's interest in star wars alive because like one of his fears was that people aren't interested in star wars anymore but luckily because he had all that kind of spinoff material, he was able to see that people were still hungry for right. his franchise. Yeah, I read that the comics definitely played a big part in even him starting to think about doing this again. I mean, in what world could you come back with a prequel 
prequel or a sequel 30 years after the original debut of the first trilogy. It's almost unheard of, but he was able to do it because he knew that people still wanted to learn and know more about this world that he had created in the first original trilogy. So Yeah, and then you also had like the, the early 90s popularity of like uh, the whole Shadows of the Empire series. There's like a bunch of books. There's the video game for N64. Uh, was it like a Grand Admiral Thrawn? Like, I believe so, yeah. yeah. they introduced him, and like he really had a cool, compelling story. You had uh, like Prince uh, Chizor or whatever yeah. his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Shadow of Shadows, yeah. Yeah, so you had a, a whole bunch of EU stuff that was really well-written and really popular. And, and I remember a lot of that stuff being out as a kid before episode one came out. So mm-hmm. I think I think just kind of seeing, you know, the massive storytelling potential, I think everything just coming together at once just made, right. it, made it the perfect time. What I will also say, though, is I think it's a little bit weird that it wasn't really something that he had thought about until all of these coincidences kind of converged, like with technology and like the comics and arcade games and stuff, because he literally named the other ones episode four, five, and six. So it seems weird that he wouldn't already have a vision for like one, two, and three, because I even read that like doing a prequel wasn't necessarily something that he had thought about either. It might have been a sequel that he had done until he realized that people wanted episodes one, two, and three, I guess. Um, I think this is just another case of like maybe him being a little bit too ambitious because some interviews he says, yeah, I got a whole, you know, nine movie plan mapped out with prequels and sequels. And then in some interviews he says, I have no plans to return to Star Wars. It's just four, five, and six. You know, we'll get to this in, you know, when we get to the Disney episode of our Star Wars retrospective. But like he's had interviews where he says like three is the last one. There's not going to be a seven, eight, or nine. And then we find out later that he was writing seven. It's just kind of weird. I think at some points he got like overly ambitious. I think it's just like the, the ex girlfriend that it's like there's still something there. And like then at days he doesn't want to deal with it. And then days he, do, I don't know. Like it's like he was so attached that it's like, do I continue to move on or do I not? I don't, I don't know. Is that what he was going through? Well, I think from a creative perspective, it's just like, especially when it's something that you wholly yeah. own and created on your own, there's that sense of ownership. You know, when you're a creator, a creative mind, like you're always coming up with new ideas is like oh maybe it'd be fun to tell a story about this or that yeah. and and I think when it's a property that he owns you know one he has the right to do whatever the hell he wants to it at the time he did yeah, yeah. but like I think I think his attachment to it keeps drawing him back like you're saying it's right. kind of like the ex-girlfriend that yeah. you say you're over but you're not yeah and I think I also, that's what it is I also think like when you create a world as complete as he did in the original trilogy you could go on forever if you wanted to and so as a creator you kind of have to ask yourself when is when am I done telling the story you know but I feel he also had like complete control over the project so it was him to like collaborate with other collaborators out there saying hey here's some input I think he wanted to have the final say in what his final vision was going to be so I think it was difficult for him to say hey let me get some other minds in the room and flesh out some ideas because I feel like what we see in the prequel trilogy is just his work let's just get into it right now like he he did approach other directors other writers to help him he did not want to direct these at all himself exactly Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ron Howard, mm-hmm. um, Steven Spielberg was Steven one Spielberg. of them. Yeah. Um, Robert Zemeckis was one Zemeckis, of them. I didn't yeah. read that too. Yeah, and I think he even went to uh, Lawrence Kasdan, uh, Again, the huh? original yeah. writer, and he wasn't interested in coming back. So he had this grand idea, and like nobody wanted to help him out. No, dude, you, the alternate you, universe. I wish I could see those movies. Like the Zemeckis Star Wars. Are you kidding me? Or yeah. the Spielberg Star yeah. Wars. I mean, I get like it's his baby. Do you like, think it's, it's messed daunting. up, or do you think they were kind of like, look at man, you've built this, and like I think you need to do it because if we, I, it's like your baby. I, I don't know. I'm just wondering if like, and maybe I think they were, like, they were afraid to, yeah, afraid to like screw it up. I don't know. 
I think they had his support. They were just like, look, you need to do this. Like, this is your thing. I don't, I don't know, because he didn't direct Empire or Return of the Jedi. I think it's two things. I think it's like, one, we don't want to fuck this up. And it's also... They didn't want to fuck it up, huh? Yeah, yeah. they didn't, they didn't want to fuck it up. And then, two, it's just kind of like, this is your thing. Like, yeah. you've always been, like, the whole owner of this thing, so own it. But I think it's just kind of like, like, dog, you don't even want to help, right? You yeah. don't even want to, like, look at the screenplay and, like, add some notes. Like, right. come on, add some notes. Jar Jar doesn't need to step in poop. Come on. No, uh, he doesn't. Or be there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk we'll about that. that. But even yeah. in the originals, wasn't he on the set a lot of the time, too? Like, Spielberg was. Yeah. I saw the behind the scenes of like the Phantom Menace and all that, and Spielberg was like looking at the actual uh, the figures. The that battle had, droids. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff and what they were going to look like. Yeah, giving him his opinion in a sense, but yeah. No, I'm just saying for the originals, like wasn't George oh. Lucas on the set a lot, too? Not for Empire. But for return, he was. For return, he was basically like micromanaging. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that might have been a thought going through some of these directors' heads. Like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. I'd love to be a part of this, but I know I, what I happened. Never, yeah, I never looked at it that on way. On return, <laughs> and it's like, I don't know if I want him. I mean, because he has a vision, a very specific vision, and I don't know if I can and accomplish it. control. Yeah. And I don't know if I want someone making sure I'm doing exactly what he wants and not really allowing me. I mean, I don't know if that's a thought, but that's what I was kind of thinking about. That, too. that is an excellent point, And I think you might be right on with yeah. that. Honestly, I think, I think that's Thanks, Kerwin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree, man. I think that is probably what it is. It's just like, there's, there's a lot of times, you know, in my field where it's just like, Hey, do you want to help out with this project? And knowing who the supervisor is, my answer is no immediately because I know that they're going to be micromanaging the shit out of me. And they might produce a great product. They know what they're doing, but they should almost be doing it themselves because they have a very clear, specific vision. And they also have their own like positive track record and they have their own well-established creative visions. Like you don't take Steven Spielberg and treat him like some rookie director by micromanaging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, anyway, you know, the movies came out, you know, he made the movies himself. He did it his way. You know, the movies are kind of met with mixed and negative reviews from a lot of critics, uh, as well as receiving some fan backlash that we'll talk about once we get into the movies. Most of the criticisms were directed towards, you know, a lot of the acting, the writing and the plot. You know, with that said, let's move on to the movies, unless you guys got something to say. No, let's go. I was just going to say real quick, uh, doubling back to a statement you said he made earlier um, about wanting to revolutionize the industry and, uh, you know, the CGI and where they went with that. Do you feel like he accomplished any of that? I do. Okay. I do. Definitely. I think this I'm just going off my memory as a kid. That's why, especially, you know, I know you're in the field sort of. So I was wondering, you know, I, I think this prequel trilogy really introduced us to the, the concept of a green screen. I think this was the first movie that says, Hey, there's this technology called green screen where you can pretty much do anything. And that's what brought Jar Jar Binks to the screen. So I think it started with this trilogy where this is the new emerging well, CGI technology. Okay, that, so Do you remember any films using a green screen as much as this film did prior to episode one? No. Well, I mean, as the original did, maybe not. Yeah, the original yeah, it did exist. the original Star Wars they all use like blue screen and green screen and all that other stuff. But I think I think what we're kind of touching on is like full on environments that yes. are yes. That are, worlds. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that are no longer just like matte paintings or compositing of multiple images. Right, like, not scale models, actual worlds. Yeah. that were created all using CGI. Yeah, and on top of that, characters as well. Every movie has like some sort of digital character creation, whether it's like fully CG or through motion capture. And I think that's really what came out of this, what you're saying, Bling, yeah. and then also, you know, the Jar Jar effect of, you know, motion capture, CGI characters, and all that other stuff. I think we, we definitely got a lot of that out. And then we also got digital filming. That wasn't a thing until episode two. Okay. Yeah, like that was the first ever movie filmed entirely digitally and not on film. Film. Yoda's not a puppet in that one? No? <laughs> not, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. 
All right, so let's get into our first movie in the prequel trilogy. We got Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yes. Oh, God. Here we go. Uh, released May 19th, 1999. Directed by George Lucas. It stars Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Jake Lloyd, Ian McDiarmid, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Penilla August, and Frank Oz. 53% of critics liked it on Rotten Tomatoes, giving it an average score of 5.97 out of 10. 59% of the audience liked it, giving it an average score of 3.52 out of 5. Its budget was $115 million. Opening weekend, it made $64 million. Its total domestic gross was $474.5 million, and its total worldwide gross was uh, $1 billion. But this also includes the uh, 3D re-release that came out before. Or Disney purchased uh, Lucasfilm. Uh, I couldn't find anything for just that specific movie's total release, but altogether, when you include that 3D re-release, it's at a billion dollars. So, how do we feel about Episode One? I love it. I love it. What, I, I, what I I'll like say. It. So, remember, I had not seen any of the prequel, and I fall in the or, same I'm sorry, boat any as of TJ. The, yeah. Any of the yeah. original trilogies. Um, so this is like the Star Wars that I remember. Like I was much more invested this time around I, than I was the original. I remember being in the movie theater. This is back when you had to watch trailers before an actual movie, not on like the internet. And I saw a trailer for Phantom Menace and I was someone, I'm like, they're making more of this crap because I did not care about it at all. So this is the film that I want to say, like I took my virginity to the Star Wars <laughs> world, you know, and like it, it really grabbed me. So I hold this very near and dear, you know, but uh, I love this movie. And about how old were you, do you think? Uh, uh, it was. I was a junior in high school, so I was 17 like years old. 30. Shut the. F- <laughs> <laughs> now it's a funny thing you mentioned too, because like uh, you remember that movie Meet Joe Black yeah. with uh, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie saw like crazy ticket sales because the trailer for Episode One was they attached wanted to that to movie. Just go watch the trailer, and then they would oh, leave that's right so after. So interesting. Yeah, people yeah. would walk in, trailer would show, and they'd all walk out because there was yeah. no internet, no yeah. YouTube, so nothing. How would you watch yeah. it? That's crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. but um, I remember this movie for two reasons. The first movie that I ever saw twice in a theater and the first movie that I actually like knew all the behind the scenes on leading up to. So this is like the first time like paying attention to movie news as like I think I was like 10 when this came out. I think I saw Jurassic Park twice in theaters and I think this is the second movie that I saw twice in theaters. I think you're right. That's kind of crazy now that I think about that. That's amazing. Kind of get it into it. Um, You know, first things first, we know this movie has a lot of backlash and all that other shit, but I do want to talk about the the good things about it before we kind of move on. Blink. Give us something good. Can I just so, so okay, so I, I like I said, this film. There's a lot of things I like about the film because I, I did I, like I read the books in, in high school, the expanded universe. I played the video game, so a lot of things you know that we got to see on in the movie were there. Um, visually, no complaints. It, it looks it's visually like, well done. Yeah, I visually think. well done, and I think at, it's visually better than two and three. Yeah, because I mean, just stretching the limits of like said, the CGI technology that's available uh, that was available at the time. I was just like, wow, this is visually it looked better than the, even the the original trilogy. So I'll give it that. In your honest opinion, though, given how huge the original trilogy was, given mm-hmm. how much popularity it gained throughout the 30 years since mm-hmm. episode one was released, I, I feel like it was... It was never going to be It was going to be hard height. to please there everybody. There's no way they're going to oh, get yeah. out of the oh, park. Yeah. There, like, it, yeah. I mean, being at, what, 50% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it was? Mm. 50-something percent? like six, yeah. I think the movie has some faults, but oh, yeah. Yeah. I think no matter what they did, no matter what the movie consisted of, I think it was not going to... It wasn't going to be a new hope for sure. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. going to satisfy everybody. Right. But yeah. but do you think that critic score increases ten percent if there's no Jar Jar Binks? Okay, or you know what? Okay, you know what? You know, fuck talking all the good shit. Let's just get into it. Fuck yeah. It. yeah. All right. All right. That didn't last long. Okay, Jar Jar Binks 
is not my biggest problem with this movie. I completely agree with you on that. He's yes. not my big my I'd biggest problem. My biggest problem with this movie is starting the movie so far back that you have to play catch up the next two movies. I don't feel we needed to start with Anakin being nine and extra plot stuff that really has no relevance moving forward. I mean, and I say this in hindsight, having seen two and three, did he need to be immaculately conceived? No. Midi-chlorians, do they play oh any part in <laughs> two, no. three, four, five, six? No. no. Do they need to be there? I like the idea that he's like a slave on Tatooine, and I actually don't mind that he's from the same planet. I don't mind that at all. I just think like Lucas started way too far back. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that happens in this movie is not relevant except for Palpatine becoming the Chancellor. And I think we'll talk about this you know, throughout all three movies, but I feel like the main plot of the prequels is just Palpatine becoming right. the emperor. And I feel like this movie, the only significant thing that happens in it is that they meet Anakin and Palpatine, you know, rises to power in some way. And those are the only two relevant things. And um, outside of that, we don't we don't really have like a main arc for anybody. But I do Okay, but I, and I, I want to disagree in a sense. Like, I think when you get to the original trilogy, you understand what a Jedi is, but like where they came from, you heard about a Jedi Council. I feel like they do a great job in this movie of like giving you the foundation of how here's what it was back oh, when oh, yeah. it wasn't like, the, yeah, given the, the Jedi. evil empire. You yeah. know? And I, I did appreciate that. I love seeing Coruscant. I love seeing, you know, the Jedi Council, Yoda, all that stuff. And, and I think you look at, you're so used to just seeing. Luke Skywalker, as well as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Here you see so many other Jedis, in a sense, as well as Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah, it, it, and I think he's a great character. In the original trilogy, like I said, um, the Jedis are a dying breed, and here they're, they're, right. they're numerous. Yeah, 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 and it's, it's, they're like almost like the dominant faction out there. There's, there's right. just a ton of Jedi, and you see, like I said, you see, we alluded to it in the, the previous podcast, you know, Mace Windu, you know, come, you, see, you see him. You he, see him. You yeah. see him, and he was originally supposed to be part of the original trilogy, and then, you know, they introduced him here. And so so I like the lore. I like introducing me, like you said, the Jedi Jedi faction. But to Kern's point, I did like how he went so far back that it didn't really add any value to episode two and episode three. Kind of add to what Kern was saying. I think the other thing you got from this film is that there was already some uncertainty about Anakin. They, they didn't want him to be trained. And then you see how Obi-Wan agrees to train him. Not so much of his like, hey, I'm, I want to do it, but more of kind of to fulfill his master's final wishes. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, his master's final wishes, like, I feel like this movie doesn't kind of address a lot of the things that were said. And I don't feel like, you know, the other two really do that well either. You know, we talk about Obi-Wan saying like, oh, you know, Yoda trained me, but it's only through a technicality because Yoda trains all the younglings. And then we get this master, Qui-Gon Jinn, that's training Obi-Wan that we've never fucking heard of, who's so significant in getting Anakin to become a Jedi or at least join the order. And then he does nothing. Like he dies and we don't fucking hear from him again except when he screams in episode two or whatever. Yeah. And then we get um, the relationship that Obi-Wan has with Anakin. Like, that doesn't exist at all in this movie. Like, those two interact one time throughout this whole movie. It's just like, hi, I'm Anakin. Hi, I'm Obi-Wan. I wouldn't have such a problem with it going as far back if you took out Qui-Gon Jinn and made Obi-Wan fill that role. Wow, I love love Qui-Gon. Because because to make... I get what you're saying. To make that tragedy of him turning into Darth Vader make, you know, have more weight to it, Obi-Wan should have been the one to find him. 
Obi-Wan should have been the one to get him for the pod race. Obi-Wan should have been the one to get him on the ship. And I understand you need like a character to die, I guess. But I think Obi-Wan's own motivations for seeing the potential in this person should have been enough for him to want to train him as a Jedi. He took an interest in him. He saw that he was really skilled. He could be useful. He's he's a good guy. And fight with Qui-Gon. Or, or even if... Or even if, like, Obi-Wan had to convince Liam Neeson's... Qui-Gon, yeah. Qui-Gon. Yeah, that would have made more sense. Maybe he flip it. Instead of Qui-Gon convincing Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, no, this is the guy, and he goes against... And he has to convince... And then Qui-Gon. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. Or, like, don't even make Qui-Gon his master. Just make them two masters that are partners, like we kind of see in the Clone Wars cartoons. Like, not every Jedi has an apprentice. They could have just been, like, you know, two buddy cops or whatever. Fucking Qui-Gon stays on the ship. Obi-Wan meets Anakin, forms the bond with him. They get on the ship. Like you guys said... Obi-Wan convinces Qui-Gon and then Qui-Gon can still die, you know, at the hands of Darth Maul. But I feel like by introducing Qui-Gon there, you sever whatever expected relationship we think that these two are going to have because you sure as hell don't see it in the next movie. No. Like at all. But I think I think Qui-Gon was a completely unnecessary character in my mind or at least the role he played. But he is great though. He's cool. No, he is he's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. But he is great. Liam Neeson's that's my shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we've talked a lot about like going too far back. I did read that originally George Lucas had Anakin as a teenager. 15 years old, yeah, is what I Yeah, but because the, he wanted it to be more impactful when he lost his mother, which of course, the younger you lose your mother, the more impactful it is on your life, they made him even younger than that. So we probably wouldn't have gone as far back if we didn't have to associate him losing his mother with his turn to the dark side, which I think is sort of the start of that dark turn is like him losing his mom. I will give George Lucas props on that, and I'm glad you bring that up, TJ. Personally, I don't think you needed to go that far back to show that. That's just my personal preference, but I do I do kind of see where he's coming from. But also, like, I'm glad you brought it up because if there's one other thread other than Palpatine amassing power each movie, it's that the mother keeps coming back in this movie he departs from his mother in the next movie he has the nightmare she dies and in the third movie he has the same nightmare about Padme and that's what changes him the mother is a reoccurring thing like loss is a reoccurring thing well and I think we had to go through or we uh, I think George Lucas had to go through a lot of rewrites for this too because as he was kind of reviewing his timeline and reviewing uh, a lot of the scripts or whatever, it wasn't clear how Anakin turned to the dark side. And they wanted to make it like a very linear thread of like how this person who was supposed to be fighting for the good side turned to the dark side. And so I think to his credit, he spent a lot of time really thinking about how do we make sure that the audience believes that Anakin who should be a good Jedi turns to the dark side. Because, you know, when Obi-Wan says um, in episode four, like, oh, you know, Darth Vader betrayed the Jedi or whatever, it would have sucked if Anakin was just like, yeah, these guys suck. I'm done. Like, I'm right. Yeah. Like, just out of the blue decided, you know. Yeah. Instead of things happening that and small things, by the way, like there are things that allude to him turning uh, even in in small conversations that he's having with Obi-Wan or with the council that if you're not really paying attention, you might miss, but it's a sort of a slow progression that I even saw, to be honest, in episode one, uh, I even saw as he was a child, like his sort of rebellious nature, his his need to ask questions and know the answers, whereas the Jedis are kind of just taught, well, this is the way it is, and you just do what you're you're told. Yeah, because I was gonna say, don't you feel like there's a sort of underlying resentment towards Anakin, like especially when he's interviewed in the council the first time and they're just really negative towards him, like, no, he's got too much fear in him and they, he's got he's too old, he's this and that. 
Um, even throughout the movies, they always have sort of an untrusting, you know, kind of, yeah. uh, even despite the fact that he's supposed to be the prophecy child. And then also kind of back to the point, I think this goes more towards, not that I'm not saying it probably would have been better if Obi-Wan or would have given them more personal connection if Obi-Wan was the one that wanted him. But sort of Qui-Gon being the only one that was really on his side and then passing away in the first film, I wonder if maybe there was supposed to be a sort of, again, more of a sort of quiet resentment between Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin. Kind of yeah. like you're the dad that didn't want me or something. Right, something like that. Or like you're the only momentum I have of my master never, who I love. I've never looked at it at that angle, and I'm mm. so glad you said it that way. That's yeah, pretty that, interesting. Yeah. That's, and then yeah. again, maybe he, which makes him feel even more responsible for Darth Vader, toward, you know, in his years yeah. of reflection of, well, maybe I shouldn't have been so, or maybe I should have been yeah. more open to it. You know, again, like the whole regret. But, but again, these are things that we have to reach for. I think it would have made Lucas a better movie. It yeah, this right. Way, or he just, oh the, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. yeah. On the one hand, just like any yeah. RP is like, yeah, that's cool. It gives you a lot of space yeah. to play. But on the other hand, oh, it would have been so much more of a good movie if they had developed these points more. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because there's a lot of like missed potential with relationships and yeah. interactions in these movies. And I think it all comes down to the plot, where he places the characters other characters that should have been or should not have been involved, the way people act. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on that really weren't taken advantage of, like plot wise mm-hmm. and like development wise. Like the Jedi Council are dicks. Yeah. They're oh, fucking sure. yeah. dicks. Like I like I love Samuel L. Jackson, but he's a total dick. So is Yoda. Yoda's a dick <laughs> in this movie too. Fear these do hate. Kind yeah, of all throughout this prequels, they're, they're Samuel Jackson and Yoda. They are assholes. Where they're the sort whole. of like up on their pedestal, like we know the best. Like you need to trust us without any like reassurance whatsoever. It's just we're Jedi. We know what what you should be doing or whatever. Because you kind of understand Anakin's frustration. Yeah, no, nobody likes to be just told what to do without the why behind it. Like you got to usually drag people to go do stuff. Like Anakin's volunteering to go do shit, and like no, 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 you can't do this. Right. And it's like, well, why? Someone's got to do it, not, not you. But it happens throughout these prequels. It's awful, especially the third movie. And how old? How how young do you got to be? Like, is this like some Catholic yeah, priest yeah, type yeah, shit? Like, yeah, exactly. He's too old. They got to yeah. indoctrinate him like at birth? I, I'm so confused. Yeah, like the Jedi's be taking kids like from their parents at birth and it's just like, you're telling me you can't teach a nine-year-old fucking, you got NBA players that don't know how to play basketball till they're like 17 and you're telling me you can't teach Anakin to I like mean, be a Jedi at nine? Luke didn't learn to be a Jedi until he was in his 20s and see like in Empire when they say (laughs) am I wrong no you're right though but like in Empire when they say like Luke's too old my assumption is that like okay you gotta be like a young teen or a kid to start and that makes sense but when we get to Anakin and he's like fucking nine years old and they're like he's too old and I'm like He's nine. Like, he's <laughs> fucking nine. My whole thing is like, when do you train them? Because if you take them at birth or when they're like babies, like, who's feeding them? Who's teaching them to walk? Also, like, what are you training them to, to do when they can't even walk? Yeah, just like, let the... And also, the other thing, too, is like, it's not a choice. It's never a choice for a Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're forced into being a Jedi. That's some fucked up shit. Kind of like you were saying, Jason, like how like antagonistic they are and off-putting and like up their own asses they I feel are. Like your hate is leading you guys toward the dark side. I mean, <laughs> Jedi's are good people. No, <laughs> they are. No, they're, they're good. They're good because like we're told they're good and we see that they're good in the movie. But the way they're written, they're just like fucking assholes. Dude. Well, see, I think that's another big theme that's especially gets brought at the end of the movie of whenever you have a good force uh, Christians for example supposedly good supposedly love thy neighbor but you know if we look back in history how many people have killed and murdered in the name of Christ you know what I mean yeah. it's that sort of when that piousness goes unchecked and I think that's another underlying theme that unfortunately you really kind of have to reach for when watching these was that the Jedi tree if you will got too big and you have the branches trimmed 
just a sort of piety, a detachment from emotion um, that is part of their council's rules. But, you know, when you detach from emotion, you detach from love as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a reach at all because George Lucas has like explicitly stated that that is one of the reasons why the Jedi fell. Like, I don't like the Jedi in this trilogy that much. I think they are assholes. But like that, you know, to your point, uh, Justin, like that was all intentional. Like right. George Lucas's whole thing was like the Jedi failed because they got too fucking big you know, in their own heads. And Luke says the same thing in later in uh, episode eight. Yeah, in Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. he he explicitly states it. And then um, we talked about this in the last episode, like the reason Luke succeeds at turning Vader is because he doesn't fall back on the outdated beliefs of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just do what he's told. He says, no, I can save my dad. I'm not just going to go kill him. I could save right. him. And we talk about how the Jedi lie. Like the Jedi are always fucking lying and hiding things. And the bad guys are always telling the truth and being inviting and allowing you to express yourself. And I think that goes to your point of like, you know, the Jedi's just got fucking too full of themselves. See, again, it's Luke's love for his father that saves him as opposed to their code. Their creed, yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, that's that's kind of an issue. But you know what's great about this movie? Pod race. Yes. So, Blaine... Come on, you gotta give us that. The pod race scene <laughs> I wish you could see was face so right long and dragged out, no, and I felt it was no. unnecessary. No. I feel great. the pod race scene was there just to promote the N64 game that was coming out. That's Which was an amazing <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying it was basically uh, in the movie just to promote that game. That, it I, was, I and, personally remember watching that scene and on the edge of my seat, because if he loses, the entire plot is done, you know? So you're telling me it you was, haven't it was No. But I'm just saying, my first Star Wars in theaters, and I'm like, what is going to happen? And it's an intense scene. I mean, it, it comes is, down to the end. But you know? I agree with Bling. It is long. I also agree that there was probably some... Uh, they added scenes to knowing that like from a merchandising perspective, from like a video game perspective, they could capitalize on these things. I think that's a lot of the criticism that Jar Jar Binks got as well was a lot of people thought that he was just included so that they could sell toys of Jar Jar Binks because he also doesn't play like a pivotal role. But even Um, just the simple premise, okay, you need to win this pod race to win your freedom. You're a Jedi. What if he just took Anakin and says, okay, we're good. We're taking this kid. What are you going to do about it? Absolutely nothing. You're a Jedi. Like I didn't see the premise of them no, having they, that. They needed they needed to pay for the repairs to their ship. They Terrible. weren't gonna get the stuff they needed. And it's like you're saying, yeah. Mugga, like everything leading up to this pod race, everything hinges on this yes. pod race. And me personally, it's it's one of my you know favorite pieces of the prequels. And I think when we talk about how like George Lucas has always taken inspiration from like classic films, yeah. this is the classic like gladiator race from race, I think it's like yeah. Ben Hur, right? Ben-Hur. Yeah. It's from Ben Hur, yeah, Ben Hur. Yeah, the chariot race. Yeah, yeah, cherish yeah. Her, yeah. Um, I love that we brought this in and we've applied it to science fantasy aesthetic. Like, I love that it's brought in and it's something different. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You don't saying? think it's a little too long? It is. For, three laps. for yeah. me, it ain't too long. There's there's other things in this movie I would cut out, yeah. you know, as opposed to So, this. but no complaints visually. Like I said, it, from a visual standpoint, it, it, it's amazing, like I said, how far we've come along with CGI and just, just movie tech, you know, magic. So no complaints on that, but I mean, too long. But also it was meant to show how capable Anakin was, how like, you know, he yeah, had, how much force true. he had in him, even yeah. without training. Uh, what do you say? He was the only human that could, like, they can't race pods or they move too fast, something like that. Yeah, like humans' senses aren't quick enough to race a speed or like right. a pod or whatever. And here he was not only a human but also a child so it was also meant to show that off yeah. as well. And that's the other thing too like
like I'll give this movie credit. Like, you know how we talked about in episode four, like scenes defining characters instead of being told. So you have like Leia standing up to Tarkin, talking shit to Vader to his face, Han Solo shooting Greedo, like those sorts of things that are shown and not told. I think this pod race shows us everything we need to know about Anakin, despite his age, however we feel about the movies was written, that he is a technological genius. He's a smart kid. He's willing to look out for people and help them, no matter what his circumstances are as a slave. And also, you know, his force ability, the fact that, and I love the fact that they show off his piling ability as proof of his adeptness with the force. Yeah. The whole humans not being able to pilot shit. That's my, one of my favorite parts of the movie. I, it's my second favorite part of the movie. Yeah. I think the first has got to be the lightsaber scene at the end with Darth Maul that taking on two Jedi. That is the greatest where, fight scene. Where do you rank this as lightsaber? Number one. That yeah. is, that is yeah. the number one. It's just, when you just, were just, a kid and you saw that trailer and when he pulled out a double lightsaber, did you not your pants oh, with excitement? But, but even just the choice of the, 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 the songs called the, they played the, they played Duel, the of the yeah. Duel of the yeah. Fates. Yeah. It's such a... Just a That's perfect, an iconic piece. perfect score to match with that 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 whole scene. Yes. That, that is probably actually that is the the highlight of this entire film. Uh, the other thing that I will say is that I feel like this is the first time that we see lightsabers in action like this because because of the technology that was available at the time. Right. Whereas in the original trilogy, it's, we talked about this. You know, a lot of the fights were a little underwhelming to today's standards. But visually think, it was great, but it wasn't like a great choreographed fight, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also, again, they were limited by what they could do yeah. to with the technology of the of the day to like create that lightsaber. But now, with everything that was available to them, we really got a true lightsaber fight of like people really just kicking ass. And I love um, the setting of it too, because like you you go from this kind of industrial looking like raggedy you know post. Uh, Clone Wars era in the original trilogy and I love that we have a entirely we're on the other end of the spectrum like we're in like space Italy you know what I'm saying like on Naboo like you have like classical Naboo is just visually amazing amazing dude like just the juxtaposition between the two things like the the classical looking environment with like the droids and the sci-fi elements added and then to take a lightsaber fight between like the old Sith and the old Jedi in that palace and we, we talk about this movie like this movie in my opinion is the only one that feels like a Star Wars movie and looks like a Star Wars movie and has that like texture, it actually feels like it takes place before, if that makes any kind of sense. It feels like if you go back in time, it's literally like going back in time and like, this is what the classical Republic looked like. That look is achieved to great effect on Naboo, having the fight on Naboo. Darth Maul doesn't wear any armor, he wears robes, and he looks fucking incredible in like the makeup and the horns. No, I I, I love Darth Maul as a character. And and I think it leads to what he called the biggest misstep they did with this film is that they tease this huge baddie, Darth Maul, and then you don't really, he doesn't really get his screen time, and then you kill him off. That was probably the biggest letdown from this film is that... I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. He, w- he was everywhere in the marketing of this movie. Yeah, and, and he, like I said, he had one scene where the, he, he fights briefly with, with Gwaikon, and then he had the big fight, and Qui-Gon. then... Huh? qui Qui-Gon, yes. Sorry. Um, but, and, and then you kill him off, and I was like, why? <laughs> It was the biggest letdown. He dies so horribly, yeah. right? I mean, he totally has the high ground, and somehow Obi Wan is able to. And, and then when you see, like I said, Episode Two and Episode Three, and like they introduce obviously some new. Some I new do sit. not it, like Count Dooku at all. Yeah, I and mean, then, but I mean, uh, you, but you you realize like they didn't need to kill him off. They no. could have been the, like. He could have got another episode. Yeah, he yeah. Didn't, yeah. I mean, they did bring him back in the Clone Wars series, the three yeah, D animated yeah. one, but instead of cutting him in half 
cut off his legs so that way he can survive. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. be like a prequel I, to Vader too. Yeah, yeah. What happens with him. yeah. And then like maybe as the movies progress, he gets more technological, suffering more injuries, and that's kind of a foreshadowing for Vader. That would have been like a nice or, thing. Or, or he, maybe like Grievous took him out. Yeah, he, or he turns into Grievous. You have that arc too. You like you know. Or how sick would it be if you know each movie they fight Darth Maul and at the beginning of three instead of killing Dooku it's Anakin that has to face off against Darth Maul killing you, his you could easily get rid of Count Dooku and just prolong Darth Maul's mm-hmm. character I mean that's what I was. Yeah, going kind of what you said I felt like Dooku wasn't necessary like you could have kept Maul for yeah. this yeah like you didn't need him at all I'll bring something up later maybe in episode two but um we'll talk about like Dooku and like kind of where he fits in I love this movie. There's there's a part though where I just even to this day I still will cringe. I cringe when I watch it. I don't mind that in order to get to Naboo they travel through the core or the center of the Earth, but the two fishes that they encounter yeah. or whatever. What, it's just like George, like George. Why do you got it? They can be a nice just travel through and just talk about what's going on as opposed to having. There's always a bigger fish. It's just like, it's so stupid. It does not need to be in the movie (laughs) at all. But you don't think that... I know, Bling, you're going to say there's like other things that don't... This for sure does not need to be in the yeah. movie. But you don't think that like kind of beats you over the head with the theme? It's just like there's always a bigger fish. Like they think the bad guy is like Maul, but yeah. it's really Palpatine. I feel like I, it's kind of over. I get what you're saying. But I think, uh, it, yeah, I, but I just, <laughs> come but on, man. It doesn't like, need to be in there. No, yeah. at all. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think, and I think Jason alluded to this in the last podcast is like, you know, we're, we're in space. We're in this world where there, we should see like different creatures, different yeah. things, not not an iguana. Not an iguana <laughs> in a swamp on, yeah, so space on Dagobah. Like, yeah, and, so. And we haven't really talked about Padme's character I mean you got to see her whole backstory I mean yeah. she's the mother of the famous twins you know like yeah. I kind of like how you see where her arc starts to develop and all that and how they meet and that's why I do think that's why they went in a direction with Anakin being so young because if he's older well then they could just start following him right now as opposed to him being a little boy and we're not going to get into that aspect of it you know but I but I, that I, was I, weird though yeah. like, it would have been better if he was like you know you think so and started like, the, the love like, well, interest like 15 right there and she's like 18 you know what I mean that kind of makes think more sense was nine She's yeah, a queen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, the age disparity. Years old. For yeah. me, the weirdness still carries over to episode two. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's not until episode three where I feel like things are okay. Yeah. But it's just like. But I, I only feel like that age. because I feel like she stopped aging and he grew up. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. in the real world, that doesn't happen. So I don't know. Yeah, but I will say this about like uh, Natalie Portman's character, Amidala and Obi Wan are my two favorite characters yeah. in this movie. Say whatever you want about performances or whatever, but I feel like the way they kind of developed her, like she's a bad badass you know she starts off being this regal person then you find out like it was a disguise the whole time she's actually one of the maidens the costumes are great i love how every scene she's in she's got a different fucking costume which is fucking incredible you know props to the costume and design department on that but i love how she's just willing to like go into fucking battle when the senate doesn't want to help she's like fuck this we're going to naboo she grabs her gun they fucking raid the palace and she holds up the nemoidians and she she's like no bullshit just like leia that's what i that's what i love about her character but, you know, Nemoidians. Okay, so this movie did have, you know, some backlash, of course, we're going to get into. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, talks about uh, racist portrayals of particular characters, like the Nemoidians all sound like uh, racist Asian stereotypes with a broken English, like you would hear in, like, mm. dubbed uh, yeah. Asian film. You had Jar Jar, uh, who sounds like he's speaking, like, a broken Caribbean accent. You have um, Watto, who a lot of people 
equated to being like a Jewish stereotype. I don't think George Lucas is this way, but I feel like maybe in his choice to have people sound a certain way, that kind of went over his head. Yeah. I mean, like as a kid, I kind of ignored it. The only one that really struck me was the Nemoidians for sure. That to me was like the most like glaring one. Everybody else, I was kind of like, eh, but I could see where people are coming from with that for sure. But I do, um, I do want to address some stuff behind the scenes and post the movie. We'll get into casting real quick. In a May 1999 article on StarWars.com, George Lucas says, quote, the most important part of directing is casting. So, uh, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn was originally envisioned to be played by an American, uh, but George Lucas really loved Liam Neeson's skills and like his presence on camera. Um, Natalie Portman was cast as Padme, getting the role after impressing the casting director with her performance in The Professional. So I think she got the role when she was uh, 13 or 14 years old. Um, Ewan McGregor, you know, he's Obi-Wan and he's also the nephew of Dennis Lawson, who plays Wedge. So that's his uncle from the original trilogy. And they spent three years worldwide auditioning thousands of young actors to play Anakin, looking for somebody that could appeal to both young people and their parents. On casting Jake Lloyd, Lucas says, quote, I was looking for somebody who was a good actor, enthusiastic and very energetic. Jake is a natural, end quote. And on being cast as Anakin, uh, Lloyd felt that it meant a lot to him to be a younger Darth Vader because that was his favorite character. But that leads me into what happened to Jake Lloyd? Because we obviously know he's a child actor at this time. Hayden Christensen comes in to fill in in the next two films. Um, so I did a little digging. And um, in a 2012 interview with the Daily Telegraph, uh, Lloyd says that his life was a living hell, quotes, uh, after The Phantom Menace. Um, he says that while he was still in elementary school, he was doing around 60 interviews a day when he was at that age. Good God. Yeah, doing press for the movie. Um, when he got back to school, um, I think he filmed most of his stuff over his summer vacation, okay. like most of his scenes. When he went back to school, um, he was bullied with a lot of kids making lightsaber noises at him constantly. Um, this kind of treatment would actually follow him into high school and to college, uh, in court, according to a video. Where did he go to college at? Do you know? I have no idea oh, where okay. he went, but he did say in an interview that that shit kind of like followed him throughout the rest of his like life, educational life. And um, it turned him evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, he hated he hated Star Wars so much that after Phantom Menace came out, he destroyed all of his Star Wars memorabilia. Um, although he did voice the character in a few Star Wars video games after the fact. On episode one in an interview on YouTube, I think he's in his late teens in this interview, uh, Jake says about the Phantom Menace, quote, um, when you have something like that, there's a lot of expectations for it to meet the standards of the public. And I don't think George did that, end quote. Um, in 2015, Jake Lloyd was arrested after a 25-mile high-speed car chase in South Carolina. Also in 2015, uh, Lloyd had another run-in with the law after assaulting his mother. According to a TMZ article, his mom told police that Jake suffers from schizophrenia and was off his meds at the time, but he's a totally nonviolent person You know, when he's on his meds. Um, his mom did not press charges. According to his mom, Jake began showing signs of schizophrenia around age 19 and had been getting help prior to this incident taking place. Um, I did check out a couple of interviews with him on YouTube as an adult, and he seems to have a pretty positive response to his whole experience now. He says that he learned a lot and he did have fun while working on The Phantom Menace, and he has had positive interactions with fans as time has gone on. Wow. I feel yeah. that was a lot. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, I feel bad because that sucks. Also... I also feel bad because I thought Jake Lloyd was one of the worst parts of this film in general. Like I didn't think his acting was good at all, which 
is surprising that they searched the entire world for someone who could play young Anakin and settled on but him. But Jason, you said that you saw the casting tapes and he actually nailed it, right? Well, yeah. Compared I, to the other actors they were considering. Yeah, I was watching, it was like a documentary just on this first episode and I got, I wanted, it was like a little over an hour long and I got through about half of it, but where I ended was uh, they were down to three kids and it shows them going through that initial meet between uh, Natalie Porton and yeah. uh, Anakin. And anyway, uh, they're going through it and they're filming all three and Jake Lloyd does do a great job. If you're comparing just these two other kids to him, like he nails it. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see where George Lucas saw yeah. a lot of potential with this kid because he does do a great job. And they show him like when they... He formally gets the acceptance to play the role and like he's super stoked. He seems like a great kid, like he's right. gonna do well. But I agree, Teach. I am not impressed with his Do you think it's crazy George loses in- directing skills? Like I mean, don't doesn't mm-hmm. he only do like one takes numerous well, times? Well here's like, here's the thing, like he does that, but it's just like you're also working with a child. You got right. he's a, you, you, you need to step in more. Yeah. yeah. Like as a director, you need to step the fuck in and you can't just be like do it over, do it over, do it over. Like um, George Lucas made the comment and I, I saw that doc you were talking about I think it's called um, like the beginning or something like that I believe so yeah yeah but um, like George Lucas comments he says like he has the most naturalistic acting however it takes him a couple takes to get it right yeah and there's a couple scenes like they show like him with Qui-Gon and um, Jar Jar at the table with his mom or whatever yeah and he messes up a bunch of times because he can't say Coruscant right and like you can see like the frustration on George Lucas's face I will say this Jake Lloyd's reactions feel natural but i i don't think his performance is as good as one of the other kids there's one kid in there who who's just a better actor overall he seems to have a better grasp of what his duties are on screen are but you have to admit though when they when jake lloyd's up there like there's like this weird like interaction it feels natural mm-hmm. but again we're talking about one scene and I'm sure it was rehearsed the fuck out of that's why he nailed the lines but yeah I mean the other kid I remember I forget the other kid's name I apologize but he he seemed like he was like a, a vet actor like he he knew like how to do this like he seemed like he was pretty natural on screen but just thinking about the interaction seemed way more natural to me I don't know no, um, and that yeah. makes sense. Like, because yeah. I felt the same way. Like, that interaction was way more natural. But I think if you're looking for somebody to do a whole movie, that's something you got to take in consideration. Exactly. And I think George Lucas kind of made a mistake there. I'm not going to shit on him. He was a kid at the time, but it's just yeah. like you're saying, TJ, not the best performance. No, I mean, also, I loved him in Jingle All the Way. Like, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Like, he was in that movie, and I thought he did a great job in that movie. So there, there was something off with this movie. I don't know if it was the dialogue, if it was the directing. I'm not sure. But it took me out of it for sure. Kind of continuing on, um, we got to talk about uh, Jar Jar Binks and the, the reaction to that. So uh, Ahmed Best, uh, he provided the motion capture and performance of Jar Jar Binks. While performing a show in New York City, he was approached by the casting director for episode one, who was sitting in the crowd. Um, He would end up auditioning for the role and won the role. Um, I think he was in his mid-20s at the time. He was attracted to the role because he loved the idea of kind of disappearing into character during a performance, and playing a fully realized CGI character would be the ultimate form of that. What he takes away from the experience is that his performance, along with ILM, really set the foundation for motion capture and CG uh, character performances moving forward. You know, what they were doing back in the 90s had never really been done before uh, at that level. Best was looking forward to his role in Star Wars, kind of opening career doors for him after. In a YouTube video, Ahmed Best opens up about his experience with episode one, detailing his experience uh, contemplating suicide. Uh, The video is on the YouTube channel Soul Pancake and is titled, That Moment I Opened Up About Suicide. 
After episode one hit theaters, fan backlash was directed at the character of Jar Jar Binks for ruining the series, and Ahmed Best was the victim of sometimes violent and racist attacks from Star Wars fans. Um, He would say that although some people would say that, quote, the attacks aren't at you, they're at Jar Jar, but when you put so much of yourself into your character, the attacks are coming at you, and that's what he's saying. Um, He was also attacked for portraying what many would call a racial stereotype of a character for using a, quote, broken Jamaican dialect, despite Ahmed Best himself being West Indian. So there's that assumption that he's stereotyping all Caribbean people. Um, The attacks and criticism at one point became too much for him, and he made the decision to end his life by jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge. He says that a strong gust of wind knocked him off balance and kind of gave him a wake-up call. He says that if he was really going to kill himself, if he really wanted to, he would have let himself just fall when that wind hit him. But instead, he crawled back to the walkway and went back to his apartment. In a 2018 tweet, Ahmed Best opened up about his suicide contemplation and his life after Star Wars and the backlash, taking a photo with his son near the spot where he almost ended his life. Um, He was shocked by how much support he got, never knowing how many people really cared about his performance, his experience, and his well-being related to the overall Star Wars backlash. Yeah, that's a lot. I didn't yeah. Know. yeah, I mean, this is so... It's just so sad. Like, do I, I love Jar Jar? No. What but am I going to threaten Jar Jar? What is Jar-Jar? it you guys no. about him so much? I hated, like, just, like, a lot of forced humor where it's trying to be comedic and almost, like, goofy, and it's really off-putting. I don't know. It just... I feel like... It, was it seemed more over forced. the top. Yeah, it was. It was over the top. It's just like I, just, I didn't mind. Also, it. the know. language. You don't even know what he's saying half the time. I think we watched the same documentary, Kerwin. I remember this pretty vividly. I think George Lucas said that this movie doesn't work without Jar Jar Binks, and that's exactly what he said. And I think it has to deal with the tech they're pushing as well as the plot. You know, we talk about the pod race, but like this plot hinges on our main protagonist's relationship with Jar Jar Binks. Like they run into him in the forest. The Gungans give him a ship to go to the capital. Jar Jar is the one that allows them to get Boss Nass to supply forces. Jar Jar is critical to the plot of this movie, which is why I don't mind him. Yeah, like you're saying, Ling, I find him to be extra goofy. Don't you think there's a million other ways for this story to happen? You don't need Jar Jar. Yeah, you don't need Jar Jar, but the way the plot plays out, he's necessary. You need Jar Jar in this telling of the story, but in a world where you are creating everything, you could skip Jar Jar. No, and I think so, but like, you know, kind of just dealing with the way the movie is like planned out, I don't have a problem with him because he's necessary. Now, if he was just like an extra character that was just tagging along, like, could you imagine if Chewbacca was this way? Yeah. But like the plot doesn't hinge on him. Like the fact that the plot hinges on their relationship with him, I don't mind it. I don't mind him being a comedic character. I don't mind some of it, his antics, but I think it's extra. I think it's George Lucas saying, oh, this this will be funny, and he puts it in, and it's really not that funny. Like, this is the equivalent to me of adding Jedi rocks to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Like, I, I just think, like, this brand of humor doesn't fit this kind of movie or this universe at all. Like, And like, do you think that it was added for merchandising purposes. I think it was added for that and just for kids. You gotta look at George, like he had three kids at the time. You know, when he started Star Wars, he had a girlfriend or a wife, but he didn't have kids. Yeah. So I think like, you know, we talk about his perspective changing. I think he saw this as an opportunity to connect with children. And I just think the way he did it was, I think the movie kind of suffers a bit. Like I said, Jar Jar is not my least favorite part of the movie, mm-hmm. but I do have some problems with him. Yeah. yeah. It's the same as those battle droids, dude. Those battle droids are so goofy, I couldn't get. Behind. Roger, Roger. Yeah, yeah. I could, yeah. I get back here. You or not? I couldn't get behind their like menacing villainy. Like the stormtroopers are way more menacing comparatively. 
you point out that his role is pivotal in this film, but then I'm also kind of, when you get to episode two and episode three, they reduce his role. So he's almost non-existent and he doesn't even have a role in episode two and episode three. Well, so what would I you also, do? Yeah, yeah, what would you, you do, do after all that backlash? I mean, course. I also remember seeing episode two in theaters and as soon as Jar Jar came on, everyone just groaned. Like, <laughs> that that is what happened. I and I didn't hate him either, but I just don't think he was necessary. And again, reading some of the articles where they thought that the motives for adding him were other than storytelling is an interesting take. Yeah, because they could have added his character and not made him like a goofy ass character. Like Han Solo is funny sometimes. Like C-3PO and R2 are funny. Are comedic. They're comedic, but not to like the Looney Tune effect of Jar Jar. Just the clumsiness and all that. It's just like, it's a little much. And it doesn't stop. And if you just dialed it back a little bit, maybe you wouldn't got so much backlash. Just dial back so the clumsiness. you do it like he did in episode two and three. Yeah, just scale it back. Yeah, yeah. where he yeah. just he's normal. He's a senator. Whatever. We'll just go with that. It's what like mean? imagine you know we talked about the Marvel movies. Imagine like okay, Captain America. Those are like probably the most serious movies of that series, right? We could agree, yeah. possibly. Yeah. But they are funny at times, right? They have levity. Could you imagine putting Guardian-style humor in a Captain America movie? No. That no. would not work. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't work at all. And I think Star Wars had its own brand of kind of dry humor and wit. This is just bringing the wrong kind of humor into the movie, personally. There's elements, I think, that are okay. Like, they could have chosen, like, one or two of these kind of characteristics of him, and it would have been fine. But, man, you compile them all together, and he's just, he's a shit show. And it takes away from the movie, I think. Well, it's like you said with R2-D2 and C-3PO. I don't know if you want to jump ahead too much, but like the opening scene in uh, episode three, uh, when R2-D2 is trying to, I think, hijack the uh, elevator for them. And then the battle droids are coming and he's like spilling oil everywhere and he gets real slapsticky. And there's like, you know what I mean? Like that's goofiness. Like I don't, I don't really need that. It's supposed to be a serious scene. You know what I mean? One thing I would do, I do want to add is, I mean, you know, as critical as everyone was about Jar Jar's performance or in his role in the film, I think it also exposes bigger ar- overarching issues. Like Star Wars fans are vile; they're they're they, they are the some of the most critical. And it's I mean, so interesting. We yeah. see this a lot with yeah. Like, that's, that's the inter- yeah, exactly. That's the internet nowadays. Everybody has we a just, voice, and everyone just says the most crazy vile to me. Stuff. Yeah, but I feel like Star Wars fans are could be the, the most disdainful people because I mean, just they were overly critical, and, and not hearing your stories how they threaten and they just, you know. It, uh, how awful. Yeah, well, they're so, awful. Well, so today with that, uh, that Game of Thrones actor, uh, didn't he get numerous death threats? I forget which one. Um, overplaying that villain. Joffrey? I think oh, so. Oh, yeah. The, the child yeah, 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 yeah. Joffrey, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where he got a lot of like death threats over how good his it role was. It just shows was. how fans can be sometimes overly critical. Well, right. Especially <laughs> the <laughs> fanboys. No. Have you seen that movie? They, I own it. Yeah. Never watched it. Oh, you oh, have, have to. to. Yeah. It's relating to this movie in a sense, but it has Seth Rogen as a part where he knows about the characters, so he tattoos like a whole collage of characters on his arm, and he goes, and Jar Jar Binks is the biggest, because this is the new guy coming out, he's gonna be the shit. Because it's that bad, but like in this movie, they make fun of him so much on that. You know? Yeah. I get it what you're saying. I just don't think it separates me from just loving this film. But yeah. every time you talk to someone like, well, Jar Jar Binks, and like that's the one common denominator of why someone like hates this movie, and I. I think I can get past it. it yeah, might at, at the end of the day, we, I, I get. First, I mean, as, you know, as, as, as critical as we, we've been on, as far as Jar Jar Binks, I can go look past it. It was not to the point where, like, oh, right. yeah. it on, didn't ruin the movie. Yeah, it didn't thing. ruin the, the, the. It didn't make it better for sure. Yeah, but <laughs> like when I was a kid watching it, I remember it didn't really bother me. It's just now as an adult, it's just kind of annoying. Like I was somewhere between ten and fifteen when I saw it, probably, and I remember being fine with it. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like it didn't, but I remember it didn't also being okay with Jake Lloyd's portrayal of Anakin too. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now like, you watch it as a grown up, and you're like, mm, yeah, yeah. As I as I've gotten older, like Anakin and Jar Jar have switched. I'm more annoyed by Anakin than than Same. Jar Jar. Yeah. yeah. Like if if you change Anakin, I could forgive Jar Jar. If you write Jar Jar better, I could forgive Anakin. Um, you know, give or take. Um, real quick though, you know, speaking of taking things out of the movie, we got to talk about the Phantom edit. So regarding the Phantom edit. A fan edit of the movie called Star Wars Episode 1.1, The Phantom Edit, started making its way around in about 2001. Uh, this version of the movie was heavily edited down, removing a lot of what was considered filler in The Phantom Menace, cutting the movie short by about 20 minutes. Most of Jar Jar's scenes were removed. Uh, according to a BBC article, the cut of the film was made by an anonymous fan calling himself the Phantom Editor. Um, at first, it was thought that Kevin Smith was the original editor of the movie, but it was later revealed to be a man named Mike J. Nichols. Uh, according to the same BBC article, Jan Cole, a spokesperson for Lucasfilm, said at the time that, quote, at the end of the day, this is just about everybody having fun with Star Wars and that the company wouldn't pursue legal action against him. Um, since then, there have been numerous fan edits of the prequels, with some combining all three movies into a single film. Um, Mugga, you talked about this in pre-production, but um, Topher Grace, he even produced an edit of his own, editing down all three prequel movies to just 85 minutes. According to Inverse.com, he privately screened this version of the prequels one time and one time only in 2012. And uh, in the article, Slash Film's Peter Scaretta says, quote, Topher was able to completely tell the main narrative of Anakin Skywalker's road from Jedi to Sith. What's better is that the character motivations are even more clear and identifiable. A real character arc not bogged down by pod races, galactic senates, Jar Jar Binks, politics, or most of the needless parts of the Star Wars prequels. It not only clarifies the story, but makes the film a lot more action-packed." End quote. Another prominent edit is the anti-cheese edit done by YouTuber Jeremy M. West Esquire. Um, that removed a lot of Jar Jar, changed the Nemoidians' voices to make them sound less racist, and removing midi-chlorians entirely, as well as the fact that Anakin was born to a virgin mother. So those are the fan edits we got of, you know, the prequels. Have any of you seen any of these fan edits? I, I, I've, been, I've been meaning I've to, but I have not seen any of them yet. I have never watched one. Nah, never seen them. Just another random fact, kind of forgot about that fact that Anakin built C-3PO. Does that seem like random to any of you? Like, I don't seem very unnecessary. That annoyed the shit out of me yeah. as a kid. I didn't need an origin for C-3PO like Do that. you think they needed that just to get C-3PO in? Because obviously R2-D2 and C-3PO are yeah. in all of them, right? Yeah. And that's really the only two, well, I guess Obi-Wan, but maybe they just added it to... I think that's Get what the prequel there? trilogy gets bogged down with is that I think they do a lot of things for fan service. It's not done, it's not executed. Like it's, they do just to do it kind of I like. I will say, I think that's the problem when you get fandoms like this because yeah. they create, and we talked about this a lot when we did Fantastic Beasts. I think you make a lot of decisions that are influenced by what the fans will think instead of just creating a good story. That's why you'll never please anybody is because you're making decisions based on things other than storytelling. Mm -hmm. And it should only be about the story. Create a good story. Yeah. That's it. Like, I don't mind the way R2 is introduced. He's the last 
you know, astromech to survive the laser blast. Mm -hmm. You know, he survived. Okay, now we got R2. C-3PO, like you're saying, TJ, I feel like it was all fan service, and it actually makes the universe smaller. You needed Darth Vader, of all people, to build C-3PO. C-3PO couldn't just be like a droid that they ran into on Coruscant. He's shiny gold. He couldn't just be one of Amidala's droids. Right. Like servants or something. That would have made so much more sense if yeah, he because, was yeah, his started off as her golden droid. Yeah, like his personality is like that of a butler. Why is he right. working with the slave? boy like he should be on the royal ship and then isn't it in episode three like with one line of dialogue like oh wipe these droids memories and it's like okay well that's why they don't know where they come from it's like (laughs) really like it's just i don't know a lot of it's shoved in there to kind of make the whole franchise make sense but yeah i agree and the first one was like why did they just left him out to begin with like why choose another droid he didn't need to be in it yeah yeah Yeah. and they do this throughout the movie because i mean even they they introduce jabba the hut in the pod racing yeah it's like Oh, yeah. But I <laughs> I do not mind how they introduced R2-D2, making him like the oh, hero yeah. of the droids oh, yeah. that are sitting down. Yeah. I thought it was great in that. You, you guys didn't really didn't like the no. Jabba the Hutt reference, though? Like, I, don't the reference, the, like, I, I don't mind they, the Jabba hey, the Hey, they gamble. It's just chaos. They're all... The Jabba the Hutt didn't really... Yeah. I, I understand. That that was like, there's no need that... Anakin Skywalker had to create C three PO, and then like the whole I like, can't see and, like, and, and completely ignores or acknowledges it in four, five, and six. Like. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, our next movie is uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, released May 16th, 2002, directed by George Lucas. It stars Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDiarmid, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and Frank Oz. Uh, the critics, 66% of them liked it on Rotten Tomatoes, giving it an average score of 6.6 out of 10. 56% of the audience liked it, giving it a 3.37 out of 5. Its budget was uh, 150 million. It's open a weekend and made 80 million. Its domestic gross was 310.6 million and its total worldwide gross was 656.7 million. How do we feel about I, I want to ask one question. Two. So, no, no, that's how we feel. <laughs> do you guys also agree with the critics putting this above Phantom Menace? Because I do not Yep. Really? No. I just want to know why. Like, why is this? I'm going to say it right now. Like, this is the worst Star Wars. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And I like it. I like it in a sense. And and we'll get into it in a sense. But I I just don't understand how this is better than The Phantom Menace. Well, my reaction after seeing it for the first time, I I feel like it it was amazing. I know it hasn't aged well by any means. No, No. it has aged well by any means. But when I I walked out of here the first time I saw it, I thought, wow, this is is amazing. Because I feel like there is more scenes in this movie that are just irrelevant to the entire oh, Star yeah, Wars it, it, plot it, it, as in, opposed in, to Phantom Menace. In, in hindsight, I mean, looking back and after, after we were watching it a few times, like, it's just... It drags, I'm not but saying it, I dislike it, but there's a couple scenes where I'm like, yeah. really? We do not need but this But right that's going to be a common trend with a episodes sequel, 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, yeah it's... It's kind of the same ongoing trend. To me, episode one is a movie I genuinely like with parts in it that I don't like, whereas to me, episode two is a movie I don't really like with parts in it that I do enjoy. There are good scenes, but yeah. there are some scenes where I'm like, this is stupid right now. There's yeah. no point to this like when entire Obi- sequence. When Obi-Wan is on his like detective beat and he goes to a space diner trying to like pump the cook <laughs> for information, I'm just like, like, what the hell am I watching? Okay, this movie wastes time. It does. Because the first movie, you have to meet Anakin. Yeah. You have to set things up in this pre-Empire universe. The third movie, you have to wrap a lot of that shit up. So whatever the fuck you're doing in the second movie, 
needs to set up the third one, evolve things from the first one, and give us as much story as you can so that the third one has something to do. And I feel like this movie wastes so much fucking time. It does things in a way that we all kind of agree are irrelevant to the entire saga, not even this movie or the trilogy, the entire saga of Star Wars. Some of the shit in this movie is totally fucking irrelevant. To bring up your point about C-3PO from the past one, I feel like we're making the universe small with some of the decisions that we make, you know, bringing in Jango Fett, you know, the way, um, you know, the clone troopers came to be. Off mic, TJ, you were talking about about, you know, do clone troopers become stormtroopers? You know, like there's a lot of things that, you know, like episode one, aren't taken advantage of or fully fleshed out or waste time. But like this movie, it's like criminal to what effect it does it. I think the worst parts of this movie for me is the love story. It's cringeworthy, some of these parts, when they're rolling around in the grass yeah. or they're <laughs> yeah. out Aww. looking over the water. Talking about Young sand. The yeah, it's, space sheep. I mean, I... <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you say? The space sheep. Yeah, yeah right. It's bucked off a giant yeah. space sheep. And they roll around laughing and he like tricks her and haha, I'm not really hurt. And it's just like, <laughs> fuck man, like, are we... Are you but kidding me? I, I read, though, that the original movie, George Lucas was displeased that it focused a lot on Obi-Wan doing his detective stuff, whatever. So they did the reshoots to incorporate more of this love story. And that's why it does seem so forced in. I don't, I, am I wrong on that? I, I remember you telling I me yeah. that. And if that's true, then that... that it's that's, very, very transparent that that's what's going on. Yeah, you know? so like, Obi-Wan drives the plot of this movie, yes. like, essentially. Right. And, you know, like you're saying, like, George Lucas... He's like, oh shit, I don't have anything for Anakin to do. Oh, but he's got to bone the fucking queen, so or the senator now. I didn't know queens could be elected. We gotta. Honestly, he's, that whole thing is weird. Though. Yeah, just, just okay. Let's let's talk about that. Leave her as the queen. Leave her as the fucking queen. Like, why does she have to get bumped down to senator? Like, why is this? In a, also, why is the queen elected? That's the opposite. That's of That's so queen. stupid. Why is she? Just leave she her. She serves as, two terms as queen, and then they reelected a new queen. Uh, We talk about the love story, Jay. That could have been done so much better. We talk about Anakin not doing anything. Episode five does this better than this movie. If the two of them have to fall in love, put them in a stressful situation in which they have to be forced to interact with each other. Like Han and Leia. Like Han and Leia. Can I play devil's advocate and say, is the love story needed? Because obviously the Jedi are not supposed to fall in love. It's sort of a forbidden thing. Does that play a part in his overall descent into the dark side? I think think it's necessary. I think think you're right. So then is a love story necessary in episode two to show that he's sort of butting heads with the Jedi way? I'm not saying I I agree with you completely, but just the way that they do it. Oh, okay. It's cringeworthy. So it's not the, the plot as much as it's it is the, the execution. The dialogue we, and everything is... We reviewed The Room. This is the same acting when they're acting together as like The Room has in chemistry, right? I like mean, there's no chemistry between Hayden <laughs> Christian and Natalie Portman, like in my sense. they're at the fireplace, like in the dark room, yeah. and she has like the dark... It oh. seems like that scene is just, hey, just check this out. What do you guys think? And they just kept it Remember in, right? when he was like... You're nice and kind and smooth. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> You're tearing me apart by smooth. <laughs> Padme's getting assassinated, right? Bounty hunters chasing her. We'll, we'll talk about all that shit. So they escape Coruscant, right? They go to Naboo of all fucking places. Why? You're supposed to like take the queen in hiding. Why? Go back to your home planet. Go go home. Yeah, what they should do is be like fucking running these bounty hunters or bounty hunter, whoever they decide, is like chasing them. 
that should be the thing. Like a Jedi needs to be assigned to her because only a Jedi can protect her. Not a Jedi needs to be assigned to her so they can go on a fucking like Tinder date, like the entire fucking movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was like a bachelor date, like one of those scenes where yeah. it was just so forced. Yeah, it's just stupid. And like to your point, Jay, it's just like the way they did it is so dumb. Like put them in the shit, like give them shit to do. Like Anakin turns into fucking Darth Vader. He needs to do something in this movie. He needs to be a main character. If he's not that interesting, why is the story about him in the first place? We talk about Qui-Gon kind of taking over what should have been Obi-Wan's kind of presence in the film. I feel like if these two are friends, Anakin and Obi-Wan, I want to see their friendship, which we don't get in this movie at all because Obi-Wan's like a fucking bad parent the entire movie, just bitching and moaning at Anakin every turn he gets. Why not put both Jedi on Padme as detail while they're solving the case while the fucking bounty hunter because like she knows something or she saw something that could help them solve a mystery and then they're both with Padme Anakin and Padme can have their flirtatious thing going on you know while they're dodging danger and all that other shit but like the plot moves forward we don't need them out rolling in the fucking grass. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. And eating fucking CGI pears. <laughs> yeah, as he floats it across. <laughs> and then what does she, she does she not bite before it gets into her mouth? And I think she has to use utensils to cut it. Right? Why can't he just use the force and cut it for her? You just send it to her. Just, yeah. just here you go. Like I got it for you. you know? Yeah. Um, one thing you also see. So we we get an, a much older Anakin, and obviously they, they cast a different actor than Jake Lloyd, but. Don't you feel like in this movie he feels like he's more whiny? He's like he's a bigger kid than he was. Oh, for sure, yeah. 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 yeah that was a it, giant complaint about yeah, that. How like, whiny he was. like can he we go the rat. casting in this though? Who was supposed to be, or not supposed to be, but who was offered the role of this? Who? I read Leonardo DiCaprio was offered the role. Really? Wow. Yes. I could see that. And, I really like And Hayden. he was coming off Titanic, but I think coming off Titanic, he was such a heartthrob and that he wanted to be known as a serious actor, so I think he turned it down. Okay. Yeah, which is. Which I think I'm wondering if this goes different. There's Leonardo DiCaprio on there. No, because I don't I, think so either. I think he probably like maybe he says that. I think he looked at it as like, no, I'm not doing this. I think yet. he would have right he would have acted better, but the script is still shit. It's, it's still I really shit. liked Hayden though. In this I don't think role. it's his fault. I just I think, think the movie no. is what it is. I mean, I still I like it. I'm not saying I, I mean, dislike it. Episode three, it, I thought it was good. If I, I stand correct, I think this was one of his earliest roles or one of his first I, roles. I don't know what Hayden Christensen did his before only this. roles. I don't well, know. he did yeah, Jumper after after Star Wars. Because yeah, he, he Jumper and I, but what else did he do? He did. He took a huge break from acting. I think after he Star Wars. Yeah, he did Shattered Glass. And then he did uh, Life as a House. Those are like two like Before indie drama. Star Wars. No, no, this was I think after Episode Two. He did have he did have like more like How the drama. How did he land Anakin? Then I mean I don't. They had that whole um, featurette on Episode Two. Like George Lucas was looking for somebody with like a youthful James Dean type right. presence. That's kind of what he said. He felt like Hayden Christensen was able to play like the boyish parts, but also have that dark, menacing side to him, which I think he does well enough under the direction that he's given which I feel isn't that good with the script that is not that good and I think in the hands of a better director or better screenwriter he could have pulled off a much better role because I've seen um, I think Shattered Glass where he's like a news reporter or something like that I've seen that movie and he's good in it you know I've seen Jumper and it's not the best movie but I think he does well with what he's given yeah, yeah. I agree I, I watched Jumper I thought it was better was, than his I think performance was, in this one I think he was also in Takers it was definitely a better acting job than he did in, in this film I mean I like the, the clones and all that kind of stuff being explained a little bit even though you're still kind of left with questions mm-hmm. I liked seeing Django fed. There's some of the, I mean, some of this movie I like, but what really just, again, I rewatched these over the weekend 
And when I got to those love scene parts, that's what just killed it for me. I just, mm-hmm. I can't get into it. And you're probably right, Kermit. It's just bad, you know, writing. Yeah. Um, one thing, though, um, you know, you kind of brought up casting or whatever. So other people that were kind of up for the role were um, uh, Jonathan Brandis, Ooh. Uh, Ryan Phillippe, uh, mm-hmm. Colin Hanks, uh, and uh, Paul Walker. Colin Hanks? Really? Yeah. And Colin Paul Hanks Walker. was Paul Walker. Colin yeah. Hanks is the is Tom Hanks' son. He's in um, Orange oh. County. Okay. Yeah. A couple other movies. Okay, I think yeah. he was in um, King Kong. But okay. yeah, that's interesting. That's Ryan Phillippe might might have been a good one. Yeah, that would have been cool. That would yeah. be cool because I mean he did a great job. This is, they Paul been... Walker is too much of a Paul Walker. He wouldn't like you can't do that. You what know? else is he? Paul Walker. Well, no, I'm saying time. like he's too much of Fast and Furious. Like I. Fast and Furious came out in 2001, right? Yeah, he was doing okay. a lot of teams. Like, he did, like, She's All That. You know, he, he did do that. Yeah. Ryan Phillippe, though, that guy was in... Um, Cruel what? Intentions. And I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. But and I think he came out with Hayden Christensen. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blame George Lucas on this. Like, whatever. You have to. There's yeah. no other one to yeah. blame on this. But I know? think we just waste so much time in this movie. This movie sets up a lot of things that don't get resolved in episode three. Like, we're introduced to, like, Count Dooku out of the fucking blue yeah should have been Darth Maul Christopher Lee's an amazing actor um, you know he's definitely got presence on screen you know his voice everything like that but like once again you come into a situation where it's like there's a lot of lost potential in that role and when you think about it like it's a really interesting role because it's just like this is a dude who was a member of the Jedi right who left who voluntarily left right. and don't you think there's like a possible narrative to be kind of explored with um you know why people would leave the order like what is it about the order that caused him to leave sure as opposed to just like oh now i'm the leader of the fucking separatists separatists that we get like zero exposition for that we don't care about at least in the original trilogy we knew who the governors were we knew who the emperor was we knew who you know the officers the stormtroopers darth vader was right in this movie like we have the nemoidians that we really didn't give a fuck about from the first movie and this old guy that came out of nowhere we we have no setup for the these antagonists going forward in the clone wars what what are we what are we doing here everything in this movie that is of any importance happens at the end of the movie that's all it is like in the last 20 minutes of the movie blink you said there's a lot of useless parts in episode one, right? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's more in episode two? Because I feel like there's yeah, way more. Yes, but they're not two. drawn out as I think as bad as like I said the pod racing. And, okay, and, well yeah. speaking of like being drawn out, you don't think like the Blade Runner car chase scene at the beginning of oh, the yeah, movie is I mean, drawn out? Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. Well, I, I like what, that part. I think I, I don't mind that part. I think what it's about, drawn out too? Yeah. What about Padme and everyone in that factory that they're producing? What metal or whatever yeah. they're doing? I think more droids droids battle droids. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just like, this is just so stupid. That was long too. His head replaced by one or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's that, yeah. you know. And okay, it's so like, it's just the dumbest shit in the world. So that whole universe, sequence, galaxy, whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that whole sequence where they're playing like I don't know, like Super Mario Brothers or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> yes, they're playing Space Frogger or whatever it's, it is. That was added after principal photography. So George Lucas called Hayden and Natalie in and it was just like, hey, we got to film a sequence and they, they were just on blue screen all day. Mm-hmm. Not knowing what they were doing. Had huh? no fucking idea what they're doing. That scene is not even supposed to be in the movie. I, it it needs post, to be gone. Yeah, it was be, post yeah. also the giant reveal where we saw R2-D2 has rockets and can fly? Oh, I was like, he <laughs> Like the guy for the original trilogy does not use his rockets one time. Right. But here, it's like, let's go and use them in two and three. Maybe it's like that, was, that was the big reveal was <laughs> he, can, he can fly and we saw Yoda fight. How did you feel about Yoda getting down? Okay. I remember being I would love over the moon when I was a kid. hear your guys' opinion on CGI Yoda. You could tell it's CGI. I for get sure. it. Yeah. But 
I think you finally get to see what he's capable of because when you see this puppet, you know, and you're like, yeah. this is the badass. Like, right. I think you finally see why he is Yoda. And I love the lightsaber scene, especially when he comes up. And I, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's, it's it's very off-putting that he comes, like, he kind of wobbles in. He's like a cripple. And then all of a sudden you see him doing these, jumping around. And just, you know, I love it. I, I think it's great. And see, then he uses the force to get his cane. Force. I think yeah. it's great. Again, like when I was watching it in the theater, everybody was fucking going nuts. Oh, for yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then... And then now, even now, watching, I'm just like, it's fine. Yeah, like, it's I, okay. It's I fine. just wish that it was maybe a combination of puppetry and CGI, maybe bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, which better. I feel like is something that they can do now, not necessarily what maybe. 10, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah, but I'm still glad we got to see it though. Everyone yeah. loved, everyone loved it. You're right. In the theater, yeah. everyone went. And, and even now, watching, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I, I don't hate it. Like, yeah, it's it's all right. You know. And then the other thing too, like George Lucas mentioned, like um, we have to do the fight in this movie to kind of gauge people's reactions so that we don't like jump the shark in the third movie from a narrative perspective yeah typically you would save this fight like yoda fighting till the most important movie right but he's just like we have to do it now so that people don't think it's silly in the third one Mm -hmm. and i i respect that kind of yeah i I agree yeah and the other thing too like you know we talk about yoda that puppet in episode one looks god awful it's not as good as an empire it looks fucking i don't know what version you saw tj but was yoda a puppet in episode one when you watched it i can't remember Earlier versions of episode one, Yoda is a puppet and he looks like a puppet instead of being like a more. I don't remember it being like noticeably different. Oh, but it's like bad, like compared to the Empire puppet. It's like super bad. So they went back and made him CGI to kind of match his look in um, two and three. I probably saw the CGI one. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I like that fight. I will say this, like this probably has to have like the most underwhelming ending of any Star Wars movie. You know, you have the badass Dooku and Yoda fight. Before that, you have what I consider like the worst fight in Star Wars. It's Dooku versus Anakin and Obi-Wan, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Which ends in Anakin also like Luke getting his hand cut off. Oh, yeah. God, so many hands are cut so off. So many hands, man. <laughs> yeah, so this many This is the hands. second well, hand in this one, right? You're not even yeah. gonna bring up yeah. Jenga Ofet and Mace Windu and it's just like... Okay, that was know. badass. But you did, I just like But Jango's a piece of shit. He doesn't do anything. Thing, and you kill him off. Like The Fett family dies so horribly. Like, it's just like <laughs> these guys get no... No I, fucking respect. They don't at all. Yeah, I mean, it, he's the clone of all clones, you know? Like, I don't... Also, like, what has Jango Fett done? really like he doesn't do anything this whole movie because like he hires another bounty hunter to kill Padme yeah you are a bounty hunter why don't you (laughs) kill Padme Jango Fett kind of ruins the movie because like he works for the separatists but he's also the template for the fucking clones like you don't think anybody put those together like hey all these clones look like the guy that was trying to kill Padme. Yeah, except yeah. that both were orchestrated by the Emperor. Supreme right, Chancellor. So that could kind of get overlooked that way. No, but it's just like Yoda goes to Kamino. Yeah, no, that part, yeah. Yeah, like, for the, yeah, for why the. Yeah, like uh, Yoda Jedi goes to it. Kamino. He gets the transmission from Obi Wan saying, like, yeah, I found the bounty hunter. He's named Jango Fett, and they're cloning him. And then Yoda goes to Kamino and's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll I'll take the the clones and go to Geonosis. Like nobody nobody bats an eye at that shit. Obi Wan. And then we get to the fucking you know clone battle, and he gets his ass beat by Mace, which is fine. Mace Windu's like the best swordsman yes. of the Jedi, which makes perfect sense from mm-hmm. a narrative perspective. But like Jango doesn't do shit. Like the only time he has any sort of like 
I guess, cool scene is when he fights Obi-Wan. Which but is a pretty cool scene. It's a, it's a cool fight. Like, I'm glad that we got some hand-to-hand shit. And I love that, like, most of it was practical. They had, like, real rain coming down on the set. So I wonder, how do you feel about the world Camino? I, I loved that world. I Dog. think it was so cool. Just amazing, you know? Yeah. And then, does Boba Fett need to be a clone? Like... Does Jango Fett need to be the template for all the clone troopers? It's so muddy. And then you have like the whole Sifo-Dyas angle. This Jedi master that commissioned the clones that we never find out about Can in episode three. Okay, this is my thing. So I didn't miss anything. That just was not explained. Never See, I, I had a huge part of that watching episode two of like, did I miss something? Especially like when Dooku got introduced and like you're saying with the Jedi master. My whole thing watching that movie was like, did I sleep on something? <laughs> so there's no explanation. No explanation. George Lucas doesn't explain a lot of shit that happens in this movie. Like like a that's lot like of, one of the only things that I felt like was like left open, for me at least, who ordered this army. And, you know, we can write it off and say, like, you know, obviously Sidious did it. Why introduce this tertiary character right. when you, you have Dooku as your pawn already? I was confused when I first watched this about the clones. Like, are these going to be stormtroopers or what are these going to yeah. be, too? Yeah. I feel like I, that's another question, at least when I initially watched this, I was left with as well. And the worst part is they're not stormtroopers. They don't become stormtroopers. I don't know if you guys like read or watch any expanded universe shit, but like the stormtroopers and look, Star Wars fans, if I get this wrong, whatever. You heard the disclaimer. They're brutal. They're brutal. Yeah, you heard the disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. They were decommissioned and then they went straight into hiring humans to be stormtroopers, basically is what happened. And like if you watch the... uh, the Star Wars Rebels cartoon that was on Disney, you can actually see some of the clones, like they aged out or whatever. They've kind of been replaced with these like less efficient human troopers. The only reason I asked that is because in the first trailer for the first Disney movie, what was it called? Uh, Force, Awakens. Force, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Finn takes off his Stormtrooper helmet in the trailer. And everyone at the time was like really concerned because they were like, I thought these were all clones. And so that's why I thought like maybe they had become clones. I don't know. No, again, I think that's one of those things that's not super explained well, where you have to kind of dig and research to find out the answer to that. Why not just take the fucking easy route and just say, like, yo, they're clones. Yeah, we changed the uniform and now they're clones. Yeah, they're clones. Their, uni- their uniforms change. Because, like, when you get to episode three, like, their helmets look like Stormtrooper helmets. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, the easiest fucking way to get to, you know, the original trilogy is just saying, like, this is where Stormtroopers come from. Mm-hmm. End of story. But it's it's like you're overcomplicating things that don't need to be so complicated. Well, especially when you're going to have them be so efficient and a better force in these movies compared to the to the original trilogy, uh, where they're a little more clumsy. Especially if you watch any of the cartoons, they're just way more organized, way more of a military you know strike force. Yeah, they're like SEAL Team Six, right? Like, but and when you get to like Episode Four, they're like kids that can't hit the target. Yeah, you're lucky if any of them can hit any side of a barn. Yeah, it's so stupid. Um, and then, you know, what else is stupid? As much as people shit on the politics, politics might be the most interesting thing in this movie because it's like the uh, only, it's yeah, the only like thread. It. I think yeah. it's the only I think thread. it's needed, right? Yeah. I mean, you need it. That's what draws all this together, right? I mean, any war is based on politics to begin with, right? Yeah. I don't think it's appropriate to kind of shit on these three movies for including the politics. Is like we said last movie, like this entire three movie trilogy is specifically about Palpatine's rise to power yeah. and, the, and amassing power and all that other shit so like this is just the next step in that I'm gonna create this war between two sides that I both own 
you know, I'm already head of the separatists or whatever. What I need to do is rise to the top of the Republic. And I think that's an interesting thread. The only problem with this movie, that's kind of resolved right before Yoda gets the, the army or whatever. It doesn't feel like it has the intrigue of the first one, him trying to amass power. It just feels like, oh, there's a vote coming up. Okay, now I need emergency powers. Whereas the first one, there's this whole plot to like remove Valorum. Yeah have the the vote the vote of no confidence having the blockaded Naboo like everything was about him amassing power and in this movie like that shit just kind of happens it doesn't right. feel like the plot is about that shit the guy that gives him his power though Jar Jar Binks Jar Jar Binks is the one that pleads with the Senate uh, his uh, Delo Felegates to give uh, Chancellor Palpatine emergency powers uh, you know leading up into the Clone War Obviously, we know Jar Jar Binks has a very reduced role. We see him at the beginning, kind of meets Anakin or whatever, talks to Padme, I believe. And then, like, you really don't see him for the rest of the movie, except for when they're having that kind of political dialogue. When they're having that kind of conversation in, like, uh, like Palpatine's quarters and all that other stuff. And Palpatine, or um, what's the blue guy? Masameda? The, with the uh, yeah, horns yeah, yeah. yeah he's just like oh if only someone oh I could. hate that guy dude I fucking hate him the, was he the we will have order guy yeah he's such a oh, yeah I don't Andy. I don't like him but um how do you guys feel about Jar Jar's role being cut back because there's some stuff I want to get into but I want to hear you guys opinions I understand why his role was cut back because you know the backlash episode one had but I don't know I, I feel like he if you played him up so much in episode one he, he should still have some kind of pivotal role in the film it does leave me like wondering if like in lucas's ideal world if jar jar didn't get so much backlash if he would have played a more pivotal role in the second and possibly third movie yeah because he's part of that main group of protagonists right in that first it, movie or if it was part of kind of like a rewrite yeah um so fun fact you know how um return of the jedi or empire i forget which one had the code name blue harvest as like its secret name episode two's secret title was Jar Jar's Big Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To avoid. No, not to avoid shit. Just to be just like... To a, be a just, yeah, just to be a dick. Just to be a dick, kind okay. of. Mm. Yeah, it was called Jar Jar's Big Adventure or something like that. We talk a lot in episode one about is George like placating to the audience... And I feel like this is like the opposite of that, right? Like reducing someone's role or reducing a, a role in the movie because the audience had a backlash in the original film. It's like the opposite of like adding in extra stuff just to please people. Yeah, and that is a total like fan reaction thing. Like you can you can feel episode two, Jar Jar shows up. He probably has like three minutes of screen time total. Episode three, like he is non-existent except for two scenes. Like you you feel it and you know that the fan backlash had something to do with that. Right. Do you think it was rewritten like that though? Because what is he supposed to do? Like in episode two, like go with Obi-Wan or yeah, because he's not a he's not a, a senator now, right? Yeah, he's not a Han Solo type character where like we need him on an adventure. Like he's a clumsy dude. He's not a fighter. He's not a warrior. What does he do that warrants him going on this adventure? And I think that's two things. Do you want to take this goofy ass character with you? Probably not. You leave him on the bench. But I also think it's a lot of fan backlash that took him out of the movie. As you're saying that, I feel like there was less of that in this uh, prequel as opposed to the original trilogy where it was sort of buddy. You had like a group, you know, Leia, Han, Chewie, the robots, Luke. And this one, you know, it's they're just not that likable comparatively. Like it's yeah, it's Annie and Padme. And honestly, Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor is probably the best casting in the entire movie as Obi-Wan. 
uh, the most likable. But again, like, you know, and then Jar Jar, who we know had enormous back. Actually, you don't have that chemistry. You don't have that group of friends that you're rooting for to go through this together. But in the original trilogy, they all had purpose. Right, exactly. Again, so yep. just better writing, better And everything. Jar Jar had a purpose in the first one. Like, he had a purpose. Mm-hmm. But in this one, he doesn't. Because you're not going to take this this guy with you to go to this one planet you came and find in the archives. Like, and you're, you're not going to take him to Naboo, because what if Padme falls in love with him? <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't want to say that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Did you see the tongue in episode one? <laughs> you know what's on Padme's mind? She's like, Ooh. hmm. <laughs> no, but um, and, and that's a good point that you bring up, you guys. Um, these prequels do not have a core cast of heroes that we follow around. In this movie, or in the first movie, you had Qui-Gon Jinn, you had Padme, you had Anakin, you had Obi-Wan, and you, know, you had R2. In this movie... Anakin and Obi-Wan aren't together at all. Right. And they never interacted really in the first movie. So, like, would they even be a team? Padme stuck with Anakin. She wasn't really with him at all, aside from Tatooine. And then R2's off with Padme and Anakin doing what? Being, like, a chaperone to, like, space prom or something? I don't get it. (laughs) And it's just... And then 3PO doesn't show up till halfway in the movie till they go back to Tatooine. Like... This core group of characters that we see in a lot of movies, whether it's like Marvel, Lord of the Rings, any sort of franchise where you have sequels like Doc and Marty, like there's no there's no solidified team that exists throughout the entire franchise, at least right. from the prequel side. So it's just like there's this disconnect where it's like you don't really give a fuck about what's happening to any of these people. What I would say is that in the original trilogy, there were the core group of people, but those core group of people were not always together. But however, core group, however though, yeah. they were working towards the same goal, just separately. Mm-hmm. I think what we see in the prequel trilogy is that there are main people that you see over and over again. However, there are different goals for each group. And I think that's what splits our attention a little bit because now it's not just about destroying the Death Star. Now it's also, you know, we're fighting the Separatist movement. We're fighting the Chancellor. We're fighting Anakin. And it's just it's just a lot of uh, separate uh, goals that are in play that I think makes it feel like it's not as much of a team. Yeah, right. To where if it was like Anakin, the only one with a separate motive moving against the team, like it might seem more impactful or more. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Or kind of how we talked about, like, just put them all together. Like, let them yeah. all go to Camino. Let them all go to Geonosis. Like, just stick them all together so we kind of feel that. Because, like, when we talk about the old trilogy, like, episode four, they're all together. Like, right. after they meet Leia, they're all together. When they get to episode five to raise the stakes, you split them up because why? Because the individuals are weaker that way. They're more vulnerable that way. You get more character development that way. It allows them to go on their own individual journeys so that those journeys converge in the third movie. With this one, these guys kind of sort of meet up because you kill Qui-Gon, who you might argue might be the main protagonist of episode one based on how things are set up. If you look at it that way, you kill him. And then in episode two, his shadow doesn't linger. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't linger over the narrative. So it's just like, how important was he? And then you split up Anakin and Obi-Wan the entire movie 
The only time they're, the, they're together, they're bickering and Obi-Wan's bitching at him the whole time. Even when they get to Geonosis and they rescue him, it's like, we came to rescue. And he's just like, huh, good job. You know, even when they fight Dooku, they don't even work together well. So yeah. it's just like, nothing is happening to make me feel like this core group of characters are going on important separate journeys that matter to the narrative to only converge at the end. I just kind of feel it's like George just didn't do a good job of writing out a plot that allowed us to care and allowed them to kind of play off of each other. But kind of getting back to Jar Jar, this is something I want to talk about because we talk about Jar Jar's reduced role in fan reaction. So there's a theory out there called the Darth Jar Jar theory. I've seen this, yeah. Yeah. Back in 2015, a Reddit user by the name of uh, uh, Lumparoo. <laughs> Say that again. Uh, oh, sorry. Lumpawaru. My yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, posed a theory that Jar Jar is actually a trained force user and Sith collaborator working with Palpatine to overthrow the Republic. Uh, Lampa Waru compares Jar Jar's movements to those of practitioners of drunken boxing and side by side they're almost identical so if you look at like the, the GIF animations yes I say GIF that's how I say it GIF if you want to say GIF, GIF get over it yeah get over it yeah if you put them side by side he does the literal movements of a drunken boxer standing up on his hands doing the meditative stance all that other stuff like when he kicks the droid around in the final battle you can watch a, a gif of somebody doing that exact same kind of movement so there's that so this puts forth the theory that jar jar isn't just some idiot that gets lucky he's actually a skilled fighter disguising his skill in combat as buffoonery at integral moments in the film like when jar jar gets promoted to general or when suggestion that Palpatine gets emergency powers, you can see him waving his arms in his hands in what Lumpawaru describes as Jedi or Sith mind tricks. But what about also when they're on his planet in Naboo, but in his city, you see him do some sort of gesture, right, that makes them go through the planet core, right? Is it like, hey, this is his master plan? Because I've, I've seen the video that you're talking about, right? Am I yeah. right on that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty trippy. And see, this is what I love. Like, this is what I, when there's enough vagueness of it for almost the fans to kind of say, because like now watching this and it almost makes me want to go back and like watch it and just be like and you have to because like yeah. with this with these theories in mind that's what makes it rewatchable like this is the first time I'm hearing of it and I love this theory yeah like you're kind of watching it like if only if only yeah right. like, honestly yeah I can't get on board that that was Lucas's plot but it, yeah I don't come in with, at all no there's no, yeah. way. there's no way but to yeah. come in but to come in with it to where there's enough vagueness where a fan theory can kind of almost fly like that that's that's fun that makes it fun again to watch yeah and then Lumpawaru, uh, he puts the, f or, or she, like they put forth the evidence that since Jar Jar and Palpatine are from the same planet, there is a chance that they knew each other prior to the events of episode one and may have even trained together. Jar Jar might have possibly been planted on Naboo on purpose in order to run into Qui-Gon Jinn specifically after he escapes from the blockade. Um, Lumpawaru also quotes George Lucas, you know, speaking on Yoda, about Yoda, George Lucas says, um, quote, Yoda comes from a tradition of mythological storytelling of the hero finding a little creature on the side of the road that seems very insignificant and not very important, but who turns out to be the master wizard or the master thing. Citing George's intentional rhyming storytelling style in regards to the prequel and the original trilogy, Jar Jar is also that type of character, but unfortunately he doesn't develop into anything. Uh, he also hypothesizes that Jar Jar was put into the prequel stories to be the dark side equivalent of Yoda and that he uh, was supposed to have a bigger reveal in episode two or three as a partner of Palpatine. 
But after the backlash towards the character, George Lucas kind of scrapped those plans and lessened Jar Jar's role dramatically and cites the shoehorn Count Dooku as proof. You know how we talk about Count Dooku just pops up out of nowhere? This might have been a role that Jar Jar was supposed to fulfill. You know, whatever role Jar Jar was supposed to play, you know, that was taken over by Dooku. You can find more information on this at a DarthJarJar.com, but it's a pretty it's a pretty like well researched and thought out theory that is kind of interesting. Do I believe it's true? I don't believe all that is true, but I do feel like something Jason you brought up when George Lucas says like Jar Jar is the key to all this. I feel like Jar Jar was supposed to have some sort of bigger role leading down the line. Yeah, when you're saying these theories now, it kind of makes sense that maybe there was something more he was supposed to do. But But again, you know, in my mind, again, you create a character. If it's a pivotal role, it's a pivotal role. Who cares what people think? He didn't care about anything when he created the first one, you know, as we talked about. So it just seems weird to me that he would like do an about face just because there's some backlash against this character. And this is his baby. You know how he fought for it, like against the studios back in the 70s and 80s when he was making the original trilogy? Why back down now? Yeah. People want to see episode. If there was two. any time to back down, it was episode four. Yeah, like when you were trying to get this made. Yeah, it's just like, like people, now you have already proven success. Yeah, like people were gonna see two regardless. Yeah, like you're already one movie in. Tell your fucking narrative. It might be great. Don't change it just because some people got pissed off. I mean, the way, way you present that theory, I would actually appreciate it more because then it would feel like all three movies in the prequel trilogy kind of have had a plan in mind because the way it's set up, the final product that we got, I feel like George made the first one and didn't really plan for the second one. And then when the second one came out, he didn't plan for the third. He just kind of like start from scratch and but come Blaine, up. And, do you actually think that he made the first one without thinking there was going to be a two and three? No, I'm saying he he, he didn't have like a like a rough sketch. Work like, hey, all the details. Like what, here's, what, here's what I want to accomplish amongst all the three. I feel like... Like the first one came out and he just kind of kept it self-contained. He didn't really plan out, here's what I want to accomplish throughout the entire prequel trilogy. I feel like it's a mess. He should have mapped out all three. Correct, yeah. Instead of just writing one at a time. And go back and look at the time frames these movies were released. It's every three years. Yeah. After that, Lord of the Rings, they were combining them, but each movie was a year apart, right? You know, The Matrix, they did. So they had, hey, here's what we're doing. We're going to give you one movie or we're finishing the other one. But... It's a whole plan. Yeah, there's, it's mapped out. Like George Lucas, it took three years for every single movie, you know, to like come out. I mean, the way it's presented, I feel like it wasn't mapped out. I feel like, you know, and I get it, things change and which is fine, but you still have some kind of like a rough sketch of where you want to go and things change in between. I feel like he just, he didn't even have that with his trilogy. Yeah, well, he just, he just kind of like winged it. He's like, I'm a right one. Right two. Let's see what happens right, in yeah. one, then yeah. right two, and then right three. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, I'm going to introduce things that aren't relevant in the later movies, or I'm going to introduce something that isn't relevant no. in the next movie. But even in the documentary you and Jason are talking about, because it's on the bonus footage of episode one, it shows the premiere night of episode one. Everyone's so excited, and it really cuts to like the reaction of all them. Dark fade to him in his little area. He's got a yellow notepad and starts writing episode two so it's like literally like hey here's what episode one so they kind of really don't connect because he he goes right in in this documentary of like hey i'm gonna start writing two now after one is completely done so he could change everything you guys are talking about it's it's really interesting yeah Yeah, it's funny it's just like i feel like he should have just had like a big ass whiteboard or whatever all three and just said like wrote a big line and along the line said these are things that need to happen And then kind of fill in the gaps there and then write accordingly and change things as needed. But what he did was just like, 
all one. What works? All what two. Didn't. Yeah. yeah. All three. Yeah. yeah. And like he didn't he didn't tell like a very cohesive story as far as like I mean we're nitpicking here. That's what we're we here are. to do. Yeah. We are. But and it's I, like and I disagree with you guys. He didn't write a story in which like the small details that he brings up matter. Like there are things that don't but matter. The, but the big things matter. Yeah, the big things matter, okay, and okay, that's yeah. fine. But I, I feel like things. I feel he, like the big th- things are already pre-established. Like that yeah. Anakin is always going to become Vader. That yes. always happens. Yeah, the like Death 10 out of 10. Star is going to be created. Right. Yeah. Padme yeah. is Pat- going to deliver the twins. I did read Luke and Leia like are born. A fifteen-page outline that had all of these big points on them. These major things. But that he did not fully flesh out the details. So I think, yeah, you guys are probably right. Yeah, and he just brings in a lot of things that don't matter. It's just like Sifo-Dyas, Qui-Gon Jinn, C-3PO being built by Anakin. Just all these, you know, Jango Fett being the template for the clones and Boba Fett. Like, did we need Boba Fett in this movie? Did we even need this guy to be a Mandalorian at all? It could have just been some other bounty hunter. Well, it's like you said, small universe, because it ties it in with making him the Clone War template. Okay, but here's the trap that people fall into with prequels this is like do you need to explain everything no like, you really don't do we because we'll talk about it in episode 3 but there's other shit that almost made it in that movie that it's just like did that really need to even be considered like no, can the we best, yeah. the best movies leave you with some assumptions with some yeah it's just questions. like just because it takes place before doesn't mean it needs to explain everything and I, and I feel like the stuff they do in this prequel trilogy kind of goes against what we've established in 4, 5, and 6. It's just like, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't really make sense for, like, in the original trilogy. Like, if Boba Fett had such a strong connection with what's going on, like, his father was killed by Jedi, why isn't there such a greater disdain for, like, the Jedi? Like, As opposed to he's just some random... <laughs> yeah, he's just like a random bounty hunter. It's literally it, 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 a lineup no, that the, Darth the, had. The tie doesn't, doesn't match up with what we already established, so... So frustrated. Yeah. What's, well, like, the it, thing it of, like... It pains me to talk about this stuff because... I always just consider George Lucas's like universe to be like one of the most cohesive universes ever. So it, the fact that we're like poking holes in it is like. But do you think they're valuable, or do you honestly and honestly? Oh no, like no, no, for sure. You guys okay. know more than way more than me, but I um, hate it. We're talking about things that don't need to be in the movie. One thing that didn't make it into the movie was uh, everybody's favorite boy band, In <laughs> Sync. What? <laughs> what? What? All right, now I was an In Sync fan. Who else? I liked NSYNC. <laughs> yeah. Backstreet yeah. Boys or NSYNC? Backstreet Boys. I prefer Backstreet Boys. Okay. NSYNC, yeah. Boys. NSYNC, you guys. Backstreet's oh, bad. Right. As, as a collective group, Backstreet Boys. Backstreet but Boys. as far as individual artists. We're talking about Star Wars. What are you talking about? <laughs> well... Uh, we're going off on tangents. No, no, no. We're <laughs> no, no, this is very relevant. We're staying on topic. Um, so, In Sync was supposed to appear in Attack of the Clones. You're lying. I'm not lying at all. Because when I, did Attack of the Clones come out? 2001. 2002. Yeah. So, yeah. In Sync's height of popularity. High popularity. The height of their yeah. power. I was in middle school, and uh, they were super popular at that time. Uh, so, according to a Huffington Post article, George Lucas's daughters and producer Rip McCallum's Just, daughters, oh shit, yeah, oh, put the pressure on them to put the boy band in the movie. Uh, Lance Bass and uh, Justin Timberlake weren't available to make it, but the rest of the group was. Uh, so they headed over to ILM to film their cameo scenes. Uh, the group was supposed to play Jedi Knights in two scenes uh, during the Geonosis battle and when Obi Wan meets up with Yoda. Uh, they got their robes, they got their Padawan braids, and they shot the scenes that would later be cut from the film. Uh, one where they're pretending to fight the droid Thank army. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Can you believe this? Like, this is really happening right now. Yeah. NSYNC is going to be in this movie? Okay, yes. my guy, you love NSYNC. Stop. Fuck you. I'm a backseat guy, man. 
they shot their two scenes during the Geonosis battle and when Obi-Wan meets up with Yoda, like we said, they got their braids, uh, they got their robes, they got their Padawan braids, and uh, they shot the scenes that would be cut from the film. Uh, one of the scenes they were in, they were pretending to fight the droid army, essentially against like blue or green screen, swinging at air, you know, just pretending to be at the battle. And the other one, they're just, uh, you know, posted up against the wall, kind of talking in the background. So those were the two scenes that they were going to be featured in. I mean, essentially they were extras. Yeah, like, they're they, extras. they weren't. Mm. Yeah, actual part. They yeah. were extra. They were in the background. But see, were, like this is literally what we were talking about. Justifying this, aren't you? Justifying it? <laughs> no, just. <laughs> this is bad. This yeah. is so but bad. This, but this never heard like, this. Life is affecting the artist's vision. Like this is literally what we were just talking about. Where, like yeah. you said, the pressure of his daughter. Like was this totally discredits because that means he was literally going for what you're talking about. His kids, whatever. No, this is bad. Okay, so we talk about how with Jar Jar, TJ, you brought it up, like, um, you know, fan backlash affecting the final product. So rumors got out that NSYNC was going to be in this movie, and of course fans kind of retaliated, and then Lucasfilm kind of cut their shit from the movie, right? So um, uh, after finding out the scenes were cut, you know, Instinct was pretty upset with Joey even confronting George Lucas about it. Uh, Joey Fatone confronting George Lucas. <laughs> Joey, okay, we're on first name basis that's, now. That's like, uh, it's like Logan Paul versus like KSI. <laughs> <laughs> this just reminds me of like a Robot Chicken episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so possible reasons for them being cut, uh, of course, like we said, was the fan reaction. Even though Instinct appearing in the movie was just a rumor, fans like really treated that news harshly like it was so bad to the point that they just said fuck it we're cutting them out um another reason is that because of sag regulations uh screen actors guild uh the band members had to be paid for their appearance as extras and since they weren't paid uh the footage had to be cut but joey says that they actually signed an agreement in order to appear voluntarily and without pay in order for lucasfilm to use their likeness so there shouldn't have been any other reason other than the fan backlash and that's why they didn't make it into the film. So I guess we had to say bye, bye, bye to them, right? <laughs> oh my God, you were saving that one. Yeah. However, however. If they were the Backstreet Boys, would you have liked it? No, oh, no, 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 no. But Lance Bass, didn't he go up in space? No, he tried. He, he tried. tried. <laughs> he tried. Maybe. He tried. He tried. He twice it. his space fantasy was denied. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That Star Wars yeah. Yeah. Actually, Lance Bass and Justin weren't available. He said so. Yeah. He was never going to be in it anyways. Yeah. But why? Why? I understand why Justin Timberlake is not available. Why is Lance not available? Well, like, what has before, he done? This was before like Justin Timberlake broke out, though, isn't it? Before why are we on solo? this tangent? I don't even. <laughs> we're yeah. Here, it's not even a tangent. This is relevant. <laughs> <It> is, uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Favorite NSYNC song. <laughs> it's, it's bye bye bye. I mean, I get it, you know. Like, well, I don't get it, but it's that song. I think I'll go bye bye bye. It's the I, most. I, I it's like the one pop, I get hyped. I like pop. No, pop is my favorite. Uh, no, pop is good. Or girlfriend, girlfriend remix with Nelly. Uh no. Tearing up my heart. Oh, come on, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on right there. Tearing up my heart yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah, I like that but one. But the choreography. Jason, what is your eye. favorite NSYNC song? I, I can't name one. I'm sorry, guys. It's okay. He's like, there's too many yeah, names. Yeah. I guess we're just going to have to go That's through the That's a lie. Catalog. i seen your poster on your closet. <laughs> I right after this. I can't wait, guys. <laughs> yeah. One thing I want to bring up about making the universe smaller and things that don't make sense. We talk about Django Fett, et cetera. C-3PO, when Padme and Anakin go to Tatooine, C-3PO is living and has been living with uh, Klieg Lars, the guy that bought Anakin's mom and married her, freed her and married her. Um, they go there. 3PO is there, right? In A New Hope, 3PO shows up. Doesn't know what's going on. And fucking Uncle Owen 
Joel Edgerton like mm. doesn't know that this is the same droid doesn't recognize doesn't they, doesn't they recognize the droid's memory but they not don't his. his yeah like he would recognize okay there's a 3PO and an R2 showing up at the same time it's like mm. you don't you, nothing clicks for you again because oh. we know there's multiple R2 units from the again even from the first one they say yeah. it's just an R2 droid but C-3PO is supposedly an original piece that Anakin built. No, but Other, at the beginning of episode one, there's a silver protocol droid that looks just like 3PO. So did Anakin. Just, but again, like this is the thing. Like, did Anakin just build a generic protocol droid? Because he didn't have his gold plating when Anakin finished him. And, and here's here's the problem. Like, George Lucas is shrinking the universe and adding things that don't really need to be added. Like, why is C-3PO on Tatooine? And why do these people forget? And let's, you know, we talk about the R2 units, but like every astromech droid has its own designation. Every protocol droid has its own designation that's unique to them. You have R5-D4 and R4 whatever. Like Everybody has their own designation. So you don't think when Uncle Owen, 20-something years later, sees these two exact droids show up from the Jawas when he goes to buy them, like, you don't think something clicks and he's just like, oh, shit, like, these guys are back. Yeah. Also, he didn't even want R2 at the beginning. Yeah, that is true. See, <laughs> people he did want, so maybe that triggered yeah. some memory to him. Because he spoke bocce. <laughs> yeah, that's why. We're on Tatooine. This is where Anakin has his first fully dark side fueled kind of moment. Right. Yeah. Uh, when he finds his mom. He finds his mom. And we got to talk about the dream. You know, he had his his dream or whatever where his mom was in danger or suffering or whatever. Mm-hmm. Goes, finds out, Klieg Lars lost his leg, couldn't find his mom. So he goes out on the speeder bike. We got um, uh, Duel of the Fates playing again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think it's, I think it's an important scene because of what happens in the next movie. Like how far he's willing to go based on like his dreams and stuff. And I think, I think it's a great scene. Yeah, yeah. It's the only thing that happens to Anakin or Anakin does that is relevant to this entire yeah, movie. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. super defining, super it foreshadows, yeah. yeah the well, demise. this and his love for Padme, I think, because that was also not really allowed. So I think that plus the fact that he's willing to go so far to really out of anger, right? Like for no yeah. other reason out of it's anger. Like an, it's like that and Padme, like you're saying, are his two biggest uh, fueling his uh, desires. But this one was executed well, whereas the Padme scene, I think we can all agree, was executed poorly or group of scenes he goes there finds his mom tied up and then you know he you know he slaughters all the sand his mom dies in his arms and yeah and then he goes back and he tells padme in what i think is probably the most cheese parts of the movie he's just like i killed all of them they're animals you know the the women and the children and you know look hayden christian is doing his best with what he's got but you know from a from a common sense perspective we talk about how Padme in episode three is just like, oh my God, Obi-Wan said you killed younglings, right? And she's mm. so worried. It's just like, it's like, bitch, this ain't the first time he's killed kids. <laughs> yeah. like, he's killed kids. He killed kids in episode two also. Well, it was okay when they were sand people, according to Padme. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's got a... What I appreciated about this though is that like it showed the conflict in him. He felt guilty, but he did the thing, but felt bad. I don't, I don't know. It just... It felt real to me that, like, he was going back and forth between the good and the dark side. No, and I I appreciate that scene. I think that scene is important. I think it needs to happen. I just think, I don't know, it's just kind of like... Like most things in the prequel, not executed. Yeah, yeah. the execution is off. Even the very beginning of it, too. So he's standing out there, 
and they're on Naboo, I think, still, and he's like kind of like meditating, and like he couldn't sleep because he had the dream. And then Padme walks out there, and he can feel her presence. I guess he's like she's about to leave. He's like, oh no, don't leave. Your presence is soothing, and all this stuff. But he's like real calm, collected, just kind of chilling. And all of a sudden, like he turns around to talk to her, and like snaps, and just like oh, I gotta go right now. I gotta go to Tatooine right now to like save my mom. And I'm like, you were just meditating for hours, like just <laughs> hanging out. This was like a big deal to you. You woke up literally hours ago from this dream. Like you think you would have just taken off in the middle of the night. It was such a huge issue. And that goes on to like their decision to rescue Obi-Wan too, right? Yeah. Like Anakin is a man of action. We've seen that in the beginning. He's doing like badass stuff, driving the car. Him and Obi-Wan seem to make a great team, even though once again, Obi-Wan's a fucking bitch the whole movie. Um, <laughs> it's just like, why isn't Anakin the one, you know, okay, I appreciate for Padme's character that she's the one that says like, hey, like if you want to protect me, you got to follow me to rescue Obi-Wan. Right. I, I appreciate that because yeah. that is consistent with her character. But Anakin is a guy who's so against the rules, going against the grain, not going to be fucking held down by the Jedi's like shackles and all that other stuff. And his response, like you're saying, uh, Jason is just like, oh, I can't go. Oh, I got to meditate on this for hours. And then when it comes time to save Obi-Wan, even though they have proof and they have to send the message to Mason Yoda, it's like, oh, I don't know. Obi-Wan said I should stay with you and this and that. And I don't want to break the rules. And it's just like, dude, like go. Like you said, he's the closest thing you have to a father. Like go, go to Geonosis. Like why? Like make up your mind on how you want to write this character. Is he somebody that's always willing to go against the grain, or right. is he just like an idiot that's like, oh, I'm gonna follow the rules? Because right, really over the top cocky, he's been in other in other scenes. Yeah, it's like it's super inconsistent. I don't get it. Like he just turns into like this coward when it comes time to make these decisions. But when you put him in action, he's on top of his game. Well, it's almost like that thing where you have a kid who's like a bully towards the other kids and a total rebel, but then when you see him interact with his own father character, he totally wimps out or is totally tamed. Like, it's... But again, this leaves so many questions because if that's what Lucas was going for, then it just makes him a super unlikable character. Yeah, because he like Lucas can't figure the character out, which means the audience can't figure the character out. Exactly. Which means we can't vibe with this character. Yeah. Fucking Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fucking Lucas. Whereas if he was just like some Damien, you know... <laughs> Mark of the Beast kid, you totally could have gotten behind that, like right off the bat, a lot simpler, but a lot easier to execute, and you saw it coming. Yeah, and zero compassion, though. Or if he was just like not crying, but very calm after he killed the sand people and was telling Pamay, like, no, the problem was I really liked it, or something like that, then it would have made more sense, type of thing. Like a conflict within him. Yeah, it's very yeah. hard. It's very hard to pull off like a sort of male character crying and not have it be funny. Like, you have to set up a lot of scene work for that. Mm -hmm. And not, but like, yeah, exactly, where it just could have been, again, executed so many better ways. You know, we're going to wrap this up. Let's talk about the the Battle of Geonosis. We got um, Count Dooku. We got the Catanimodians. We got the Geonosians. We got the, the three beasts and our heroes tied up. How do you guys feel about this whole sequence leading into the clone drop? Before we get into this, this movie came out what time? 2002, right? Yes. Yeah. I think two movies that were big around this time were The Matrix, right? Mm -hmm. As well as Gladiator, yeah. right? Yeah. Do you not see a hint of Gladiator in that whole like Colosseum? But again, and then also back, I see the, the Matrix one. as far as the clone thing. I feel like George Lucas took things from movies at that time, like and then like put it into this movie. 
Especially I, the Geonosis one. I don't know. I just, no, I think the Geonosis thing comes from like classic films where there's always like some monster that comes yeah. out of the Coliseum and our hero has to fight them and they're put at a disadvantage. And like, only because, again, in episode one, we saw the Coliseum uh, remnants of, of the, of the, the chariot race, race pod oh, race. Yeah. 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 I, think, um, I think he's pulling more from classic films as yeah. opposed to like recent films. But I, I do see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Obi Wan's a dick. Yeah. Like, overall, yeah. overall, he, they I just came really to cool. save him, and he's just like gonna complain. It's like, fuck you, man. Yeah, yeah the that's Jedi, what I would like. The at. Jedi are just unlikable. I'm sorry, like they're unlikable. No, they're solid unlikable yeah. throughout this whole. They're they're assholes. Like I I don't like the Jedi in these first two movies, like at all. Like, and number three, you do. I liked Obi Wan. We'll get into it. <laughs> yeah, and I liked Yoda a little more in that. Well, one. Yoda became a little more into the Yoda we know today, yeah. whereas the other one he was just trying to kind of uphold the code of the Jedi. Yeah. Even the big reveal at the very end of the Death Star plans and you were supposed to be like the whole oh shit moment. I just yeah. by the time I got there I didn't care. I really? Just like, I, yeah, loved it's just, it. no. I loved it when they showed that. I was just like eh it's a Death Star. I know because I know it's coming. I know it's going to get blown up. I know everything that happens with that. Oh, I, I was like that's I fan service. Yeah. I feel that's yeah. that's, that's like that is yeah. You're trying to connect with I, felt, I felt that Rogue Sorry, One. I, I felt I that Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One did a much, much better, better job. Oh, of, yeah. especially well, Rogue One. His is whole speech the most about underrated movie. movie yes, of the his whole speech franchise. about just leaving one point of the architect of the Death Star didn't want to do it himself. And again, that's them going back and answering this big fan plot hole. But still, like comparatively, if we're speaking, it's just a much better execution than. It just oh, these are the plans. You all know what's coming. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know. I just felt like they really tried to shoehorn so much at the end of this movie. I, it just felt like one more thing to shoehorn in. But like the battle with Padme, Anakin, and Obi Wan with the three beasts, I thought that was cool. I felt like it might have been a little overly long. I feel like this whole sequence is a little overly long before the clones drop in. You know, you have them fighting the monsters one on one. Then you have the Jedi show up. Then you have Dooku give his big ass speech. Then the Jedi are pretty much outnumbered by the battle droids. You know, we get new droids, super battle droids. They uh-huh. show up for the first time. Um, then you have the lame-ass part with 3PO's head being on a battle oh, droid. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, die, See, dead Jedi dogs. Because, like, I feel like the Jedi showing up as the Calvary in that scene should have been, like, the big Avengers moment. The big, like, all the heroes gathered around kind of thing. And it just, it just wasn't. Like, I didn't have that sense of swelling of, like, oh, shit, it's going down. Like, honestly, I felt, like, a cooler sense of, again, where uh, Palpatine gave his speech towards the end and he saw the clone army assembling and the whole... That felt like a more executed, more directed, better directed scene of, like... The ending of this movie. Great. Yeah. 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 Like I will say this though, like the ending world is just like the Imperial March is playing and you have like the Senate members overlooking everything and the clones marching into the ships. Like that kind of gives and you the like music, chills. The yeah. music too. Yeah. Yes, like, everything exactly. kind of works out. But I feel like while I enjoy the clone battle, I just feel like by this time in the movie, I'm so exhausted waiting for something to happen. I don't care. Well, that's how I feel about the anymore. Transformers movies, too, for the same thing. Like, a fatigue of action that's been happening to where when we get to the big battle, I don't care. I just... This Coliseum fight, I was re-watching these movies over the weekend because I hadn't seen them in a couple of years, but I just found myself fast-forwarding through a lot of it because, I mean, there's some cool action, I guess, but it just felt like a lot of filler. I feel like this whole movie is filler, and I felt like I'd fast-forward all the way until, like, we see... You know Count Dooku again, and that's where I kind of like started to rewatch and like listen to the dialogue and stuff like that. But I just, I don't know, just this whole movie just feels like a big. They we were left with questions that we don't really get answers to, and especially the scene. I just I I found myself fast forwarding because I just didn't give a shit. Yeah, and I feel like my whole experience with this movie has just been like shit in general. I saw this movie on bootleg, 
I wasn't even aware that this movie came out until my friend told me in middle school. And I love Star Wars, but I had forgotten all about Star Wars by the time I hit middle school for whatever reason. Like my homie was like, yo, I saw Star Wars last night with my dad. And I was like, episode two's already out? And he's like, yes, it's out. And then my mom managed to get me a bootleg VHS copy. Wow. Yeah. Didn't see this in theaters. But if I'm going to go watch these again, these prequels... I'll watch one just to kind of see like the pod race and like the, the badass lightsaber fight at the end. And I'll watch three just to see how they button stuff up before four. But I, I don't know. I never want to go back and watch this movie for whatever reason. Again, yeah, I just there's like, like no reason to watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'll give this movie two props before we sign off. Um, the love theme. I think that's the best piece John Williams did for this movie. Like the music's forgettable, but I think the love theme for Anakin and Padme is pretty good. And then also um, the asteroid belt fight where they're in the rings of Geonosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the sound design on that. Um, like when the, the, the grenades, the seismic yeah. grenades blow yeah, up. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, like that's, that sound I remember too. when I was a kid and my parents weren't home, I would turn up the sound system just to like hear that part go off. I can't imagine what that would have been like in the theater, but like that was that was pretty sick. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one more fun fact before we leave, um, you know how George Lucas wanted help writing and shit. Uh, the guy that helped George Lucas write this was Jonathan Hales, who wrote episodes of Young Indiana Jones, and he wrote the Scorpion King movie with The Rock. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. His resume is just chock full of great stuff. Yeah. Too bad he didn't write Shrek, though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So let's get into our uh, last movie of the prequel trilogy. We got Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, uh, released May 19th, 2005, and directed by George Lucas. It stars Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDiarmid, Samuel L. Jackson, Jimmy Smits, Christopher Lee, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and Frank Oz. 80% of critics on Rotten Tomatoes liked it, giving it an average score of 7.28 out of 10. 66% of the audience liked it, giving it an average score of 3.13 out of 5. Its budget was $115 million. It made $108 million its opening weekend. Its total domestic gross was $380 million, and its total worldwide gross was $848.9 million. How do y'all feel about episode 3? Out of all the three movies in the prequel trilogy, this is probably the only one, if you watch only this one, everything would make sense. I can agree. I can agree with that. Like, I, I actually yeah. can agree with that. You can. If you got rid of one and two and you just told somebody to watch three, I think you don't have to deal with a lot of extra plot that doesn't make any fucking sense. Because this movie is like dense. This movie is like nonstop shit happening except for when Anakin's stuck on Coruscant. But like this movie just like moves like mm-hmm. nonstop when you really think about it. But is it great in its execution? Not a lot here and there. This film, and I know Mugga probably saw it as well. It overuses CGI. Like everything is blatantly like the, 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 the mu- scene. Far planet is just over the top. You can tell it's completely fake. So there's that feature. Uh, there's that uh, documentary where it talks about. Um, I forgot what it is. I forgot the title of it. Forgive me, but it's all about the fight between Anakin and Obi Wan. For the Mustafar fight, they actually went to volcanoes, filmed you know lava actually being used, and they they actually put that in their scenes. They actually built um, a live miniature to scale of what the environment was they were going to be fighting on, and they actually used a lot of that real footage in there. So like the only thing that you'll see is CGI is like fixtures, 
but a lot of that stuff is like either real miniature or real volcano put into the shot. Now it's composited. Like if you want to say it's composited, yeah. that's fine. But like most of that is, it's not completely CGI. But I mean, there's just, just a lot of scenes, especially the dialogue scenes. There's a lot of scenes where they're, they're just walking and talking and it's behind. There's like a lot of activity in the background. Like you could tell it this is all fake. This is all they're CGI. The Jedi temple, temple, all that stuff. So Coruscant fake. background. Yeah. I get all that. So yeah. fake. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of dialogue where it's just cutting back and forth just to kind of put on display the scenes. And it's just like, okay, I get it. You can make these fantastical worlds, but it's all CGI. And it's really apparent in this film more than any of the other ones. Certain things are real, but I, I do agree with both of you guys. Like a lot of this movie just does feel like like CGI for CGI's sake, mm-hmm. where in the episode one, it was to kind of help put forth the vision of Lucas mm-hmm. and do things that hadn't been done before. Episode two, it was like, there's no way we can do this without it being CGI. And in episode three, it's just here because we can do it. Yeah. Whether or not it's necessary, let's just do it because we can. And that's exactly what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I was looking at behind the scenes, there's a 60 minutes interview that George Lucas did on episode three. The interviewer's in there in the editing bay with George Lucas and the team of editors, the visual effects guys, and they're talking about the mouse droid. Um, so you know when uh, Anakin walks in on Mustafar to kill the Separatist leaders and the mouse droid kind of zips in front of him? They spent so much time with George Lucas kind of pointing out like how he wants the mouse droid to zip across the floor. just like no no no. it needs to go wide and it needs to turn right it needs to do this it needs to do that and he's being so micromanaging with it and then the interviewer is just like okay it seems like you're spending a lot of time on this little tiny robot like how long is this part in the movie and then the room goes quiet and then either george or one of the guys is like two seconds cgi for cgi's sake it feels like do you even need the mouse droid in that scene yeah no yeah yeah don't there's a lot of lightsaber fights throughout this one yeah. I, which i really enjoy i thought there's a lot of action um, well, i'm sure we're going to rank these at the end but i think this is probably one of my top ones out of these prequels obviously in the original trilogy it was a much different time and people's expectations of movies were very different but i feel like as we progressed into the prequel trilogies we started adding a lot more action again just because people's appetite needed more action for them to stay engaged and again takes away from their storytelling a little bit because they're a little bit obligated to add in these extra scenes but don't you want that don't you oh for I mean, sure i do but that's also because i'm from that time period but i'm just feeling like we we know what's going to happen we know that anakin's going to turn into darth vader and we want this explosiveness of him like changing we want all this these fights and stuff like that and i think we get it out of this film whether it's a lot of cgi or not i feel like all three of these there's a shit ton of cgi and i found myself just really not I was taken out of it a lot because it is kind of dated now, but right, yeah. I don't know. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I got what I wanted out of this. Yes, it's fucking long. Yeah. It's two and a half hours they're, long, they're long yeah. and there's shit you could cut out, but I enjoyed like a lot of the lightsaber scenes. I, I, Action I was there. A yeah. lot of it in there. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the fight between Anakin and Dooku. There's CG- really at the beginning. There's yeah. CGI yeah, like in there. That that's like suspect. There's a lot of that in there, but like, I think it's pivotal for the plot. I think it's important for his character, but also kind of enjoy it. It's just like, can we just have like a simple lightsaber fight where like there's two people going at it instead of, like, it's better than what we got in two. I'll say that right off the bat. Yeah. Like two has the worst lightsaber scene, Count Dooku versus Obi-Wan and Anakin. And I think this is like a step up from that. I agree. They put Christopher Lee's face on the stunt double. Like, look, the CGI hasn't aged well in two and three and even one. But it's just like, I think it's it's way better than that shit we got in episode two. Also, what's interesting about that scene is that at the very end, the Chancellor tells Anakin to kill uh, Dooku the same way he does in episode six when uh, Luke defeats Vader in the same sort of manner. 
Which is an interesting parallel between those two scenes. Yeah, because he's in the, the throne. Right. You know, there's a space battle in the background. Right, and he's interested in his new apprentice. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty nice touch on Lucas's part. I, I have to add, I think Ian McDermott's performance in this film is probably like the highlight, I think, for the entire film. I think he did, does a great job of just bringing him to life. I mean, we saw a little bit in, in Return of the Jedi, but I think he, he does a really good job of portraying the Emperor and just how he comes about and just he takes center stage in this film. And I, I really appreciate that. I agree with you on that. I have to disagree with you guys on the opening lightsaber scene. You guys actually put this as like something of a highlight of this film. I th- no, I think I'm, not so saying, I'm not saying it's a highlight. I'm just saying I like it. I'm not saying it's over a over number two. It's better than the fight in number two. Really, way yeah. better than what the if, fight what in if, number what two. What about I, I, I don't. I, I just I look at this. And I, it's I'm not, so I'm not cheesy. Even, the way he the way they break down the bridge or level on Obi Wan, the jumping off and they they swing the light. I, I just no, I feel I, like this whole lightsaber scene is just meant at the very beginning to hook you. But I just I don't know. I don't buy the whole first thirty minutes of this movie. I don't buy into it. Whether it's R two trying to do the whole mm-hmm. that this lightsaber scene, Palpatine. I mean, there's one time where Anakin's fighting and he goes, "Yep." And I'm like, "What is he doing? Like, it's so <laughs> stupid, dude." No, no. Like this whole the whole thirty minutes of this opening movie sucks. I'm sorry. I like this movie in a sense, but the thirty minutes that it starts off with the intro, even them, like, where they're like, it's very calm, and they, they turn it, and like, you see this whole battlefield up in space. I, I just, I don't buy into it. I'm like, he's so over the top on this part. I, I don't know. I, if it didn't have the Star Wars name, I would have walked out of the theater. Okay, I, I'm well, not gonna lie. Okay, but like, I totally agree with you. There's corny-ass parts to it. I like the fight because it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. They're not going over the top. I mentioned that the CGI was bad. Yeah. I did mention that, especially the part where he puts the platform down, like the way yeah. it scrapes on Obi Wan. Yeah. Like his torso should be severed from he, his done. lower body. Worse than Darth Maul. Yeah, yeah, but, like, but yeah, every but, movie does that, like yeah. from a big fall where you see and an like, explosion. And like then you have like prior to them getting there, like the buzz droids and that whole thing. R two fighting one. I, I, I don't know. Okay, I, okay, I, no. I I'm, okay, that. I'm gonna just stick with the lightsaber fight. Then I'm gonna get to that part. Okay, but, yeah. like, right, but I do, but I do appreciate the story ramifications of it. Yeah. Because it shows that Anakin is willing to bend to the will of Palpatine, that Palpatine does have significant influence over him, and it also shows that Anakin has become much more powerful because, like, Anakin got his ass whooped in part two, and in part three, like... He he, saved everyone. He single-handedly... Yeah. Yeah. Whereas last time, Dooku beat Yoda, Dooku beat Obi-Wan, and Dooku... So it shows the the progression of his skills and his abilities, and even his look. It starts off like he's, you know, he's got the flowing flock of hair and it's just it shows a progression that from the second film so okay so I gotta ask real quick I yeah. know Dominic's not here but whose hair is better Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 2 or Anakin in episode 3 I, 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 really I kind of like dig Anakin. Hayden's hair I think I really like Anakin's hair yeah, in this yeah. one it was a, a step up from the little ponytail in. I'm, I'm gonna have to go Mission Impossible 2 on this I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Tom Mission C- Impossible 2 Tom Cruise's hair, hair is oh, yeah. yeah beautiful oh, amazing there you go can, yeah. I, can I say one thing though and maybe this is me just not knowing so maybe I'm wrong or maybe I missed something yeah. but don't you feel like we're kind of just thrown into this third Ooh, movie I have something to say about that yes I have yeah because like um, we, the second one ends no. where it's just Padme and Anakin um, looking over Naboo and that's kind of how it ends if I'm correct on mm-hmm. the second one and now this one we're kind of thrown into Palpatine's like in handcuffs and like all kinds of right, shit yeah, and it's no. like I know there's uh, this cartoons and stuff does it explain well, no, that's, all that's, that? that's that literally is the explanation okay. um, before they got to the computer the CGI uh, Clone Wars cartoons that are pretty I don't know popular now do you remember Samurai Jack at all that sort of yeah. boxy indie style of animation 
They released two seasons of Star Wars cartoons in that vein. They're about 10 episodes uh, for each season, about 15 minutes a piece. Between two and three is when it takes place, like literally. So the last episode leads into, and they said that in interviews that they did that on purpose. Like you can watch the last episode and it leads right into this battle. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Maybe a miss as a narrative. Um, You see why the Emperor is in cuffs. You see, you are introduced to Grievous in a way that you really aren't in the movies. Um, He's much more of a menace. And these cartoons alone, these cartoons are done excellent. Like, I'll stand behind them. These cartoons are done very well. Um, The Stormtroopers have an amazing scene. Mace Windu has an amazing fight scene that just seals his stamp as a badass, where he fights an entire army of droids by himself using all kinds of force tactics. You see why Grievous's heat is uh, wheezing in the third movie, which is something that isn't explained unless you've seen these little cartoons. Literally, Mace Windu force punched him and like crushed one of his lungs. But again, unless you've watched these cartoons, you're not going to get that. Yeah. So the guy that did that is uh, Gendy Tartakovsky. You know, he's done a lot of Cartoon Network shows. Like, um, I think he worked on Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Lab, right. etc. Um, Samurai Jack is his most notable work, like you said, Justin. And yeah, like this series, the micro series takes place right when episode two ends and it literally ends where episode three begins so like they're taking off in their ships and they're flying down to coruscant to rescue the chancellor but i want to bring up the general grievous thing that you brought up because um general grievous wasn't fully fleshed out by george lucas at least so what happened was let's be honest george lucas wasted a lot of time in his first two movies yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and we had to get into this clone war because like that was mentioned you got to address that at some point because anakin's a kid so the Clone Wars had to have happened when he was an adult. Like, you don't get to kind of escape, go your way out of this shit. So yeah. you have to show the Clone Wars in some sense. The first battle of the Clone Wars is shown at the end of episode two. And the final battle of the Clone Wars is shown during episode three. So General Grievous was, I think, one of the first characters concepted for um, episode three. There's a whole, like, featurette on him and, like, their creation in the kind of visual development department. But George Lucas hadn't fully figured out the character. So what he did was was kind of give I think it was Dark Horse Comics Mm -hmm. Cartoon Network kind of creative license to do what they saw fit with the character so in those Clone Wars comics in the Clone Wars micro series they made General Grievous like a badass he was like if you see it they did an excellent job yeah he's like a horror character he like this is not the one that's with Jason, you're talking about one of the seven seasons. I have one that's a two disc. No, no, episode. that's what we're yes. talking about. And this yes. is great. I own it. Yes. I think they're yeah. amazing. They made Grievous look to be a badass. Yeah, he's literally yeah. a Jedi assassin. Like he's a boogeyman for the Jedi. Right. He's he's scaring them at this point. Yeah, yeah. And so like they kind of took creative liberties with the character, and I think they did an excellent job because yeah. like all I cared about after seeing Grievous kick all kinds of ass in those shows was like I cannot wait to see what this dude looks like in real life, and. You're disappointed. Oh, very. You're fucked because, like, not only I don't care about the coughing and wheezing. Like, I love the explanation we get. Like you said, Justin, right. in the Clone Wars cartoon, where like Mace Windu crushes his chest, but it's just like he's just a fucking coward. The he, very what? first opening part where he's like bails, he like he's cornered and he just like takes off and just runs like a coward. And then they even refer to him as like. Grievous is a coward. We'll finally get him, you know. And he's not someone in this movie that you fear or like. When he pulls up on set, like Darth Vader, like shit's about to go down. I think they did a disservice too because, like, I didn't watch. I didn't know that. So going into Episode Three, I'm like, why are they introducing General Grievous? Because when I looked at like the original trilogy, like, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of expanded universe that happened between you know, Empire and Return of Jedi, but everything was still kind of explained in detail in the movie. It was almost self-contained. Even if you didn't watch, go into further detail, you still kind of got a general picture of what was going on from Empire to Return. 
Here, going from episode two to three, they introduce a new character. I mean, if you just were to stay true, just watching the movies and then watch this this thing. You're you, like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, why are they introducing another character? What's the backstory in it? You're kind of thrown in and just like, and okay. Maybe, and maybe I'm mistaken, but even having watching those cartoons, I'm still not 100% on who Grievous is. Like his backstory of being an organic person inside of a robot shell or his full like fleshing out of his backstory. I can tell you that right now. So General Grievous was tricked, I guess, into being a member of the Separatist movement by either Palpatine or the Separatist powers that be or whatever. He was a Kalish warrior, so he's like an alien general or whatever. And I guess he got set up, blown up. Star Wars fans, if you're listening to this, piss off. I, I got enough of you right now. Um, <laughs> like, we're, we're going to get some shit wrong, whatever. But, like, um, he was pretty much given, like, a cybernetic body by the Separatists and told, like, okay, now you go fight Jedi because okay. it kind of set him up, yeah. essentially. But, like, Here's the thing, though. Like, one thing they carried over, you guys talk about him being a coward, they still carried over the fact that he has a lightsaber collection. Those are, like, his, like, trophies from killing Jedis, which I think is a badass theme. No, it's definitely dope. Like, we don't see him do it. He never does anything in this movie. He's like, he's like Boba Fett all over again. Like, badass character. I mean, looks cool. My bad. Not a badass character, but he looks badass. The CGI on him is great. What a waste of a character design. Like, what a fucking waste. Yeah, because, no, like, like, we all talked about in that Clone Wars micro series, like, he was amazing. Like, yeah. highlight. You saw him collect the sabers in that series. Exactly. You like, saw- he should have at least killed one Jedi. And there is a deleted scene of that where he kills uh, Shock T, but we don't see him do anything of any kind of merit. And again, to find out his little backstory that you just gave us, you had to do like some internet research, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had to get it from other sources. Like so, we had two right here: the cartoon and the movies alone. That still wasn't enough to give us a full fleshed out understanding of who this character was. To your point, Bling, I think the mistake of Star Wars starts here, and this is going to carry over to the sequels once we get to the Disney shit. Yeah, it's just like unless you read expanded universe stuff, you're not going to know necessary things to the plot of the movies like these movies i get it like you can't fit the entire clone war in a movie but i feel like there are certain things in this movie that need to be addressed within the movie Mm -hmm. so if you didn't introduce grievous in two take him out of here he's not important at all Mm -hmm. like the only reason he exists is in order for palpatine to prolong the war because they have somebody else to kill besides duke it was like a b-plot fight scene for obi-wan was it also kind of fan service? Because I think he, the, the reception for him in the micro series was was, real, was received really well. So it feels like you had to have it because like it's almost we're doing it again. You know, Lucas is catering to you know to fan service. Like, hey, get things that they want to see in this film. So Grievous was always going to be in this film. Like he was concepted and everything, but it's just like he didn't even have an idea of what the character was going to be like. And then I think that goes back to our Lucas not planning out all three movies before he started writing. Mm-hmm. Like at some point he was just like. I want to introduce Grievous, but it's just like, no, no, fool. Like, you had Darth Maul, you got rid of him, and you put in Dooku. You have Dooku, and then now you want to introduce Grievous. It's just like, because you make, up, it, make up your mind. Out of the <laughs> three that he had, he had two great villains, and he did not do a great job of putting them into this universe. Dude, you ruined two great characters, in my opinion. Okay, so who are your two out of the three? I Get rid of Count Dooku. Yeah, okay. Right, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Have Darth Maul carry over to number two, somehow get Grievous in, or and like, intertwine them. Like, we don't need... I even hate saying his name, Count Dooku. Like, if right. I'm telling someone who's not a Swords fan, well, this bad guy, Count Dooku, they look at me like I'm a fucking idiot, you know? Well, General like, Grievous? Hey, 
You know, Darth Maul. Yeah, it, it, it holds relevance. Count Dooku. Because if like, I hate we're saying creating, it, I hate if saying we're creating it, a brand new character, you totally could have incorporated Grievous design into a redesign of Maul. Like if he gets uh, some cybernetic enhancements, whatever, he has to wear some sort of white, you know, sort of bone armor, something like where Maul's been this reoccurring character that Anakin has been trying to kill for like maybe three movies. The first one he killed Qui Gon, the only one that was on his side. The second one what if Maul's the one that cuts off his arm you know and the third one he finally ends him in that first, like it would have been more impactful more relevant right. of him sort of chasing this Sith who's honestly whose place he's unwittingly trying to take General Grievous is a waste I think we can all agree great character yeah. design but yeah a waste yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the opening battle really I love it I think it's I, one of yeah. the, the best looking parts of the film like when they fly over and they're like in unison in the ships Siege. like it looks amazing you um, like it or not the opening one yeah I like that. Yeah, I like how you just, they just I, get into the action. They don't waste. They, you know, they do. It's just right away we get into it. I like that. And the yeah. fact that that thing tilts and they're like walking down the elevator shaft, bouncing off. No, we're talking about like when the crawl ends and then the two ships fly on top of the star destroyer. So that's that's what we're talking about. I get it. I get it. With and when he does those little droids that are fighting R two D two on wings. Yeah. And, Again, and he can't see because there's. Really? I Again, like the it. the only part I don't really? like about that whole opening scene is like the slapstick. You guys don't like Jar Jar Binks? Do you like this? Okay, first of all, we said Jar Jar Binks was not our biggest problem. I just... I, you were here. I There's a lot of parts of this movie that I really enjoy. The first 30 minutes, I'm kind of like, this is bullshit. Okay, so what, what parts of this movie do you enjoy? I do like how they show you, you know... The separation of Anakin and Obi-Wan. I, I, I mean, they really do a good job of showing his hate and then kind of separating from, you know, like, Pat. I, I get all that, and I, I really do enjoy it. Um, the whole part of him taking down the Jedi temple, you are just like, wow, little kids, this and that, you know, and he's going after it. Then Mustafar, where it's like, hey, it's Obi-Wan, and Padme doesn't know hitched a ride I guess is the correct term yeah. where they're right there and you could just tell like holy crap this is about to go this is the fight you know and Jason they do do a great job of like he's saying on Mustafar no not Dooku <laughs> they, they do a great job of like hey here here's this epic fight this and that you know but the opening scene, I feel, I feel like the first 30 minutes are just bullshit. R2-D2 putting oil out right, on these yeah, droids. that scene was so fire, stupid. Okay. Then, yeah, then, cheesy, then, yes, then like, doing yeah. the whole thing of the elevator shaft, R2, R2, we need you. And they're like talking and they, I, I don't know. I just, okay. I don't, and I feel like that fight is not a good lightsaber fight. Okay, so I'm going to kind of go back to what I said, but this is the only part in the entire trilogy where Obi-Wan and Anakin are a team. This is literally the only part in the entire three prequel movies where they are a team. Not in episode two? No. No, because even in episode two... I know Obi-Wan gets taken out. It's just got to be Anakin. No, no, but Obi-Wan's bitching at him the entire time. This is the only time where we see them as friends, where they're talking about like, oh, it could be a trap. What's the next step? And then Obi-Wan's like, spring the trap. They have like chemistry together. You could tell they've been through shit together. You could tell they're, they're friends at least in some capacity. So I don't know if you guys noticed this detail, but like... Like when the two uh, Jedi are flying in on the Jedi Starfighters, precursors to TIE Fighters, of course, um, they're flying in unison. So you notice all their movements are like kind of synchronized or whatever. They're making the same flips, making the same rotations, all the way down to when they crash onto Grievous's ship. They hop out of both their ships and they make the same lightsaber strikes the exact same ways as they take out their enemies. I like the visual embodiment of that. 
But I also appreciate that finally we're seeing these two guys as friends for whatever amount of time it takes. Like I'm grateful that at least for half an hour, the opening 20 minutes or whatever this movie, that these guys are a team and they're friends and then they're not bickering as much as they always do. I think that's one of the most important parts of this sequence as well as, you know, like we talked about showing how Anakin is elevated in his skill. I think the, the Dooku fight is an important part in showcasing that Anakin's not some kid anymore. He's been tearing shit up. You know, before we get into something that, you know, Bling, you kind of brought up. Yeah. Um, Hayden Christensen did put on 25 pounds for this movie. Like really? he, he went from 160 to 185 and he was in the gym constantly getting like bulked up for this role. So like he said, he was working out like crazy to be more physically imposing in this movie. And he definitely looks different. Like Anakin looks like more of a badass in this movie. He's got the scar. He's got the hair. Like he just feels like more of a physical presence in this movie. So that's that's one thing you notice. And I think this whole sequence is there to establish kind of the change that has occurred since the last movie. But I know, Bling, you talked about like the Dooku fight. You wanted yeah, to bring something so up. Yeah, so on the Dooku fight, it, I really like the direction it goes because it actually shows almost his progression into going into the dark side because at the very end, you know, like he doesn't kill Dooku. It's execution style. He beheads him, and which is, it's, it's not shown on film, but it's alluded to. And it's, right. it's, I mean, for a Star Wars film that's typically, you know, PG, it's a really dark undertone to showing like, hey, He's going towards towards the dark side, so I, I I appreciate that they put that scene like even just alluding to it is it, it was very dark. Yeah, and you even see his head roll on the floor. Yeah, like, and not only does he do that, but he does it at the command of the chancellor. Yeah, which I think again like preludes to do it. Yeah, yeah. Just, I hate him. And he I shows that he's he's not even remorseful. He feels like it felt right. Like he's like he, he in his well, mind. He's, he's remorseful in his that mind, it felt especially right. when the chancellor tells him like he was too dangerous to be kept alive, or he says something like that. Yeah. Well, no. Well, Anakin. In his mind, Anakin, that was the right thing to do, yeah. even though he knows it goes against the Jedi ways. Well, which is very. That's which, what sets us up for the rest of the movie. And that's another interesting parallel in the same movie, where like you said, uh, the chancellor says he's too dangerous to be kept alive. When Mace Windu is doing the same thing with Anakin uh, later, yeah. he yes. says he's too dangerous to keep alive when he's trying to convince Anakin to literally execute him. Although in this time, Anakin realized he doesn't like being an executioner, but maybe too late for the force of the dark side. But that brings us into the hypocrisies of Mace Windu and the Jedi Order in general. Yeah, because he says, like you brought up, TJ, like uh, Anakin kind of reflects on what he just did. And he says, like, you know, it's not the Jedi way. I shouldn't have done that. But then when it comes to Mace Windu kind of saying like Anakin, you know, he's too dangerous to be left alive. Like you guys are saying, you know, all of a sudden Anakin's willing to abide by those rules or have some sort of moral compass. Because to be fair, Anakin was kind of right in that part where he should stand trial. He should be because, again, Windu, when he tried to arrest the chancellor, had no proof other than Anakin's word, which was a kid he doesn't even like. Right. He was just going off of his bias against the chancellor or his own fears, which, again, is showing a hypocrisy in his own right of the Jedi Order's uh, sort of religious rules of detaching from emotion. That uh, scene does a good job because, like, Obi-Wan's knocked out. He doesn't have anybody of positive influence on him in that moment, stopping him from executing Dooku. And so uh, he's left to kind of succumb to the will of, you know, the wood, the soon-to-be Emperor, Palpatine. Right. Um, so they get out of there, and the first thing Palpatine does is say, like, hey, you know, you gotta leave Obi-Wan behind. Leave him. And then, you know, Anakin's just kind of like, no, 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 he's coming with us. Uh, his, his fate will be the same as ours, yeah. is what he says. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Again, I think it shows sort of the duality between the dark and light side and Anakin. And I think it also does a really great job at showing us that Anakin is willing to do things that normal Jedi would not do, 
but also has a conscience and also would not leave one of his own behind. And so he goes back and forth for a while. And yeah. it's a much more interesting story than someone who just turns to the dark side. Yeah. Because you sort of see this progression over time of him doing bad things, feeling guilty or feeling remorse. Uh, and slowly that remorse like disappears. And you also have the important line too, because um, after you know Anakin kills Dooku, Palpatine, he takes off his handcuffs and he's even like, you know, remember what you told me about uh, your mother and the Sand People. So now we know that Anakin confides in this guy. Yeah. Not only is he willing to do whatever he tells him to do, but he's also trusting him with his most, you know, personal secrets that yeah. I murdered these people. Which is again shown later in that giant space opera where he goes and visits him in that uh, private booth talking mm -hmm. about his uh, worries of Padme's death yeah. and his dream he's been having. Yeah. Uh, small detail, uh, you know how we talked about the Emperor taking off Luke's cuffs? Uh, Anakin does the same thing to Palpatine after he gets out Ooh, the chair. Like he, nice. he waves his hands and the cuffs come off Palpatine mm. the same way. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a nice touch. I will give George Lucas a lot of props. The amount of attention and detail that he gives visually to his other movies is really great. I think he does shrink the universe in terms of narrative and like how he positions characters in the plot and his writing. But I do think the visual hints are really, really spot on and really, really nice to have. One thing though, we talked about the opening scene and we'll get away from this hopefully soon, but like, um, you know how you said there's so much going on, Mugga? Yeah. One of the uh, one of the special effects or visual effects guys said, you know, we put everything in this scene, everything but the kitchen sink. And then they said, well, why don't we just put a kitchen sink in here? So if you look closely, when that bit of debris oh, no. hits the Star Destroyer, it's a kitchen sink. It's oh, a kitchen no. sink. <laughs> <laughs> nice little Easter egg. Okay. Which is pretty hilarious. But I, I, I but I do love like how we have like pre Empire Star Destroyers. I, I like that. Like we see like the Republic finally has a an army. And I like that yeah. we see clone troopers in action. And I know like you said, Mugga, you make a lot of valid points. I, I'm not gonna disagree with you at all on a lot of things. Your points. <laughs> but I think I I appreciate this because like this is this is the part of the prequels that we all wanted to see. Mm -hmm. We wanted to see the Clone Wars. We wanted to see Anakin and Obi-Wan team up. And it's unfortunate that we only get like 15 minutes of that. And it kind of sucks. Like this is what the last two movies should have been. Them teaming up, doing shit together, building a relationship, showing, not telling. Yeah. And I think, you know, for all the work George Lucas does in showing not telling the one place he forgot to show was the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin but I, I'm grateful for what we did get but you know we get to Grievous he's a bitch, bitch. Runs, yeah. <laughs> runs away I was like a spider robot because he remember when he like turned upside down and like crawled like exorcist style I was, I was scared yeah <laughs> Um, and then they crash land on uh, Coruscant. We get to Coruscant, Anakin, you know, runs into Padme's arms, and then uh, Anakin and Padme have their, like, Con Air moment where she's like, Annie, I'm pregnant. It's literally the plot of Con Air. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so she's pregnant. You know, if anybody watched the Clone Wars micro series, we know when they boned because there's a scene <laughs> where they go up to the tower and the light turns off and we're like, ooh, they're smashing. <laughs> Cartoon sex. Boner jams. Oh, wait. Boner, <laughs> boner jams. Oh, wait. So three, guys. No, no, you're watching the wrong movie. But, um, <laughs> right. Yeah, so Padme's pregnant. She's got the twins. We, we obviously know as the audience who've watched four, five, and six. But now I feel like Anakin's kind of thrown into something that he wasn't prepared for. Because not only is he hiding his like secret marriage from the Jedi and pretty much everybody, but like now he has to hide the fact that he's going to be a father moving forward. 
And how do you feel about how Anakin's whole like descent into the dark side is handled in one movie? I don't like the premise where he's he's trying to save Padme. That's his whole. That's his underlying motive to the main. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to why he needs to learn the ways of the dark side because he wants to save Padme. But he ultimately it leads to his demise where he basically he decides, hey, I'm I'm no longer a Jedi. I'm going to succumb to the will of, of the dark side. And I just I don't. I don't think it was it was executed. The way the story was, the, the premise or his motives was was a good enough. I have a little bit of a different take. I feel like that is the underlying issue. Yeah. But I also feel like, as we've talked about, we see him descend slowly into the dark side over time. It's not just one thing mm-hmm. that happens. It is multiple things. His distrust with the Jedi Council, I think it plays a big part in that. The loss of his mother, I think, plays a big part in that. Uh, him having visions of Padme dying during childbirth, I think they all play a part in him turning to the dark side. And I think that that's the most realistic thing that happens in this entire prequel is that nobody just decides, like, I'm going to be bad now. There are things that happen over time that draw you over to that side. And I also think, like, as I was watching it, obviously I know it's going to happen, But I also think, like, had Obi-Wan been more uh, in tune with his uh, apprentice, he would have been able to catch this and maybe pull him back to the light. But I don't know how you guys feel, but I think we saw this in episode two and episode one. Like, maybe it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because I already know he's going to be bad. But, like, I feel like I see instances where he could turn to the dark over time. It's not like a quick switch. So I appreciated it. I thought it was done well. And I got to agree with you, TJ. I feel like the execution is a bit off, but I do like that George Lucas didn't just say like, oh, I'm bad now. I like that it has to do with his mother. It has to do with the killing of Count Dooku at the behest of the Emperor. It has to do with the fact that he's separated from Obi-Wan because the Jedi are stupid. It has to do with the fact that um, Padme's now pregnant and he has to worry about two lives unknowing to him three lives that he's gonna have to worry about you know lying to the jedi dealing with the fact that you know he's an honest person and now he's in love he's not allowed to be exactly and also he had the pressure of being the chosen one on top of him exactly and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that prophecy too because that shit has nothing to do with any of these movies Mm -hmm. no but what i will say is like i'm sure that gave him a big head where we see like he feels like his capabilities are bigger than what they are because he's like well i'm yeah like yeah in the the final fight scene yeah his speech says says that yeah. yeah Well, yeah, I'll get back to that. But like, we also have the fact that um, Palpatine put him on the council. Yeah. Right. And then the Jedi refused to give him the rank of master. The fact that Palpatine kind of manipulates him into thinking that the Jedi are withholding secrets of the force from him. Mace Windu and Yoda are just total dicks to him. Uh-huh. There are so many things just compounded on top of this dude to make him say, like, why the fuck would I want to be a Jedi at this point? Like, I'm so unhappy being a Jedi. Yeah. Like, I have I have a but- wife. I got kid on the way like and see if we had one scene where he kind of did that monologue or he said that to one other character it would have just made it fulfilled it so much better i feel like we lead up to it where he's he really is debating what he wants to be but as soon as the chancellor tells him that the dark side can prevent death when he's had visions of padme dying in childbirth i think that is the straw that broke the camel's back as you were saying like it, it wasn't the one thing 
but that was the last thing that was required for him to, to make that turn to the dark side because he loves her. He wants her to live. Obviously, he wants to be happy and, and live a it's long life. It's her and, against the Jedi. Right? Like He will do anything to protect her as opposed to the Jedi way and all for that. For sure. Yeah. Like He doesn't really care about the Jedi. He yeah. already has distrust. He had visions of his mom dying, which actually happened. Now he's going to have visions of... His Padme. wife dying, yeah. which, as far as he knows, will also happen. It was just the last thing that was needed for the Chancellor to be like, oh, the dark side can prevent death from happening. That was enough for me. So I appreciated the arc there. Like, yeah. I thought it was I, I, I agree with him. I think it's great. Yeah, and I, I agree, too. I just think by admitting that he's a Sith to Anakin and having the whole talk about Darth Plagueis and all that stuff and how he can like prevent death or create life or whatever Palpatine has basically given himself like a security blanket like Mm -hmm. this kid's never gonna hurt me because I told him about how the dark side can save people and I've revealed myself to be a practitioner of the dark side so when the Jedi come to kill me Anakin's gonna be so infatuated with the thought that I could help save his wife that he's gonna do whatever it takes to prevent them from killing me which is why that's why he says he should stand trial. That's why he betrays Mace Windu because he knows or feels that this is the only guy that can help me save my wife. Yeah. And that's one thing that the movie does do very well is the whole attachment of it's not inherently wrong to fall in love with someone. However, if you have someone you love who's passing away or who's terminally ill, not being able to accept that can have terrible emotional repercussions on you. Being able to enjoy them while they're here as opposing to refuse to let go. And that is something that, uh, you know, a sort of a mark of life that the movie does resonate well with that it does execute well um it's also like a self-fulfilling prophecy right yeah right? And because then was, yes the, the whole reason that padme dies is i mean, no one knows but the assumption is that it's just a broken heart right right and, and so again it's like his visions are visions that he actually created right his own actions from turning to the her. dark side yeah right um sidebar i know uh, you guys brought up that that speech he made about you know hey how to preserve life um, hopefully we'll, we'll see ramifications of that because I mean it's a, kind of alluded to in The Rise of Skywalker so that might explain if he's actually in the film like how he was able to come back from his untimely death and return to Jedi so we'll see if it's his explanation and the powers of the dark side will explain some of the ramifications you might see in Rise of Skywalker kind of getting into uh, you know the prophecy that we talked about well no I don't have time for that yet <laughs> okay. we, we gotta talk about how Anakin, in a last-ditch effort to kind of save Padme, he actually does go to the Jedi for help. He does go to the Jedi for help. He meets with Master Yoda, and he has that conversation about how he's afraid that somebody close to him, you know, is in danger of dying. And the only advice Yoda could give him is, uh, don't worry about it, man. You know, people die. Just don't don't grieve over it. What do you say? He's like, greed so, is the shadow of the dark side or something like that. He says something else like it's a it's a part of life or it's just another part of our existence. Yeah. yeah. See, he, I feel like he's not inherently wrong. Like, yes, you're right. You have to be able to let go of these things in life, uh, the things beyond your control. But you don't preach to somebody when they're that desperate, when they're that worried. You know, you, he wasn't consoling at all. And when you're worried that they might turn to the dark side right, and exactly. to be a little more consoling yeah, than that. Yeah, because Yoda sensed when Anakin was killing the sand people. He's like, oh, yeah, Skywalker's in pain. Like Mace Windu sits down. He's like, Skywalker's in pain. He's suffering. And then when Luke comes to you three years later and talks about how he's suffering, you don't do anything. You just give Anakin. Him, 
or sorry, when Anakin comes to you, you don't fucking do anything. You're just like, hey, I know you were like suffering like three years ago and all this other shit. But, uh, you know, hey, look, if uh, right. somebody care about dice, who cares? Like, I don't you don't investigate like this is the chosen one. And we'll get into the prophecy finally. But like this is the chosen one. And you're not going to look into this. This is the guy that's supposed to bring balance to the force. And you treat him with such disregard. Before we trash the movie, this is done on purpose. Because George Lucas, like we talked about, you know, this episode and the original trilogy, he did this on purpose. Like the Jedi are so far up their asses that they don't see trouble right in front of them. So like, I appreciate that fact. George Lucas has to create distrust among the Jedi Council with Anakin. Otherwise, there's no reason for him to think that they have ulterior motives, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it was done well. I think it's a lot of little things that really add up to Darth Vader becoming Darth Vader. You kind of can't blame Anakin in this instance either because, you know, you have someone telling him that, hey, we can give you everything that you want. Come to our side. Yeah. And versus like, your like sort of parent characters, which are very un- lying to very you, very unloving, the very, truth, they don't, don't really, they you. don't want, really, they don't want anything to do with him right off the bat. Exactly. Despite yeah. the fact that they even will acknowledge and know he's the chosen one. I would also say visually, I feel like Anakin's like descent into the dark side was really well done. Oh yeah. Like, no, I love that. I loved his design, especially towards the end. Yeah. Uh, I think Muggs brought it up earlier when he went to go. Uh, execute the little ones a uh, very sad scene or but when he was walking to the temple it just looked very darth it was very badass with his hood over him see it his sith eyes yeah it was yeah. very a very uh well executed scene and yeah that transition was very well done you know kind of going back to the prophecy though like mace windu and yoda they had they kind of have that uh talk on the carrier they're talking about anakin you know i don't trust palpatine and anakin together whatever and they say like oh but he is the chosen one right and then yoda's just like oh the prophecy misread could have been or something like that and it's just like what like what what do you mean misread like go back to the fucking jedi library and fucking figure out what the prophecy Re-read is it, bro. yeah because oh we didn't even touch upon this in the last movie talking about the jedi being so far up their asses camino goes missing in the jedi archives the librarian doesn't give a shit yoda's just like huh let's let these kids figure it out Obi-Wan, you should go and investigate. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Like, you know that Sith exists now. You've known they exist for 10 years now. They killed one of your best Jedi masters or whatever. Now shit is going missing from the archive. And now your chosen one is fucking leaning towards the dark side. Like, do something. And that's, like I said, that's not a problem with the plot. That's just my issues with the Jedi because I fucking hate the Jedi in these movies. George Lucas is doing this on purpose, so I'm not disparaging him. Like, he's doing this all intentionally. I'm just vocalizing my frustration with, like, Yoda and Mace Windu, like, at this point. This is the biggest thing in Jedi lore that we've heard in this series. Like, this is like the coming of Christ. Like, this is like the the chosen one, the one, the only thing we've heard of any sort of relevance for Jedi religion or Jedi lore. And again, like you said, no one wants to accept that as Anakin. It's just like, whatever. But but didn't we also talk about in 4, 5, and six I, I, I want to say it was five yoda makes a comment like that as well where like there may be another or there is another yeah two. that's yeah that's something that's i mean i i don't know if they're talking about leia which i don't think that really fits but yoda says it here in this in this part but it also says it in five i think and it's like are they talking about ray I, I mean i don't know i don't know what they're gonna so maybe that maybe the prophecy isn't being fulfilled i don't know it's just a thought in my head i don't know yeah and I, it makes me wonder though like 
where is this idea of the prophecy coming from? Because I feel like a lot of it comes down to stuff outside of the movies. Like Bling, you talked about like shit needs to be spoken about in the movies. Like people say like, oh, Anakin did bring balance to the force because he killed the emperor once he was redeemed by Luke. Some things need to be explicitly stated in the movies. And I feel like this whole prophecy thing is like unnecessary. Why couldn't Anakin just be so strong with the force that they said, hey, we should make him a Jedi and call it a day? Well, because what do you think about the other theory that in destroying the Jedi, he did bring balance of the force and bring the numbers even between the Jedi and the Sith? And I would agree with that, but that's... Us but it, like you're reaching. saying, yes. That's yeah. us reaching. Yeah. yeah. Because like I, even me as one fan asking another fan, if in your research, if you found anything, because I haven't really, you know, exactly yeah. like this is another reaching point, which is a huge <laughs> problem of these films. Another problem I have with this film, um, aside from there being no Jar Jar, there's <laughs> almost no Padme. Padme doesn't do shit. Anybody that listened to the Marvel podcast, like we talked about like the female characters finally doing shit. Like Padme's role has been like reduced to her being like barefoot and pregnant. This movie, she stands outside of windows. She cries. She's just like, oh my God, Annie, what do we do? And I'm just like, I'm sorry, weren't you the most resourceful motherfucker like for the last six hours of this trilogy? Like you were the most resourceful, gung-ho, pick up your gun and fight for your people type of person. And now it's just kind of like, what do we do, Annie? Yeah. What do we do? But she's pregnant. (laughs) There's some slack. I guess. Or is that meant to show? I, I think she does relinquish her like powers to like Anakin. Like, hey, we're together. You call the shots. In the yeah, sense. I was gonna say, I was mean, that meant to show that? Sort I, of I think she's kind of like, hey, like I, I was a, a badass motherfucker, you know. And and, and now it's on you I, in a sense. I mean, I, I think she does. Like, hey, you I, have the card. I, but go. I but I think her like Kern was saying like her role in this film undermines what we saw in the previous two films. In one and two. Yeah, yeah right, especially yeah. especially if she's supposed to be like this, like I said, in the, almost like this strong-willed, kind of mirroring what we saw with Leia in you know the original trilogy, and all of a sudden she's kind of like relegated to this almost side character that's not really important in this film. Even the fact that she would like die from a broken heart is like... <laughs> so <laughs> trash. It's kind of just like... Uh, you were real strong the last two times. Like, that's what you're going out on? She's lost the will to live? Like, what kind of bullshit-ass bullshit bullshit is that? That's just stupid. Um, Speaking of shit. Yeah, it's bullshit. (laughs) Sounds like bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah, speaking on uh, Padme, uh, one thing I want to bring up. uh, Back in 2017, Star Wars concept artist Ian McKaig revealed that it was Padme uh, who had the idea to go kill Anakin on Mustafar and not Yoda or Obi-Wan. When Padme visits Anakin on Mustafar, She's supposed to run up to him with a knife behind her back and then the two would hug and then she would have the knife at his neck ready to kill him, but she would kind of fail at killing him because she loves him too much. That falls more in line with the character of Padme. Like she should have been the first one to be like, yo, Anakin's killing kids again. We got to kill this dude. (laughs) I I buy that she like wouldn't believe someone who just told her that, right? Wait, wait, are you talking about the younglings? Yeah, yeah. like she didn't see that. Someone but just told her. Anakin confessed to killing kids prior, remember? So it's not outside. Yeah, so it's she not, didn't so care it's not, then. It's not outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah, she didn't to. care back then. Now she's going to care because someone told her. So she liked killing kids too. But again, yeah. all these things are, could have been better explored in the movies. Like yeah. even if she had, even if she, str- even if she struggled with this, where she believed it, but she didn't want to believe it, or she, it all could have been explored. Her death was a result of Anakin overly striking her down because she attempted to kill him, type of thing. Yeah, like that would have been amazing. Whereas uh, he was freaking out because he thought she brought Obi Wan, and he said, "You betrayed me." 
Where as opposed to she had a knife and maybe she decided at the last minute not to do it, but he found out and said he betrayed it. Like these could have all been done way more I, intensely. I, I, I think an arc would have been like she would try to kill him and then Obi-Wan stops her and maybe... Right, you know, yeah, exactly. And that's how the fight starts. Right, yeah, so and, let me and, try and, and save and him. And maybe it causes her to be, you know, gravely, you know, causes like her demise. or something, yeah. 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 Um, and then the other thing too, like I feel like other things that they cut out were like um, like the formation of the rebellion. You had like Mon Mothma, you had Bail Organa kind of having that meeting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Removing that kind of takes her out as a major player in the movie too. I feel like all that should have been in the movie. Like if you watch the deleted scenes on episode three, mm-hmm. like you see a lot of the, uh, you know, the primary members or the instigators of the rebellion kind of meeting up with Padme being involved. I feel like taking that out of the movie really, like you said, it kind of, kind of, undermines everything we've been knowing about her since episode one like you take away so much of her character by like leaving her to do nothing yeah and if she's pregnant whatever there are things that she's physically incapable of but she's also a government official with the ability to do things and you know do things behind the scenes like why can't we see her you know be a badass politically because she's been a definite alpha female this whole time and if she's gonna as a result of her being pregnant or her wanting to you know a change of her type where her life is going there should have been some kind of monologue some kind of scene where she you see in her head or you get some into her psyche where she's changing what she wants as opposed to becoming the nothing that we got yeah she's dying of a broken heart she's (laughs) lost the will to live we split the two characters up rightfully this time i feel like the last movie they shouldn't have been split up but uh, obi-wan goes after grievous how do you guys feel about the general grievous obi-wan fight i think it's awesome that was pretty good yeah I mean, it's well, it's unique with like we never seen anything like that before with the robot with the swing, the lightsabers with the four of them, stuff like that. Do you think it discredits Obi Wan's character? What I will say is when I saw that, I was like, "There's no way that you can keep track of four independently moving lightsabers." See, I I thought that sealed Obi Wan as a badass. The fact that he was able to beat him. Yeah, the way he like does beat him though with that gun hanging off the side, but he still beats him. I mean, winning is winning, right? You know, I don't know. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch. Or, or a mile. mile. Winning is winning. Yeah, okay, but do you think that was kind of cheese when, like, Obi-Wan picks up the gun and shoots him and he, like, tosses it and he's like, ooh, so uncivilized. Yes, yeah. yeah. very, very oh, Which, again, yeah. if you want to draw parallels to his line with uh, teaching Luke about the saber in episode four, not as clumsy or as random as a blaster, but, like, didn't you kill Gravius with this mobile? Yeah, is it no, okay, is a blaster <laughs> really random? Because, like, don't you have to aim, like, with intent? Like, Maybe he meant ricochet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought that was kind of whack, and I thought Grievous kind of went out pretty weak. Visually, Grievous is such a sick villain. I was hoping for a fight similar to what we got in the Clone Wars. All he did was like spin his glow sticks like he was at EDC or some shit. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, I, think, I thought he put up a good fight. But, okay, you're right. That did look like EDC. And then Obi-Wan's riding his Pokemon across Utapau. <laughs> okay, Utapau, though, one of the more visually interesting planets I've seen. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wish we would have spent more time there. Me not seeing those cartoons, yeah. I didn't have a lot of attachment. Right. So, yeah. like, when I saw the fight, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. This is cool. It's a different kind of character. I like the four swing and glow sticks, but I guess I need to watch these cartoons. It yeah, seems like they, they left a lot they, out. Yeah, or should they, be more impactful. they really do help a story-wide. Yeah. Connecting l- l- it l- let me ask you, because they introduced another character. Was it Cody? 
What's Commander Cody. Commander Cody. Is that explained in the, the micro series as well? Or is it because it's like they threw another character? I'm like, who's this guy now? Okay, so Commander <laughs> Cody does show up in the 2D series by Gendy Kartakowski. Yeah. But Commander Cody is also a character in uh, the 3D Clone Wars series yeah. by Cartoon Network. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, the one thing that the Clone Wars series does, it does flesh out a lot of the clones as characters. Mm-hmm. So you figure out, like, why these clone battalions have different color armor. Like, why Yoda's is green. Why Anakin's is blue? Why all of Obi Wan's clones are yellow? Mace mm. Windu's are purple? Why you have shock troopers? Why you have Imperial Guard? All that other stuff. Like their armor denotes who they report to, as oh. well as their status or their rank. Which is a lot cooler. Yeah. So they have different armor depending on what rank they are. Mm. So like Anakin's clone commander is a uh, Captain Rex. Mm-hmm. We also get Ahsoka that came in post this movie. Mm-hmm. She's like Anakin's apprentice that you never hear about in this movie, which is a really cool character. But that's that's a total different discussion since we're only talking about the live action movies but like the Gendy Tartakovsky 2D series as well as the Cartoon Network 3D series really flesh out the Clone Wars to make them much more interesting. That's another dynamic that I loved about these movies of like the Jedi just supposed to be the peacekeepers taking on the general roles and, and like in a military sense in this uh, in these films as like the commander of the storm, their stormtroopers. That was just a really interesting, real sort of fun dynamic to play with with these characters. It's a cool irony that the the Jedi are leading what are essentially stormtroopers into battle. I think that's a that's a cool visual and kind of a thing to play off of. I think that's really cool. Okay, do you think the Dooku versus Anakin fight was better than the Mace Windu versus Palpatine fight? Nope. Nope. You Not think the Palpatine Mace Windu fight is better? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think it should, because it shows that Mace Windu's a badass. Like, he's actually probably the best trained fighter, Jedi fighter, even probably exceeding Yoda's ability. So I think that puts it on display, like, hey, he's... You know, he did one-on-one Palpatine. And that yeah. Like, and I, I think any Dooku fight is awful. Like, I don't think he does anything good. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, like, other than, like, you see Yoda at his prime, I don't think any Dooku fight is, like, worth even... Am I being a dig about no, 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 I'm laughing. God off. No, I'm laughing because like every time you say Dooku, I have to laugh at how ridiculous the name sounds. Yes, it's so trash. The way you say it, there's like a lot of emphasis like Dooku. I can't even. How do you say his name? I can't even. It's just funny because you hate it so much. I can just see like every time you say you hate your saying. Like like I would watch a General Grievous fight, you know, anything that Dooku is in. It's just trash. I hate it. And I love him as an actor. I think he's great in the of the Rings not in Star Wars I, I, I don't, and I don't think it's his fault I think it's the direction of well, it but whatever so so Colonel let me ask you like what, what did you think of the Mace Windu fight because I, I, I like how the it takes four Jedi to take down you know Sith Lord and then three of those Jedi get taken out within Trump the first, first few seconds second, like yeah. it feels like underwhelming you're going up against a Sith Lord you're assuming they're all Jedi at least Jedi Masters or some, you know the most trained and then three of them get taken out within the first yeah it does feel <laughs> underwhelming yeah uh, I mean, I will say this. Like, I think this is a very poorly choreographed fight. Okay. I think it's poorly choreographed. I think those four Jedi died, like, super easy in an office. Yeah. If you're going to use CGI and stunt doubles to make Christopher Lee look like he can fight up against, like, a young mid-20s guy like Anakin, yeah. why not make that extra effort to make the demise of like four Jedi masters look better. (laughs) Like I get that George Lucas had kind of the excuse or the reasoning that, you know, these guys, 
they know how to conserve their energy, so therefore their movements are more swift and exact, and they don't do a lot of flippy shit. I, I get it. Like we don't need flippy shit. If Palpatine is gonna take out four Jedi Masters, make so it look it was make, four. So was yeah, make it look that. better. You know, and, and, <laughs> the and, first and three go down this, fast, right? I think just bottom line, Lucas is not a great action director, as like we're saying this again. This entire podcast we talk about the last three <laughs> movies being poorly directed. Like that's not great. Yeah, that's true. I guess. Yeah, and, and those, and Sorry, again, Georgie. To go back to that, if you want to see Mace Windu be a badass, go back to those 2D animation things. Like uh, one of those upgraded battle bots pulls its arm gun on him and he just throws his arm out and all the bolts come apart. He literally picks it apart by the force and it just falls into pieces. Visually, it looks so great. And like nothing of that caliber is brought in the movies visually. And he, again, maybe physically, but you could have done something closer to it. And you know what? He does pro- give him a different color lightsaber. Yeah. Which that is true. everyone notices. And it's like, oh, you're a badass. But I just, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I yeah. per- personally, I feel Mace Windu is a bit more of a badass from what I've seen in those cartoons as yeah. opposed to what I yeah. saw in the movie. And you know what the problem is, too? It's just like, and we talked about episode one, how people didn't want to kind of interfere with George because they know they'd be micromanaged. Like, you wouldn't be able to do shit like that with George Lucas looking over your shoulder. Because remember, in Return of the Jedi, we talked about how the fight between Luke and Vader was supposed to be like the fight between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan. It was supposed to be better choreographed, but George Lucas insisted that they should still have this kind of like awkward fighting style. Both hands on the saber, not doing a ton of flips. Slower pace. Yeah, like the static fight, yeah. the static fight, which is not at all like the fight we got in Empire. If somebody tried to come in and film or tell George like, no, 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 like these two should fight, he'd probably come up with some bullshit or whatever. Which is funny because both guys still had stunt doubles fill in for them and their faces CGI'd. <laughs> so it's just like, why not fucking go all out between the most powerful Jedi besides Yoda and the most powerful the Emperor? Uh, leads to the, the part where he uses a uh, force lightning. Do you, do you like how that's how we get the look of the Emperor in the original trilogy? That it's his own force lightning that caused his this I liked it. My, yeah, this when I was watching it, my question was like, why does the dark side get lightning but we have to use lightsabers? <laughs> Kerwin. Okay. Um, I'm not entirely sure on this. So, Star Wars fans, I'm talking to you. Let us know, because apparently we don't know shit. Um, Lightning, Sith lightning, is specific to the Sith. Jedi can use lightning, from what I remember, but I could be wrong. But Yoda shows that he's able to, like, contain or absorb lightning in episode two and three. He's able to, like, absorb it and send it back. I think there is either a book or a comic in which Luke is able to use Force Lightning in the old Expanded Universe books. I've never heard of this, but yeah, this is great. Yeah, because yeah, that's a level we never see Vader yeah. into. You yeah. never see this, yeah. Yeah, and Vader... Well, it's just because, like, Jedi have to fight hand-to-hand, but Sith seem to be able to fight from a distance, which but see, again, seems like, like a disadvantage for us. With like, the force, <laughs> with, like, the Force pushes, they're also, like, a telekinesis, if you kind of look at their fighting style, like, the way they bring things over to them, or they, like, they force... Yeah. I'm going to keep going back to those cartoons, but I stand so solidly behind them when Mace Windu crushed the lung of Grievous, he did like a force reach out and crush his lung. Like he didn't physically punch him, he crushed right. his lung with the force. It's just that they have so much potential of like their abilities and powers, but they barely scratch the surface of it. They never go deep into it. Yeah. And it's a shame too, because like, I know Justin, you keep going back to the, the Clone Wars cartoon and so do I. And going back to your point, Bling, it's yeah. just like so much cool shit is not in these two movies, two and three. <laughs> There's so much cool shit that's not here. It should be here. 
Like mm-hmm. this is potentially the last Star Wars movie. Like go all the way the fuck I out. I mean, you you could even argue if if he had mapped out, he could have made the the micro series, maybe even like a condensed version, one of the one of the episodes. Make yeah. one live action. Yeah. Or here's the thing: we talked about in the Marvel episode, Captain America and Captain Marvel. This movie should have been two movies. Like this movie should have ended with Anakin going to the dark side. Credits roll, and then we should have got Episode Three, Part Two kicking off right from there uh palpatine calls order 66 mm-hmm. everybody's in disarray what does that do we see prominent jedi that we've met before like uh plo Koon, um kiari mundi like kit Fisto got killed like a bitch he had mm-hmm. a great episode in the cartoon by mm-hmm, the way yeah. like we could see what that does to the government to the jedi you could have Anakin doing way more cool shit as Darth Vader for a longer period of time before he gets his armor. That gives us more opportunities to flesh things out. We could actually meet some of the clone troopers in that extra two hours that we're given. I feel like episode three, because we wasted so much time in episode two, episode three should have been two parts. Yeah. yeah like this, this is the movie that should have been a part one and part two. I will say like, Again, that was unheard of. Like splitting one movie into two parts. Yeah. That did not happen back then. Yeah. So thanks, Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Twilight, for giving I, I, us No, 50 I think shits. I think Harry Potter did it first. I'm not okay. sure, but I think Who knows? Uh, Twilight no. fans, let us know. Yeah. Twilight fans, if you're listening, let us know. When we do the Twilight retrospective, we'll figure it out. Um <laughs> the expanded Twilight universe. Yeah, so uh Order sixty six happens. Do you guys think this is kind of a Is there any significance? I felt that was kind of a cheesy execution of kill all the Jedi. I don't know if that's... Uh, no, that's what they needed to do, right? Here, here's what I need some explanation on. So the chancellor, who is part of the Senate and is pretty much running the Senate at this point, also is involved in the separatist movement. Yes. They create a war, which gives the chancellor more power. So what's confusing to me is like, then we kill all the separatists. I think it was in order to silence them so the chancellor couldn't be traced back to them. Oh, is what I kind of like an espionage, you know? Okay, so then I can be like, oh, this guy told us to do this, right? Yeah, so okay, he had that makes completely then, clean ties. And then also, like to the larger point, which I think is, I got to give George Lucas credit. Like we talked about, the best part of this series kind of being watching Palpatine's sense of power. I think the most brilliant play is that Palpatine has amassed two armies on two opposite yeah. sides of the spectrum so like no matter who wins he's in control he's in control yeah. and I think like once he got Anakin on his side he realized like okay the Republic's gonna oh. win I have enough power I killed Mace Windu Anakin's pretty much willing to do whatever the fuck I say now it's time to kill the Jedi and you know get rid of the Separatists all yeah. at once cause I think if it was the other way around and Anakin never joined his side he would've just probably said hey, clone troopers kill each other or whatever and then just use the robots and then in episode four, five, and six we would have had battle droids instead of stormtroopers. He's made an unlosable situation for himself. I was very confused throughout the entire trilogy because I knew that the Chancellor was bad. I knew that that happened. Obviously, I knew Anakin turned bad and I knew that they were part of the Senate so when I heard about the Separatists, I thought that became the Rebellion. I assumed that the Separatists became the Rebellion and that they were the good guys but now I know that I'm wrong. To some degree, you are right, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, what's the dude's name from Rogue One? Uh, Diego Luna's character, uh, Cassian Andor. Yeah. He is a separatist. 
he was a separatist that joined the rebellion. So like, you're not totally wrong. Um, Palpatine orders Order 66, and then you see this montage of all the clone troopers kind of killing their Jedi leaders, Jedi generals, etc. right? Mm -hmm. And which I think is cool in the sense that we see other things happening in the galaxy, which we haven't been focusing on this entire time. We see a bunch of Jedi that have been kind of background characters get killed, and I feel zero emotional attachment to them because they haven't been characters. Like the only one that ever had any speaking lines was Kiari Mundi, the guy that dies on a uh, Maigido or mm -hmm. whatever. You uh, don't, you don't have any emotion. Not attached it. to any. Um, I kind of look at. I get sad. It's it's a part of Star Wars. I'm where not I get attached, sad. but knowing that like the Jedi are so few in episodes four, five, and six. Watching that happen, the extinction of the Jedi, to me, was impactful. I feel like Yoda's reaction makes me sad, too, when he almost drops the cane. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 The CGI cane, yeah. by the way. Uh, yeah. Side note, let me ask you, let me ask you, um, do you like that they included the Wookiee race in... I do. I mean, they show that, that Chewbacca wasn't the only Wookiee out there and... That whole sequence is filler. Okay. I I understand that, you know, the Wookiees went on to become slaves for the Empire or whatever, but I feel like that didn't even need to be in the movie, personally. That's just my opinion. Just more fan service to it's say <laughs> more fan service and speaking of fan service, a young Han Solo was supposed to appear in that oh, scene. That's right. Yeah. Ten year old Han Solo was supposed to appear on Kashyyyk. What Ooh. happened there? Uh, they, just they, cut it. they never cast the role never cast, and they never, never filmed shot. it. Yeah. What we are missing on episode one, which we did not talk about, um, E.T. Oh, God. Did you guess? He's a cameo, right? Yeah. I, he's a cameo. E. Let's not go not, back. I'm just saying it's no, his it is race. E. It, it is. It is E.T. What? It, I didn't hear about this. What's in one? episode Steven is Spielberg, one, right? Yeah. You can see when they're arguing around in the In the Senate. Whole, you see an E.T. race? Well, you, yes. all, you see Chewbacca's race, uh -huh. but you also see E.T.'s race. Oh, they're right there. It's... It's a little Easter egg because of George Lucas Spielberg. and Steven Spielberg. No, that's fun. I like that. I like the yeah. Spielberg. I, I like it. You yeah. know, so the, when, Why, you, when you're you get taking to us back this to episode one. No, but when you get to this, I do like the whole like bringing the whole Wookiee planet or race, all that. I like that. I mean, I, you guys are saying you dislike it. No, I mean, I'm no, saying, I do. I'm saying it's not necessary for yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's it's not necessary, no, but I do nice think that it's it's cool. Also, I, I think also I think e. contributes to making the galaxy smaller. Yeah, yeah. I think ET. E.T. is different than having a whole sequence with Wookiees. Like, I appreciate, like, the meta cameo. Yeah. Like, that's different than, like, an entire sequence dedicated to one race of characters that haven't had any significance in the prequels prior to. Like, uh -huh. I, I kind of feel like if you had a Wookiee Jedi Master at some point or a Wookiee character of some sort, that would add a relevance to this sequence. But, yeah. like, it does nothing. Like, if you're going to show, like, the Kashyyyk battle, yeah. show us other battles happening at the same time yeah. so that when we get the montage of all the Jedi Masters getting and killed it kind of resonates and and, and that is Chewbacca that's interacting with Yoda right yes, it's not so yes, that so yes. they had they had to make it so it wasn't just a wookiee race it actually had to be Chewbacca that whole sequence <laughs> is an excuse to have Chewbacca show up okay let's yeah. be real like Yoda finds out that the clones are bad and he chops their heads off speaking of the clones being bad order 66 palpatine issues order 66 and all the clones are just like oh shit we got to kill the jedi now right uh, in the 3D cartoon produced by Warner Brothers and uh, Cartoon Network, 
and I believe Dave Filoni is the head creative for that. Dave Filoni. So, yeah. yeah. Order 66 is the result of biological chips being implanted in all the clones at birth. Okay, so it's not some like training it. It's actually a, a, there's a entering candidate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like a there's a chip implanted in all the clones that when this order is triggered will cause them to turn on the Jedi. And that okay. was implemented before. Um, there is a series of episodes that are really good where one clone trooper, I think his name is Fives, I could be wrong, they uncover a conspiracy by the people of Kamino, the geneticists, the cloners. They uncover this conspiracy that they are implanting them with biological chips that'll make them betray the Jedi. So some clones like Captain Rex, I think Commander Wolf, and a couple other guys, they undergo surgery to have them removed so mm. that they don't betray the Jedi later on. And they try to get the news out the clone fives I believe goes to Coruscant because I think he goes like AWOL or some shit or they claim he went AWOL because he knew the truth of what's happening but he didn't get his chip removed and so um, he goes to Coruscant and he's sent to be like interrogated but he knows he's gonna be killed he's the one that figures out that Palpatine is evil way before the Jedi do and um, essentially what happens is like he escapes goes on the run and he's killed by the shock troopers you know the guys with the red armor yeah Palpatine's own clone battalion or yeah. whatever some of the clones kind of figure out that Palpatine is evil way beforehand when you see something that's like Order 66 you're just kind of like that's it it, really like that's that's all it took if this movie were split into two we could have seen like a smaller version of that storyline or something like that or if the previous movie was split into two maybe we could see some of the clone wars and we could see some of that stuff or how disney's kind of do it with rogue one and han solo these non-episode installments right mm -hmm. i mean if they did something like that i mean that could have but i also think george was like limited by like we already had four, five, and six. We needed a one, two, and three. Unless yeah. you want to do like a one and a half or a two and a half or a three and a half. You kind of have to follow that same episode logic. Yeah. So, so I think he was trying to fill that. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm just saying like now with this Disney era, we're yeah. seeing these other ones and it's like, this would have like been a great off. opportunity yeah. to do that and explain some of this before we hop into episode three. And they still could do that. I would love to see a standalone Clone Wars movie of like a live action. Like a live action yeah. Clone Wars. Trying yeah. Trying to kind of encapsulate these things maybe over the course of like years or like, but you know like a standalone Jar Jar Binks movie or something that'd be pretty yeah cool. that'd be cool yeah, definitely yeah. Disney well, if it kept to that theory maybe it'd be cool <laughs> I meant it more as a joke but the, <laughs> the Darth Jar Jar standalone movie <laughs> and I think you're right TJ it's just like that format of cinematic storytelling didn't exist yet where you yeah. can create these extra movies to kind of fill in the gaps and wouldn't it have been cool if like while he's making three he hires another director and be like hey I need you to make a Clone Wars movie two hours two and a half hours long and it doesn't have to star Anakin and Obi-Wan but it can just be about the Clone Wars yeah. and just have it take place like the current like activities going on while this is going on maybe yeah just kind of just like <laughs> like newsreel status which is what he did with Cartoon Network mm -hmm. he mm -hmm. pretty much commissioned them to tell like the story of the Clone Wars while he's making three mm -hmm. like it would have been cool to see that live action you know I gotta give credit to you know Filoni and the people that worked on um, the Clone Wars cartoon series for Cartoon Network for fleshing a lot of the things out that George Lucas didn't have an opportunity to for answering a lot of questions that George Lucas didn't have an opportunity to Anakin goes to you know the Jedi Temple he's living his best life he's about to save his girl his wife or whatever you know kill some kids on the way whatever like shit <laughs> and you know he goes to the Jedi Temple but before that 
how do you guys feel about the way he's kind of crowned Darth Vader? I don't know how Darths are normally named, so I felt yeah. I don't know fine. how the naming conventions yeah. like come up, come <laughs> yeah, up yeah, with. I've never it's, seen that before. It was so. like a it was like a knighting. Yeah, it was yeah. like a knighting. That part I didn't mind. Um, jump ahead a little bit. The transition to where he's officially Darth Vader uh, in the machinery, and it's uh, James Earl Jones' voice. That part I felt was weak. Like I didn't mind the knighting of now you're Darth Vader, but that part I was just like all of a sudden now you're Darth Vader where he was in the. After the surgery, but like the end, yeah, yeah. My concern is, is I wish they would have stuck with the, like the whole name convention for like you had Darth Maul. They would have referred to Count Dooku as Darth Tyrannus, yeah, and maybe even given a little backstory of like why that that name was chosen. Maybe make up something like Vader means this or whatever. But but they don't really go into detail. He just anointed Darth Vader. After that, Anakin, like we said, kills some younglings. Um, For no reason at all. I don't really see the point of it. No, because he's got to kill the Jedi. The Jedi. Yeah. 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 Okay, the there you go. Okay, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Turn your fucking brain on. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> Master Skywalker, I what do so we bad. do? I didn't feel bad for shit. <laughs> I didn't feel bad at all. And when Obi-Wan sees it on the security cameras. Melodramatic as fuck. Yeah. The space security I also like the, oh, yeah. the camera automatically just... Rewound to the exact point that he wanted it to. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like he had the second unit director. It's like, yeah. It's like all right, now film killing the kids from this angle. Yeah. Like, I, don't know. I felt bad. Yeah. Um. So we see all that. Yoda goes after the Emperor, and then Obi Wan goes to Mustafar to fight Anakin. What do you guys want to talk about first? Because now now we're splitting up. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about the Yoda fight first. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Yoda's fight that first is. in the Senate House. Okay. Yeah. Let's. So who wants to start that off? Okay, well, listen. What are your thoughts? We we wanted to see Yoda kick ass, right? Like, that's what we wanted. I feel like he kind of got his ass handed to him. No, he did. Fight. He definitely yeah. got his ass handed to him, which is very surprising. Cause then but see, that's the whole thing about the power shift in these, like, that's unsaid. Like, Mace Windu was able to take him down. Like, he had to sacrifice three other Jedi to do it. Yeah. But then, like, Yoda should stand on par with him. But I don't know if he had a broken heart. What? He seems like his heart, his, like, heart wasn't in the fight. So many people have broken hearts. In this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think he held his own considering he's, like, old and small. I did like that fight. I think it got kind of corny where like Darth Sidious ha- like has his hands up and he's like, ha ha ha, my little yeah. green friend. Yeah. And when like Yoda force pushes <laughs> my him. My little yeah. green friend. Yeah, like he force pushes Hulk? him over the desk and like his pants are up. <laughs> and you could see like his fucking Macy's like dress socks. <laughs> he's, got polka, he's got polka dot boxers underneath. Yeah, he's got, he doesn't even have like red bottom shoes. And I'm like, you're the chancellor? Like, come on, dog. I think <laughs> the best part though is when he takes out the red guards. Oh. Oh when yeah, they, yeah. They, he walks cool. in and they try. Yeah. He just like get out. Dude. The yeah. whole is great. Dude. The whole theater cheered. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just you just laugh. Happening in the Senate room was a, like a nice setting. That was cool. Yeah. 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 You know, we talked about like Black Panther and how uh, T'Challa and uh, Eric when they're fighting underground. Yeah. Like it doesn't have that same feeling. I feel like although this space is empty, I think to your point, TJ, it's very symbolic of like the change in what's happening in the galaxy yeah. for them. Because like we keep going back to the Senate chambers movie after movie and for their final fight to be you at know, the senate chambers the throwing actual like to whatever pause they sit, whatever they, yeah. yeah i think it was perfect yeah. i think it was a great great thing to see I, I really appreciated the way george lucas did that so you know i gotta give george lucas props you know yeah. let's transition to the mustafar fight i mean do you guys really love this fight i do i don't know like i love the i love the soundtrack i do do you guys don't like the soundtrack? You guys hate yeah, it. yeah, I, no, I love the soundtrack. I really do. I think it's great, um, and I think 
it starts off good, but I just think it just gets so it's over long. the top. It's long. It's long. Where I'm like, I don't disagree I'm, that it's long, I'm, but does I'm long mean that's it. not good anymore? I just, I, I like, think it's not good anymore. Were they Super Mario jumped on the lava on those little, uh, yeah. Honestly, like, the I didn't whole e- thing I kept saying to Gus, who was sitting next to me asking a bunch of questions. What did Gus, Gus say about it? He was just asking, like, which one's Darth Vader? <laughs> How come they're not burning up? And I was like, Gus, that's the same question I have because they're so close to lava. <laughs> yeah. Fire. Yeah. Right? Like, you can't be that close to. But, like, when they're, they're not even. When they were in the war room, that was, I thought that was good choreograph. They're not even sweating. And there's like, you can see like embers like kind of floating around. Like, they're not catching like on the fire. The robes don't catch fire? Yeah, like nothing. Like, like, like your eyes shouldn't be open right now. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Like, your retinas should be like burning and shit. Like, Especially because, like, at the very end of it, of course, skipping ahead, like, he's close to lava and catches fire. Yeah. They're close to lava during the entire fight. <laughs> well, those so, robots had little force. Literally, they're on top of it. <laughs> they're true. literally walking on it. All right, so before we get into the fight, and I got to agree with some of you that it's over the top, but we'll get there. But, like, um, Obi-Wan goes to Padme, right? Says, yeah. like, oh, Anakin's bad. What do we do? Uh, we got to go get him. And then uh, I think Padme sneaks. No, no, Padme goes to visit him. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan sneaks on the ship. And then Padme goes down to talk to Anakin. And she's just like, oh, no, you're tearing me apart. You're going through a bad <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, so her her and Johnny, they got it fucked up. Uh, you know, Anakin force chokes her, right? Throws her to the side. And then uh, Obi-Wan comes down and is just like, hey, bro, we got to throw down. And Anakin's like, come at me, dog. And Obi-Wan's like, you don't want these hands. And, and then Anakin's like, bet. And then <laughs> they fight each other. That's but um, not at all been <laughs> said. Oh this rewrite is great. And then Anakin's like, "You ain't with the shits," and <laughs> they just like start going at it. No, um, I really wish like Luis from Ant Man would narrate this. <laughs> I really wish. I'm like, kind of pretty sure he just did. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about their philosophical differences. Talking about how Obi Wan says that the Chancellor is evil. You know, Senator or Chancellor Palpatine is evil. Uh, Anakin says that from his point of view, the Jedi are evil. He's not wrong. Jedi are dicks. I'm totally on Anakin's side with this one. But you did kill kids, so I, I gotta go with Obi-Wan. They have that talk, and I think uh, one of you guys brought it up. The absolutes. Yeah. yeah. So Anakin says, like, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy. And then Obi-Wan says, only a Sith deals in absolutes. And I'm like, bro, did you just not state an absolute? What the fuck is going on? Have they not been talking in absolutes this entire time? <laughs> the Jedi have been speaking in absolutes this entire fucking time. Like this, 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 this. And the Sith are kind of like, well, I mean, if you want to, you can. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do whatever. Do you, man. Like, live your life. Be free and shit. Like, be yourself. Have you seen our health plan? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. When you're a Sith, you get crazy, like, healthcare, which is great, apparently. When you're yeah. a Jedi, you have to go with Kaiser. Yeah. We talked about Mugga. After they have their dialogue, they're like, yo, we got to fight. Anakin unnecessarily backflips into Obi-Wan, which doesn't make any sense. And then they start their fight into kind of the war room or whatever. It's over the top. I feel like the music is overly dramatic. Really? I love the music. Nah, I love it. Nah, bro. I would have been cool with a gritty little fight close quarters or on like the edge of like a lava beach on the sand with no music playing just like a gritty rough fight I agree with you on that I'm just saying I like the music I like them going at it the whole them traveling down the lava river that to me is so unnecessary I get what you're saying 
Make it simple. But I, I, I love the beginning of the scene when they just... It's still John Williams, the right? The horns I mean, and all that. Yeah, yeah. the horn. I, I love that. I just... I agree with you. It, it goes too long. I think you don't even need music, man. Because, like, I'll tell I you know, this. I loved it, dude. I, I, loved I it. like the idea of just, like, these two people that have this intimate, personal relationship with each other. It's a simple fight. Scorched earth with, like, lava neck to them. No music, nothing but the sounds of their lightsabers. This gritty ass fight that they could have one on one, no obstacles, no lava, no bullshit. And then fucking Obi Wan finally beats Anakin and he rolls down the hill and like burns to death. Obviously, we think that there are other ways to go about this, but this is the creation of Darth Vader. You know what I mean? Like, it has to be significant in the universe. I think, especially given like how long some of the other fight scenes were, you have to outdo all of those other fights. You, you, you yeah. can't just shortcut it this one time because this is the one that creates the Darth Vader that we know. I think that's like a trap that you fall into because I, I kind of agree with Corrin that less is more a lot of times but I think if you were going to go with uh, Corrin's route of the less is more then this entire movie should have been gutted of action to make that final less action seem more impactful but then again that's like changing the whole directorial style of everything we've seen from these movies up until this point. It's like a brand new director a brand new movie if we're going to go with that. In that speech of them talking back and forth maybe they could have touched on Qui-Gon some more or gone back into if they were going to go super personal with it like just stuff between them but again because of the execution of the movie his whole speech of like I'm bad now I watched that scene and I'm trying to imagine uh, James Earl Jones voice saying these things like I'm trying to imagine the Vader in the mask talking to Obi-Wan this way because he's fully Vader at this point but I'm just not buying it. Yeah. And, you know, I would have loved Kerwin's direction, but if we went that way, I'm thinking an entirely different movie, an entirely different director, I'm, like entirely different everything for that to work. I know we clown on it for Michael Bay doing it, but I mean, wouldn't it have been also maybe some, a nice touch to have like some slow motion maybe... I don't know. That's me. And maybe you're but, actually implying you, <laughs> Michael Bayisms in this. I'm just saying. Um, also, I want I want to get your guys' input. What do you, What do you think about probably one of the greatest lines in the film, where he's like, "It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground." In so many ways. <laughs> and and then does the backflip and then gets his legs and arms chopped off. I have it's, moral to high me, ground. it's the most memorable part of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one of the greatest. It's one of the greatest memes ever. But what, what, what is your thoughts? Wait, Mugga, what happened? We reenacted this in Hawaii, where <laughs> TJ was the high ground and Kerwin was on the ground. <laughs> it was. I have the video. We're gonna upload it after this. But okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, is interesting. What do you guys think about that? I think it just ended anticlimactically. It was so on the nose. Like for all their bullshit like bombastic fight and the fucking excessive music and the fucking pirate swinging from poles <laughs> and just like just all this crap like watch literally watching like literally watching like a video game cutscene this entire fight it's just kind of like this is the way it's gonna end because the way i'm talking about i want the fight to be is literally the way the fight ends it's emotional it's simple it's to the point what happens in this scene is more impactful than the entire fucking fight I just watched. <laughs> With one swing, his legs and armor gone, and whoop, you caught on fire, and now I'm Darth Vader. I don't know. I have to give Hayden some credit as far as the acting De when he's like, I hate you. Yeah. It's very, very powerful. Medicine, like, yeah. it, but again, I, I was like, wow. Right then and there, you're like, man, this guy's fucked. You know? my, my whole yeah. thing is once you see Vader, like Vader's the man, dude. Vader is a grown ass man. Like yeah. you see Vader, like dark shit's about to happen. Like he's on top of it. And just seeing this transition from Christensen to Vader is just kind of rough for me. Yeah, it's a great emotional scene and it's great acting, but he's Vader at this point. James Earl Jones' voice, trying to imagine the only that, I hate you, I hate you, you know what I, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 
he should have been Darth Vader much longer before the armor. And when we talk about episode one, how it started too far back, we should have kicked off with Anakin being in his 20s or maybe like late teens. So that way he could be he could be more of a man, honestly, in this movie. As a Jedi, he should already be that kind of like regal. I got confidence in myself, Darth Vader type of character so that when he does show his vulnerabilities and he is kind of seduced to the dark side, we could picture James Earl Jones right. saying all this shit. Like, we should picture James Earl Jones saying every bit of dialogue in this movie. So, you know, Obi-Wan walks away. Uh, fun fact, George Lucas totally forgot that Obi-Wan is supposed to have Anakin's lightsaber. So they had to film a <laughs> reshoot where Obi-Wan picks up the lightsaber and takes it with him. Wow. wow. Yeah. Somebody said, isn't Obi-Wan supposed to have Darth Vader's lightsaber and then it's, George Lucas is like oh shit you're right so they had to film this it's like you're going to run errands wow. and you forget something so Obi-Wan goes off picks up Padme and then we have the dual birth scene so we have Darth Vader donning the armor and then we have Padme dying giving birth to yeah. Luke and Leia um, how do you guys feel about these two kind of mirrored scenes I thought I it was well it. done yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought it was well done I, I like the parallel that it shows of really two new chapters starting right Darth Vader's chapter and Luke and Leia's chapter To me, it really set us up nicely for the original trilogy. I thought that was cool when he's like screaming and the force around him, he's sort of crushing the robots in the room. Mm-hmm. But it was a little corny. Of it was the, a little corny. No. But I think they made that for it with the whole him walking out on, there gotta be what, an, an Imperial starship. Right. And then you see the Death Star. Right. The whole yeah, frame yeah. of it with Grandma Tarkin right there. I, there it is, dude. We're but, good. We're but good. But yeah. Before we get to that, so... I think of the original theatrical cut, they didn't add that yell. Is that right? No, no. The yell was always there. Okay, the yell was always yeah, there? Return really, of the Jedi. It's really cheesy. It's really okay. cheesy. So um, Jimmy Smits, he's showing his bias and he's been like, yeah, these two kids are in danger because their dad's evil. We'll just take the girl. And then, <laughs> that's, and then also, that's kind of it. That's the weird casting about Jimmy Smits. I mean, nothing against him, but like he's not his character. He's Jimmy Smits. Even when I watch him in Star Wars. Wasn't he in... Um, Sons of Anarchy. Right? Yes, yeah, he, he was, yeah. dates. Uh, he was in Dexter too. Gemma. Oh, Gemma. Oh, Dexter yeah. too. I mean, he adopts Leia, takes her to Alderaan, and Luke gets taken to Tatooine to be I, with Joel I Edgerton. I think that's a great scene. Oh yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah, the great way, way to yeah, end it. Yeah. yeah. Was his half uncle? That's his uh, step yeah, second uncle. Step or uncle. Step, yeah. 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 Step uncle. So like he takes him to Owen and Baru, and then the movie kind of ends. And I think that's a great visual way for it to end. But I feel like all that shit is wrapped up way too quickly. But that's just it is. my well, they wrap opinion. up a lot because they also wipe the droids. What do you call it? Yoda explains. His old master was able to live beyond death. and They do all these like one-liners just to close some of these gaps of like, why doesn't C-3PO and R2-D2 remember? It's just like, oh, no, we're going to wipe their memories. Oh, we're going to talk about this. And it's just like, real quick at the end, they like spent two and a half hours on this movie. But like at the very end, they just button everything up with like one lines here, here and there. And you it's know weird. what the worst part is? They only deleted C-3PO's memory. They yeah. didn't delete both of them. That's mm. the worst part. Because R2-D2 remembers Obi-Wan in episode four if you watch it. He does. Yeah, yeah he yeah. does. But it's just like, because he beeps, nobody gives a fuck, I guess. But yeah. C-3PO's the only one that can understand him. Yeah, because yeah. like, even R2, like, he leaves, and like, C-3PO's like, who's this Obi-Wan guy you keep talking about? Like, why do you keep talking about him? Why do we need to go find him? He says, like, his previous owner was Obi-Wan Kenobi mm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, Jason, like, just the throwaway lines to wrap shit up, that just shows you that we wasted a lot of time in the last movie. Yeah. You know, episode three is over. It's time to move on. 
All right, guys. So, uh, you know, we've come to the end of the episode. If we miss anything, you know, be sure to email us, hit us up on IG, whatever you guys do nowadays. I don't know. Um, Let's go ahead and uh, rank all these movies, uh, just the prequels from worst to first. TJ, what is your ranking of the prequels from worst to first? Uh, pretty similarly to the original trilogy, I find that my favorite movies are towards the end and the least favorite are at the beginning of the, these trilogies. So from worst to first, it's one, two, three. Like, I really like the third one. I really don't like the first one. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mugga, worst to first. There <laughs> we I go. Know. I already know. What, what do you already know? Worst is two. First is one. Three is in the middle. You're wrong. No. Damn it. Oh, shit. Because... One is his favorite. Tied for worst is two and three to okay. tie. <laughs> I don't know what they are. Well, that's what it is. It's going to be tied for second <laughs> and second it. and three. And my favorite is number one. Yeah, but my favorite is Phantom Menace. So I, I love it. I'll get shit for it. I don't care, though. All right. Uh, Jason, worst to first. So worst, I'm going to go two and then one and then three. I think I put one in the middle just because of the pod racing scene and that epic lightsaber fight with Darth Maul. And then three, I think I just, it's the one we were all anticipating, like kind of seeing this change. And we we see it, although it's very quick at the end. And then there's just so much action. I mean, as much as, you know, you guys talk shit on some of them, like especially the opening one and whatever, but three just has so many lightsaber scenes. It's like, it's just Star Wars just out and out. So I think, yeah, two, one, and then the three would be my top one. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, two is the worst period end of story and I'm, I'm stuck between one and three man for best because like I think one has more memorable scenes but I feel like three is an overall better movie I'm gonna have to say like two one three because I think three I could watch the whole thing and one I would just watch Potteries Darth Maul and that's yeah, that'd yep. be it so two one three Justin, worst to first. I'm going a little opposite. I'm going two, three, one. Kind of agree yeah. with Mugs. As a memory, I always like the first one. I feel like it's stronger standalone as a solo movie. Like, again, like we were explaining, three, you have to kind of watch cartoons to understand what the hell's going on. Um, I think two's worst, no question, among all of us almost. But yeah, three has a lot of questions. Standalone, I just think one's stronger for the Darth Maul scene and the choreography. So I'm going to go, yeah, two, three, one. Bling, worst to first. Um, my rating is exactly like TJ. It's one, two, three, and I and I I think I I made it clear because like in all honesty, you probably don't even need to watch the first and the second episode. I mean, I know a lot of things are not explained and fleshed out in three, but if you watch three, I rather go into that movie not knowing a lot of stuff that's uh, left unexplained than rather than seeing one and two and saying, hey, why is some of the stuff not explained in the first two episodes? So I one, two, three. So that was our rankings. You know, we talked about Anakin turning into Darth Vader. We talked about Obi-Wan's relationship with him. We talked about George Lucas's creative decisions, but the one creative decision he did not make was including Tom Cruise in this trilogy. So Tom if Tom motherfucking Cruise. Exactly. So if Tom Cruise was in uh this prequel trilogy, what one character would you want to see him as? Anybody? See, Nothing against Ewan McGregor. I'm going strong Obi-Wan. I would have oh, loved to see him try no, that. Oh, I would love to no. see him try that. I might go, I might go Senator Palpatine. I, I, I totally agree with you that. And I think re- Palpatine. I th- everyone's seen, everyone's give off this evil villain. Nothing against Ian. How do you say his last Ian name? Ian McDermott? Yeah. Does a great job in a sense, but like Tom Cruise would be better. I, have you seen the scene where he's jumping on Oprah's couch and someone like added force lightning? To yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I also imagine him going like, no, no, no. We kind of mean, 
I, I'm trying <laughs> to see him rocking the Tom Cruise Obi Wan beard though, like he's in that pious sense. <laughs> Who's the the one who saves uh, in the third one? Like escapes with Yoda, Chewie. Oh, no. uh, Jimmy Smiths. Jimmy yeah. Yes, that's who I pick. Really? Yeah. Like, let's just have a quick cameo. Apologies nothing crazy. Yeah. What if he was like Jango Fett? Okay. Just a oh, he'd be a good Jango Fett. Yeah. yeah, and he was the clone. He was the clone. <laughs> he was the clone. <laughs> Everywhere. That'd be a good one. What if he was Jake Lloyd? <laughs> wait, wait. I'm a person. My wait. name is Anakin. Wait, but it would be perfect because like he would be Jango Fett, and he'd have a bunch of Tom Cruise clones. Just exactly. Like, just like Oblivion. Just like Oblivion. <laughs> Full circle. That makes all sense good. now. No, I I wouldn't mind that one. Fuck. I, I I would do Count Dooku. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Count Dooku's gotta go. Count Dooku. It's just like, if Count Dooku's gonna have a throwaway part, I'd at least like to look at Tom Cruise's hair. <laughs> <laughs> the physique would be on point, oh, I guess. I don't gotta know. throw it in there. But uh, that's the end of the prequel trilogy episode. You know, we'll hit you guys up next time with the Disney era movies. But uh, we're out. And uh, in the words of Tom Cruise, uh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Jar Jar Binks because he also doesn't play like a pivotal of piv- pivotal pivotal role pivotal yeah pivotal pivotal, pivotal. pivotal. a pivotal role. Jeremy gonna be the bloopers. Pow! Right in the kisser. right in the kiss. <laughs> what are you saying? Pow! 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 Just say Dooku ordered them or right, something. Because it's not that. F- Wait, which one's Dooku? He's uh, Christopher Lee. <laughs> Christopher Lee. He's oh, the okay. he's the sixth. Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. three, three you hate her. Awful. Billy you don't like Billie Eilish? Oh, I, I feel like uh, Billie Eilish is better than Taylor Swift. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> you don't like Taylor Swift either. Come on, Taylor Swift's last album was trash. I don't. I don't like Taylor <laughs> not, Swift. Which album? All. You mean the album that broke records? Okay, we gotta do a Mission Impossible three. Have to. Yes. We, we gotta. We gotta fight. We gotta, we gotta do one Mission Impossible like movie this season. Three and four. Season. I love three. I love three. I, I love three. There is no four. It's Ghost Protocol, right? I've only seen. Yeah. yeah. Four is Ghost Protocol. But it's not called four. No, but it's just. The it's called one. Ghost Protocol. Okay. That's what. That's what <laughs> No, Jason's like, but it's four. It's not. It is no, the that, that one. No, three, no. Four is when. The no. fourth one is where they got rid of the, the numbering. It just I love. I love Mission Impossible Four. It's great. It's called Ghost <laughs> Protocol. It's not four. <laughs> it's not four. It's not five. It's not six. Okay, but it's Say Matrix Revolutions and Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. Like, like if you're like in a hurry, two. you don't say two and three. No, I say Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. Yeah. No, you say you like the second Matrix. No, I don't. Matrix Reloaded okay. is the second Matrix. Okay. okay. I wish I had recordings of you saying that. Uh, you, you do, do but you don't. But you don't. Like you say, Back to the Future Two, because it's called Back to the Future. Actually, it's two. called Back to the Future Part Two. Yeah. <laughs> don't start. Come on, man. No, it's not. No. It's called Back to the Future okay, is Part it called, 2. Okay, it's called Back to the Future, two, Judgment Back Back to the the future, future part, part 2. I don't know why I'm yeah. speaking in the microphone. Is it called...
Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol or is it called Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? That is the official title of the movie, yes. yes. So it's not Mission Impossible 4, right? But I can fourth, still say it and people still, will know what I'm talking about. It's still the fourth in yeah, the movie. Yeah, like if, if, I said, if I said... I understand it's the fourth in the movie, but it's So you're just being nitpicky. You're yeah. just being nitpicky. So, no, yeah. because they yeah. wanted to go away from no, it. No, I got that, but it's the, just like if I'm in a hurry, I don't want to be saying like Rogue Nation... Ghost Protocol. So you're gonna say Fallout. Ghost Protocol. Why yeah. can't I just you say? You don't even have to say Mission Impossible. Why, why can't I say like Mission Impossible Four? Yeah, because it's called Ghost Protocol. Like Mission you don't Impossible. say Indiana Jones Two. Why? Why? It's the second Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. You don't say Indiana Jones: Last Crusade. No, that's what you say. You don't say. You don't say Indiana Jones Three. <laughs> yeah. You need some like, water. I do need some water. But <laughs> can I say Episode Three or Revenge of the Sith? Because it's called Episode Three <laughs> and Revenge of the Sith. That like you can say that. All right. But do I have to say like Star Wars Episode Three colon Revenge of the Sith? Yes. What so, about Terminator Two: Judgment Day, where a thing like T Two comes in. I'll take T2. Or, or X-Men 2 is technically called X2 colon X-Men United. So can I say X-Men 2? But it's called X2. X2 X-Men United. United yeah. yeah. Okay, what, what's, the, what's the one of the last stand, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that X5 or is that called the last stand? It's called X-Men the last, last stand. They right, got rid because of the you call ones. it last stand. It's not the fifth one. No, we one. call it X-Men 3. We say the third one. No. Yeah. Yeah, it is the third one. Yeah. Yeah, about the Harry Potter. Yeah, so you're, missing, you're mixing up. There's no Harry Potter. Nobody likes three. Harry Potter, bro. Again, TJ is um, advocate. All right, all right. Let's, let's, move <laughs> let's move on.